Yeah, the theme music queued up here. <laughs> hello hello greetings greetings everyone we are live what's your mug say gordon it's blurry oh you're muted bro you're muted it's blurry barry this is uh chai tea out of my guernica coffee mug Oh, thank you. Oh, it's funny. I just bought a book about Guernica. Did you really? Yeah. About oh, the John. It's a whole book about Picasso's Guernica? Or yeah. the 
Really? Well, I, I got to go back, man. This guy had a, a, a bookstore, went out of business, and this guy's got a storage unit full of books, and he's selling them for a buck each. And so I'm, I was just swooping, oh, man. Wow. I probably spent 50 or 60 bucks, but I got his number saved. I'm going to go back. It's like that one guy you find at, uh, at Comic-Con that has all the garbage left over. And you're like, wait, 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 let me look. And on the last Sunday of, of the last hour, they're trying to get rid of junk. Yeah. That's the guy you want right there. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, I was joking with him how much for the whole thing. Yeah. I bet if I offered him six grand, he'd give me all those books, even though it's probably worth more than that for sure. Mm. Doesn't hurt to offer. Kind of like your shirt, Mr. Alger. Yeah, this is my favorite uh, short sleeve button down shirt. Uh, this is a, actually a Pendleton shirt, but yeah, I'm very. I'm. This is my favorite find. A little old lady who uh, who was running the thrift store in Pendleton wasn't in her right mind. My my girl is really hypersensitive to that kind of stuff, and you could just tell that little old lady had some. I don't know if she had some attachments uh, with some spirits or what, but you could just feel it on her and her shop. And so I bought this shirt and we got out of there because my, my girl was like, we got to bail on this one. You know, but yeah. the whole, you know, just the FYI uh, for everybody listening, the whole town of Pendleton, Oregon is kind of that way. You know, I'm not going to say to avoid Pendleton, but be aware that they've kind of like nailed the hands of the clock down so they can't move. You know, there's still like wooden sidewalks in some spots and it's an old cowboy town and they have a great big rodeo every year. And, it's not really developed past what would you say, Jim, about 1945 or something kind of stuck about that year. Yeah, that, that's pretty fair. There's a, there's an old saloon with, uh, you know, the like whorehouse paintings in the men's room. Yeah. Hamley. Hamley's. Yeah. Fancy, uh, fancy whorehouse is what I call what, it. What town is this? Pendleton, Oregon. Oh, yeah, see, I'm well, and close to it. I bought the Pendleton shirt in Pendleton. Pendleton is a world famous brand coming out of Pendleton, Oregon, the Pendleton Woolen Mills. And they make, uh, you know, they ripped off all the natives and used their patterns on their blankets and their wool. They're famous for wool. And it's really expensive, high end stuff. So I always look for it used because I'm usually not interested to give somebody $120 for a flannel shirt. You know? Those blankets are like 450 500 bucks. Yeah. Those wool they're, I mean, they're they're top quality, but. The beautiful thing is uh, the natives actually recently bought Hamleys. So I thought that was uh, Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. The tribe bought the cowboy whiskey, you know. It's like Hamleys was like a, you know, a big ranch cow, you know. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, a restaurant and a bar downtown, but Hamleys is like they're ranchers, you know. They're like cowboys, real cowboys. And you the know, tribe- local tribe was able to buy the the whole thing back from so that's bad another thing about pendleton is it's the town where there's a there's a um there's a a mental illness house there what's it called it's a um asylum it's an asylum yeah it's a big famous asylum and it's where they filmed the uh outdoor portions of one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh, oh i didn't know that I've, I've been inside that asylum that's too bad that our uh, guest that we expected didn't make it because this would have been perfect yeah it been right up his alley i used to have to fix wheelchairs up there jim oh yeah 
they'd have to get they'd have to buzz you in at the gate and you know they'd always tell you that uh don't worry these guys aren't bad you know nobody's too terrible but they were all still criminally insane and locked in there and so it always gave you that little bit of hyper awareness of your surroundings when you're locked in with the people in the asylum and you got it okay so, so in honor of jim's hat and sean's shirt only the pendleton man shall pass pendleton man pendleton man only the pendleton man the pendleton man kneels before god thanks i needed that that's funny so we have alan alan is here sb alger is here slick dissonant and james maiden Jim Maiden, the mango, yellow mango man. Was it yellow mango? Was that the word? Yellow mango. That's yeah. on my shirt. That's uh, somebody's uh, Wi-Fi password, I believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's a weird sync. <laughs> now it's out there. So, but I don't uh, know the, the yellow mango is uh, a Haitian mango. And there's a there's a circle back to that Haiti. Mm. Oh, they yeah, the champagne they call them. Those are the ones, man. Those are my favorite ones. I'm a mango addict. I'll I'll buy crates of mango. And just I do. It. I love mango. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got some dehydrated mangoes. They're so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in case anybody caught some of my announcements or some of the rumors during the week, we were uh, anticipating Jerry Marzinski as a guest and uh, something's come up short or fallen through just in case you were tuning in for that specifically. It's a, uh, it's not, it's not over till the fat lady sings. Uh, if he pops in, that's great. But just a FYI for anybody that thought that might be the specifics so far, no, no, uh, no input from Mr. Marzinski, but. We wish him well and hope that uh, he can make it now or some other time. Juan, you hate somebody in the chat says they hate mango. I didn't wow. like it when I was a kid. You know that's interesting though. Like as I get older, your your tastes change. I hated pickled beets when I was a kid. Hated them, and I love them now. Yeah. I, I love pickled beets too. I don't want to eat them with mango at the same time, but I will if I have to. Uh, I'll try it. I'll try it once. I knew I used to never like mangoes when I was a kid either. But there's you? something about them when I was young. They tasted like metally or chemically to me. And too then sharp. the trip, yeah, the trippiest thing to me was uh the beginning of me starting to really love mangoes was when I went to Australia. And um in Australia, they call the mangoes that we get stateside, they call them turpentine mangoes, which made a lot of sense to me because that's how they taste. They tasted like chemically or something. But the ones they had over there are like this big and they're so indescribably delicious and fresh and good. I, I can't even think of any words that could. It's so fresh, man. I don't know. I, I, there's no words to describe that taste. I, I crave it. And I've never seen them anywhere in, the, in North America. It's because they have a little bit of meth in them. Oh, is that it? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't surprise me. You know, it's Australia. Yeah. <laughs> they got really good at smuggling contraband over there, as you can imagine, you know. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Train the mango trees they, to actually grow a little bit of organic meth. Right, yeah. <laughs> like the, uh, like the, uh, the, what is it, the spirit honey stuff in 
in the Middle East where they, there's a, the honey that has to be, it's not in the Middle East, it's in uh, Asia subcontinent somewhere. But at any rate, the natives will find this, this honey that is taken from a specific flower and it's tripping, people trip balls. It's, oh yeah. I can't remember what it's called. I'm sure Snake Jones probably knows because there's like a, a Viking honey also that is like that. But uh, the, the bees will, uh, will get the nectar from this specific uh, psychoactive plant. And I think I saw that myself, yeah, like a vice vice news or something about oh, it. Maybe that's where I've seen it too. Yeah. Trip plus balls plus snake Jones equals trip balls and snake Jones. You're already, you're already working, Alan. Is it working? I'm, I'm putting Coming it up? together. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, here we go. Gray, gray anotoxin in Nepal type of honey is used by the growing people for both it's perceived hallucinogenic properties and supposed med- medicinal benefits. That might be it. Yeah. Grayonotoxin. Grayonotoxin. Or mad honey. Mad honey. That's it. When the bees feed on the pollen of rhododendron flowers, the resulting honey can pack a hallucinogenic punch. It's called mad honey. Interesting. Jones yeah, I never knew that. Mad honey. I've bought some honey with some pretty amazing flavors because if you get the small local batch stuff, sometimes they know for sure that the uh, the bees are hitting up specific flowers, so you can get lavender honey or, you know. Yeah, the uh, clover honey is really yeah, good. Yeah, there we go, clover honey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the uh, say uh, the uh, cactus honey here is really good. Oh, that sounds good. I never thought yeah. of that. So I worked in produce for Whole Foods for like twelve years or something. And I've picked up a bazillion little foodie factoids, but one is that mango is the most prolific uh, fruit producer in the world and that tons and tons and tons of unharvested mango uh, goes to waste every year because uh, it grows in the wild. And a mango tree puts out so much that it's like a full-time job for a person uh, just to maintain one tree, but when Haiti, when the hurricane took out Haiti, uh, all of a sudden, Whole Foods made this big initiative to like uh, start selling the Haitian mango and proliferating it. Wow. Uh, mm. Yeah. So that's why the golden mango is back on the map. Uh, oh, has, that's too bad that we had to have natural disaster to bring it up the charts, but I do appreciate it. You're right. Yeah. Right. Man, see, that kind of stuff makes me mad. Like, all we got to do is put the resources together to get people who are willing to, to work to harvest mangoes and move them around the world. That's yeah. it. The, and then we're, the, people are covered, you know. That's, it's it, so stupid to be in a world where people don't just do that. Like, yeah. it's not going to affect your industrial war machine or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. People will just be fed, you know. God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm glad that you had that factoid because that makes me love it even more, man. Feeding people in the banana republic. (laughs) Oh, man. Can can we allow that? I mean, that's I understand. They really can't because if they just uh, take their foot off the neck and let us all feel full as a people across the whole map, 
then that's just going to undermine their position in a huge way. If we all just take a deep breath and relax and be like, oh, as a cumulative, you know, human race, we feel like a piece of ease and contentedness. That might be enough power for us to just shake them off like a, like a stinky coat. We were talking earlier about the harvest moon. And if you harvest your garden and you have extra tomatoes to give to your neighbor, then your neighbor doesn't have to go to the Whole Foods to buy the tomatoes. Be real shame for Whole Foods to not get your service or your business that week because your neighbors gave you food. Yeah, I quit that. I quit that job right before mm-hmm. Whole Foods turned into Amazon Santo. Really? Yeah, things got things got weird. Things got real weird in that whole scene. Uh, now wait, are you putting the Amazon and Monsanto into one word? Amazon Santo. That's scary. Yeah, man. Yeah, they, you got to say it like this: Amazon Santo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh, the owner of Whole Foods, he kind of jumped ship maybe two years before the merger happened, and uh, all of a sudden the administrators were kind of. It's almost like that. I, if I would have known what I was seeing now with twenty twenty hindsight, that was kind of the beginning of like really bad business modeling, and you know, it's it wasn't. It was no longer about. Uh, what you knew or what skill sets you could bring to the table. It was all about keeping it in the family. And they were, the axes were swinging left and right because all the incentives were getting uh, too expensive to maintain. And they, uh, they started firing people and uh, consolidating and bottlenecking a lot of the information in a real weird way in the whole foods that I worked at. Um, I found out after I quit that, a lot of the people who were getting jobs that maybe shouldn't have gotten the jobs, they all went to the same mega church. Mm. Oh, yeah. really? That's really interesting. Yeah, man. It's a, uh, I don't want to put anybody on blast, but things were not righteous. How long ago was that? Uh, f- five years ago, maybe six years ago. Mm. Yeah. This, uh, and this mega church was, was weird too. I don't know much about it, but all I know is that they had these bumper stickers and I was seeing them everywhere. And it was a big, uh, it was a big club and I was not in it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. That's good to be able to duck out when you feel it though, because it's tough to get stuck with people that you don't really want to be with. Yeah, exactly right. Sure does. Yeah. Amazon Santo. <laughs> yeah, I dropped a, so, I dropped a link. I, I, I Googled it in quotes, all one word to see what came up. And I dropped the, the link to the video that came up in the, uh, in the Weaving Spiders chat on uh, Telegram. I, I, please don't anybody put it on the screen. It's so violently weird. It's not, it's not like anything. It's just words. Somebody like made a, a really glitched out advertising, overdone, like completely overbearing advertisement. I turned it off immediately. Like it was too much for me, but Ooh, I just had to know. Only in the deep. chat said, uh, Monsamazon. Nice. Mon- Monsamazon. Mm. Monsamazon. You mm. could say Monsamazon, Amazon Santo. <laughs> Monsamazon Santo. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Lehman you know, said Amazonto. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when you don't show up, Jerry? We go right over Niagara Falls into full-blown <laughs> word association and and fish this is what we do. What are you new here? <laughs> I'm still so, thinking about the day that Al Gore flipped the switch to turn the internet on. We were talking about that. Oh, thank, God. <laughs> thank God for Al Gore doing that, right? I'm, you know. Everybody just send Al Gore a little bit of love, as much as you got for him. <laughs> Who disappeared on that day when Al Gore flipped the switch? Oh, the messenger. They killed the messenger. The herald in grace, Jerry Garcia. So the yeah, tell us about... baby. Uh, again? The tie-dye beanie baby Garcia yeah. edition. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just disappeared from everyone's collections. <laughs> It's like it was raptured away. In the... I used to have a couple of his ties. Maybe I should check and see if they're still there. This guy? Yeah, yeah. that guy. Oh, yeah. There's a whole book of his art. I've got, yeah, I've got the, the anglerfish tie. They're cool. Yeah. yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I always considered cutting this book up, even though it's sacrilege and framing a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not a huge dead fan or anything, but I try not to be completely like a jerk about, you know, like what I, you know, you know how it is. You find out things, details about people. Like I can't like great white anymore. Ever since they let that nightclub burn down when they were playing and people died because the doors were locked. Like, like I can't listen to you anymore, you know? And I feel that way somewhat, somewhat about the dead, you know, like you guys call yourselves the warlocks. You're all Freemasonic and weird. And part of this whole little psyopy distribute all the LSD to all the poor hippies and stuff. But I still dig them. I, I probably know two or three of their songs on the guitar. Now, so you brought up the great white thing. Um, do you feel like that was a setup? Yeah, I've never looked back at it when I was uh, when it happened. I never thought of it that way, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was some kind of ritual or sacrifice, or that the outsiders, you know, people did it above the band's head without them knowing or any of that stuff. You know, it's, yeah, so I've never gone a- back and looked at it. Uh, one of my really good friends, uh, his cousin was in that fire. Oh man! That they in mean? the in Rhode Island, they, yeah. he was in the bar when it happened, and he got out. But it was it was really traumatic. That sucks. That's scary, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'd be curious to ask him some questions because that's. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's. In a way, it's not good to do that because it takes people back there, and I don't want to do that. If he got out with his life, it's okay to let it lie. You know? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to bring that shit up. If he, and if they didn't want to talk about it, you know. Yeah, it's hard to judge. But, I mean, like me and Jim used to know this one soldier who was willing to talk about his time in the war, and uh, boy, oh boy, maybe it's better <laughs> if those guys don't talk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some some things you just don't want to bring back up. Yeah, yeah. You feel really bad for laughing too. He tells some stories that were so horrible, and he's telling them in a lighthearted way. So you laugh, but it's just like, dang. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I always thought like, I mean, who who signed off on using pyrotechnics in a small club with a low ceiling? Like, I Dude, never understood. You know, we've all been in those clubs, man. That, if they use pyrotechnics, so the DPC. Downtown Performance Center. It was the pl- punk club in Tucson burnt down because of essentially that kind of thing. 
but it wasn't that kind of thing. It was an idiot band called Crash Worship that was swinging pantyhose on their head with uh, flaming balls at the end. But it lit, it lit the place on fire and and uh, it was gone. But I always kind of wonder if that was kind of a, a insurance thing too. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you could make a smart plan to bring your club down during a live performance and then still kind of squeak by the insurance guys. You know, it'd be hard to argue with them. So a little synchromysticism on that word club. Clubs are the soup of fire. Interesting. I didn't know that. Cool. So every time we say club, like hellfire club, you're saying fire, fire, fire. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's- Good point. Yeah, I just did. A, I just did a little video. Uh, guy, I was sh- shouting out the RX Picture Show and kind of picking up where you guys left off on the Mickey Mouse, you know, and the sign of the the three the ears. And yeah, the, the three balls. Mouse, yeah, and that being a seal of mm-hmm. of castration, and um, you know, we know about the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, and so club. that then that castration seal in the mark, the scar that's left with the three lobes, it's like, it's uh, cauterized, mm-hmm. you know? So when every time we say club, we're invoking fire mystically. Yeah. Wow. So, Thanks for saying that, man. I did not know that. That's really good insight. Clubs are wands are match sticks. Oh, that makes sense. I was going to offer before we went live to pull a card out of my Dali deck. You guys want to do it? Yes. You have a Dali deck? Oh, you'll have to shuffle it for a while. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'll shuffle it for you, Alan. Okay. Here's the book. Big, beautiful book. All I've been doing is occasionally, when the, the feeling really seems right, occasionally drawing a single card. Because I got a person who's going to help me to learn. Uh, it's a Romanian witch I know. She's going to help me to learn this. And I'm going to uh, trade her for ukulele lessons. Even though I really don't play the ukulele, I figure I can just figure it out. Um, oh. But that's the plan. So I just, it's just a, the very beginning of a mild practice. I love that it's in this gold box. Wow. Wow. How cool. It's pretty cool. And it was like on sale somewhere. So you know how it is. Dude. So, so I'll just shuffle. I'll shuffle until thing. either, either Alan or somebody. Uh, so se- se- seventy-eight cards in a deck, and the number seventy-nine is the atomic number for gold. Interesting. Yeah, I've always thought there's a that some people have one more card, one extra card in some elite circles. They probably yeah, do. The Golden Dawn, they do have an extra card, so you can swap out one of the cards. Well, they, in your they have a zero card tool. sometimes. It comes with an extra zero card, right? Interesting. The Magician or really? Blank. Yeah. Well, yeah it's, there's a amazing... it's a different card in the Golden Dawn deck because there, there's a ritual, and then you can change the card out in your deck. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. I have to look into that. So I also... highly recommend this book called uh, Meditations on the Tarot. Wherever it is, usually it's sitting right here, too. I don't know where my copy is. That's weird because it's always right here. What's yeah, you got, Gordy? Um, 
So there's a Klimt. Oh, shoot. The stupid blur thing. Um, Klimt? The artist Klimt? Yeah. Gustav Klimt? Gustav Klimt. There's a tarot deck also. I wow, didn't even I didn't know, know these that. things exist. Isn't Klimt the name of um, Hawkeye? It's Klimt. K-L-I-M-T. Klimt. Oh, Klimt, okay. Yeah. The gold, the lady in gold artist. Hmm. Oh, the most famous one for sure is The Kiss. The Kiss, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where like there's a picture of a man leaning kind of this kind of flat and weird in their posture and he's kissing her on top of the head and the blanket's all red and woven and quilted and are you I'm sure you, there's no way you haven't seen it man it would be almost impossible it's such a famous picture. I really like Klimt. I integrated him into one of my pieces of art once. I do too. I really I really love Klimt. Um here this is uh Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, come on. Yeah. I do I love that you keep the blur on and just try to make it work. That's actually like <laughs> to me, that's like a shtick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always thought about uh you know Pompeii and the eruption of you know Vesuvius and according to Anatoly Flamenco that you know that, that on his timeline they're making that shit up. It didn't happen in 79 AD. And I find it profound, you know. Uh, that 79 is the atomic number for gold, allegedly. Uh, I'm starting to question the whole uh, periodic table, by the way. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm working on decoding the whole thing because awesome. the, the signs and the symbols have more value than if it is what they say it is. It, you know, it's like one big decoder box, really. But they say that Pompeii happened in 79 A.D., and 79 is the atomic number for gold. And that celebration was uh, up on Vesuvius. They were giving honors to um, Vulcan. And Vulcan is the divine metallurgist. Yeah. And, and technically, Vulcan, if he is the divine metallurgist, he was the angel who, after uh, the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve were cast out, God turned to his divine metallurgist and said, forge for me the sword of fire. And so Vulcan would have been that angel. And so what I interpret from all this correspondence is that, you know, the whoever's writing history, the Vatican, uh, is trying to convince us that history is forged by the sword of fire. That's my interpretation of it. Yeah, now you can say it's a secret club. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. And didn't we say that Tracy passed away on 7-9? I think that's correct. Yeah. Wow. Full circle. That's pretty far out. Seven, Wasn't the, the metallurgist in the Greek mythologies the Cyclops? Or was it the... He, he changes he changes form from like and his name from myth myth to yeah. myth yeah it's the same yeah. guy like the dwarf in uh, in the Norse myths yes uh, you know uh, ambidexter is one of his names and and uh, both hand yeah He's yeah both handed two handed 
which is really kind of poetic. You know, if you're dealing with metallurgy and smithing, you know, you don't do shit one handed. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, you know, maybe the sword was so damn big <laughs> that it needed right. two hands. Now, didn't Vulcan come up for us last time too? Uh, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. Vulcanalia, Vulcanalia is August 27th. And August 27th, this is crazy, guys. This is crazy. Mount Vesuvius erupted. Mount Etna erupted, and Mount Krakatoa all erupted within a day, 24 hours of uh, August 27th, which is Vulcanalia. And if you look on the Analima, Vulcanalia is the crossing point on the Analima. Let me try to, I didn't bring my dry erase board today. Let's see. So... This is the Analima oh. that the sun, if you uh, put a sticker on the noonday sun every day for 365 days, it'll trace a figure eight on your pane of glass. And up here is the solstice, three days the soul stays, down here three days the soul stays. Well, this X marks the spot on the incline, let's see, on the way up, if you can see that arrow going up, right when it crosses over, that's tax day. T-A-X marks the spot. Tax day is right here. Also, um, that's the day Abraham Lincoln got shot. Um, April 15th is when Ab Abraham, yep. a lot of stuff happens on April 15th, yeah. The Titanic. That's mm -hmm. when they, that's the harvesting of the season of sacrifice. It happens right on the crossover. And then it goes over through the summer. And on the drop down is August 27th, Vulcanalia. And that's when Krakatoa, Mount Etna, Vesuvius all erupted on that crazy ass day, Vulcanalia. Mm. Also, wow. uh, John the Baptist was beheaded a couple days right after. And that's like, you know, Oh, and also I see this is to me, I see the, well, that's a really poor version of it. In fact, I should do a better job just to say this, but you know, that's like the Virgin Mary holding, carrying the son of man. Yeah. I, it's very, the, that shape is always had that feminine. Oh, Jerry's here. Eclipse hey, oh, nice. oh, wonderful. Yay. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Marzinski. If you can hear me. Sorry, yeah, you, we'll, we'll figure you this out. You guys still there? We're, we we're here, Gary. Thanks. Glad to see you. Sorry about that. Oh, don't sweat it. Yeah, don't sweat it. We're super casual here. Yeah. Oh, man. That, you know, I, I feel awful. Hold on. Let no, me no. close these doors. No, no. Sure. Take your time. Woohoo! Awesome, yeah. Very cool. The difference between my library and Jerry's is he probably wrote all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I looked like hell, but uh, oh, we all do. <laughs> you 
think he oh, comes man. back and he thinks we're laughing at him. No, we're. Oh no, no, we're not laughing. We're, I made a joke, Jerry. Jerry, I'm the one that emailed you. I really appreciate you coming. Um, Jim's really the lead of the show. We we have a roundtable here all the time, and I've been popping in. And uh, it's a long story, but I made a joke when you stepped away that the difference between my library and yours is that you probably wrote all that stuff behind you. Well, yeah, matter of fact, I did. Those are all case <laughs> records. <laughs> I've got a bunch of case records that I've only started doing stuff with. You know, yeah. actual word to word where you're talking to the guy and, uh, you know, investigating the voices. And, 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 you know, they're telling you what these things are saying. Right. <clears throat> Which was one of the agreements I had with them when I started working in, at, the, at the state prison. Should we should we uh, tell a little bit about Dr. Marzinski here? Yeah. Do you want me uh, to read that? I can read that short. Um, just in case anybody doesn't know. Well, yeah, just first, in case. So. The first thing is I'm not a doctor. I, I bailed oh. out of that before they completely brainwashed me. Two years and I hit the ejection seat. Oh, nice. congratulations. Okay. I mean, and if you want to just give people a quick overview of, of where who you are and where you're coming from, Jerry, or I can read the thing. It doesn't matter. I, I'd prefer yeah. you just tell them. But if you want me to read that little thing, I could do that. Well, too, if so. I had it, I'd read it. Go ahead and read it. Okay, let me find it real quick. It won't take me. We time. should introduce ourselves to you real quick. Oh, okay. My name is Jim. How's Hi. it going? My name's Gabe. It's great to meet you, Jerry. I'm a huge fan. Well, thank you. I'm Gordon. I'm a big fan too, sir. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan too. I'm Alan Marcus. Nice Alan. to meet you, Jerry. All Jerry, right, are you it. in Tucson? Yeah, I'm in Tucson. Oh, wow. I'm in Tucson. I'm in Vail. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got yeah. a good friend moved to Vail. He was just yeah. there the other day. Wow. Yeah, I saw your... Uh, something about uh, Pima College on your thing. And I'm like, what? Is well, he yeah, here? I taught, I, taught, I taught an abnormal psych there. Ah, okay. It, it was a blast. What, it, what I told the students, I, I said, uh, you guys take care of what's in the book and, and I'll tell you what's real. Right. And, you know, because I'd spent all that time in the, uh, in the prison and in this, you know, it's, you know it's state hospital stuff. So it was, it was cool. They just, they took care of the book part and I took care of the part like, okay, you want to know what this really is like? Yeah, I'll tell you. I give them some stories about it. It wow. was a great class. Everybody loved it. I got a, a, a teaching award for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, here, let me read this just in case anyone's unfamiliar with Jerry Marzinski. A brief resume, it says here, and Jerry sent this to me a couple days ago. Um, Jerry Marzinski, B.A., comma, M.E.D. Jerry is a retired, licensed psychotherapist with over 35 years of experience working with and studying the thought processes and the voices of psychotic and criminally insane patients in some of the most volatile psychiatric institutions in the nation. He was awarded the state of Arizona's meritorious service award while working in the psychology department of a large state prison. He was also awarded the Pima College's Apple Award for the teaching of abnormal psychology. Jerry has held the position of Second Lieutenant Arizona Civil Air Patrol and is a licensed commercial pilot, a certified scuba diver, and a long-distance motorcycle rider. He also served as an assistant scoutmaster. <clears throat> His formal academic training comprises a BA in psychology from Temple University, a master's degree in counseling from the University of Georgia, and two years of study in a PhD psychology program. He's the co-author of An Amazing Journey, into the psychotic mind, breaking the spell of the ivory tower, which I have right here. 
is what it looks like, folks. We highly recommend that you go and buy this book. I haven't read it yet, but I've listened to a whole bunch of uh, to Jerry's interviews. I've followed him around the internet for a while now. Um, I, I know the time's going to be right to sit down and read this thing, and, and uh, I really appreciate you coming tonight. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, good to be here. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I got tangled up in Rod Blake. Not a problem. We're always, we're, we sometimes show up sometimes. That's how, (laughs) that's how we work here. So that's good. good. We appreciate it. But I really want to want to hear the stories because I personally have spent uh, five days in a, in a behavioral health center for suicidal ideation. And I met a lot of really interesting people. (laughs) <laughs> it's not boring no it is never boring there there was two guys who thought they were the devil one i think one was satan and the other one was devil and they would correct you but you could <laughs> see when they were talking to somebody when they were hearing somebody else or yeah. kind of yeah. talking to somebody in their head then or wherever things, that is those things aren't hallucinations like uh, psychiatrists tell me that they they ain't. <laughs> I buy it, man. It's you can you feel something. We, in fact, uh, um, Sean and I were just talking about that, getting that that feeling, that using that intuition in those situations, because you don't. Well, yeah, you got to yeah, be I, careful. It, it wasn't just intuition. I mean, the way the way I was raised, my dad was a. Uh, rageaholic and the only way i could fight back against him when i was little and i couldn't i couldn't fight back uh, physically was i would just push him to the brink just to the hairy edge of exploding and then i would manage <laughs> get the hell out of it left yeah. him with that load so you know I'd, I'd take the physical knocking around but he'd take the psychological you know stuff mm. um so if if I pushed it too far, the repercussions were were bad, <laughs> were really bad, you know. So it's like uh, this crazy games that I played, and and the times I lost, uh, you know, the consequences were pretty bad. Um, wow. So you know that was invaluable when it came to working with psychotics. <laughs> it was like it was invaluable. I, I developed like a sixth sense of how far can I push this guy before he blows? So in most cases, I was, you know, while I was working in the ERs, um, and when it was critical to get as much information as you could, as quick as you could, that, that was an invaluable asset. You know, being able to, to push him to the brink of, of, and get everything you needed and then back out of there. And, there was only once where I pushed this guy too far and I knew I was pushing him too far, but I had an intern with me who was, she was like, la, 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 fresh out of school, didn't know anything about uh, mental illness. <clears throat> we were in the mental, uh, mental hospital at the time. She was following me around. So uh, I started, I, I, I didn't know how raw this guy was. He was an Apache. They brought down from Northern Arizona because they couldn't control him. His anger was just, you know, the second Apache I met like that. So he was not only psychotic, he was alcoholic and withdrawing from the stuff. And uh, you know, I, I pushed him just a little bit too far, man. He picked up this sofa chair 
and he threw it at me like it was a basketball and just flipped the top of my head. And uh, thank heaven he didn't continue the attack. But that's the only time that I, I pushed it too far. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to say something for the audience just to, just because we're all so familiar. The, I'd say the main thing um, to know is that uh, Jerry comes at the idea, especially of schizophrenia, but any of these things that they call mental illness, you know, um, from a very different angle, not from the chemical imbalance angle, not from the hallucinations angle. And just so people know that that's, uh, that's the real insight that I've gained. And it's, I, I grew up with a manic depressive schizophrenic stepfather and um, I've been around other schizophrenic people and other uh, insane people in my life. And your work, it just, it just gelled everything together for me, Jerry. It changed my life forever because I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, this, this is it. This guy's right. He's been there. He knows, you know, because it's so different than all the crap that you read or, you know, all the stuff that they push with pharmacology and all the typical stuff is just not even close, in my opinion, to the way you approach it. And you've got so much history that it's, it's just obvious to me that you're dead right on target. You know? Yeah, I really wanted to pick your brain about the the psych meds too. Like your thoughts on on what they're doing to us as the the Adderall Nation kind of thing. Yeah, I can tell you what they're doing to you. Um, well, the the story of the psych meds starts back in probably around the '30s with the uh, Flexner Report, where the um, Rich guy's a standard oil guy, and uh, you know these multimillionaires at the time. They made it illegal for medical schools to teach anything but but uh, pharmacology. So naturopathy, you know, Tesla's electric energy healing, all these other disciplines that were developing at the time were outlawed. That they couldn't be taught, and you couldn't get a license for them. So if you wanted to be a doctor, you had to go to one of these medical schools uh, that were approved by uh, the Rockefellers and, and uh, the Carnegies. <clears throat> so if, if those medical schools didn't teach pharmacology, they didn't get any money from these you know, multimillionaires. So there were only a few that survived, McGill and, and some of these other big ones. Um, and the others had the going step after that. So you couldn't be licensed as a doctor unless you went to one of these particular schools. So here the, the pharmacology industry and the AMA have taken control right there and then. They, they threw everything else out. It's all pills, buddy. It's all pills and surgery. <clears throat> but uh, psychiatry was, they were like the stepchild because back in the 1800s, they, they were like, uh, you know, they, they, all they had was talk therapy and they really didn't know what they were doing at the time. Uh, then in the dye labs in Europe, they discovered uh, that uh, some of the workers in there, when they worked at certain dyes, would start getting loopy. You know, they'd start working on machines. Uh, and they discovered, uh, what is it? Uh, not the name of it, but it, it's the precursor to antipsychotic drugs, um, Thorazine and Melaril and all those. It was Does that relate by, to the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland? No, Mad no, as a Hatter? 
no, that's due to mercury poisoning. They used mercury in those hats and that destroyed the brain. But uh, where was that? So you're talking about the oh, dye the factories. Lab. Yeah, the yeah. dye factories. So when these pharmaceutical industries go, yeah, we got to charge 10 times more than any other industrialized nation for the meds we sell in the U.S. Because all the research that we have to put into it, all these uh, antipsychotic drugs, the root of all of them were found by accident. <clears throat> so when they went to uh, uh, try to test these drugs in uh, Europe, they didn't like it. So they took them to the United States. And they started out with a uh, <clears throat> insane asylum out west. They found that these guys, I mean, they could knock them out with those meds. They, they became, uh, some of them became sane. Uh, they calmed down. Major, what, they, what they are really are major tranquilizers. But they, they do so much damage to the nervous system. They rot out your peripheral nervous system. They shrink your brain. Uh, but boy, because they could control these massive psychiatric populations with, with these drugs cheaply. They didn't have to fight them and, and, and tie them up in um, straitjackets. That, that, uh, there were still attendants talking about some of the wars they had with uh, psych patients before I got there, you know, years before I got there, where they did have to wrestle them down and tie them up in a straitjacket just to control them. Now they had these drugs that they, the major tranquilizers that they can knock them out with and, and basically administer a chemical lobotomy. So that was great for controlling psychiatric populations. <clears throat> what they found uh, decades down the road is that when they did autopsies on these people, their brains had shrunk. So right away, the uh, big pharma and psychiatry go, well, that's, that's due to uh, schizophrenia. That's a schizophrenia germ, whatever schizophrenia is, that's doing that. But some of the more reputable labs found that when they started uh, feeding these uh, uh, psych drugs, I forgot, phenothiazines, I think it is, uh, to rats and monkeys over long periods of time, their brains shrunk also. So there was long-term use of these drugs kills the brain it, it rots out the nervous system uh -huh. uh, and it causes permanent neurological damage. And yeah. you could see that in the psych hospital where the, they had the tongue garbage, where the tongue went out and out and out. They couldn't right. control yeah. it, you know. And then there was the shaking. They walked in just shaking. Um, and, and the Thorazine shuffle. I and mean, you could see the neurological damage. And, and that's what these drugs are doing to people. But here's psychiatry and big pharma saying, hey, these are the only legitimate treatments for you know, uh, psychosis ever. <clears throat> Anything else, and you know, it's, it's just quacky. Uh, and they've, they've convinced the entire world population of this. But there are other treatments for schizophrenia. And, and uh, the voices are not hallucinations. As a matter of fact, they are the driving force behind psychosis. They, you get rid of the voices and, and the person returns to them. Now, and you've had success out, with that. I have over and over yeah. and over again. Matter of fact, I got in trouble at the state prison for that. Um, well, first they got suspicious because I was spending, you know, sometimes two, three, four hours with some of these psychotic prisoners that I found fascinating. None of the other psych staff could take them for more than 20 minutes. They didn't know anything about them. They got bored with them. They, and, you know, they're broken, broken people. That's how it is.
But uh, I got interested in what the voices were telling them back at the state hospital. But at the state hospital, I couldn't, I couldn't really question them as much as I wanted to because I ended up one time, one of them went and ran to the chief um, psychiatrist, the medical director of the psych you know, hospital I was working in at the time and told the, the psychiatrist that he was irritated because I was asking him about his voices and that, it, that I upset him. And I ended up in front of the medical director going, what are you asking him about hallucinations for? You're just reinforcing his hallucinations. You're making them worse. You know, I'm like, you know, he goes, those are hallucinations. I don't want you asking patients anymore about them. I've got enough problems without you irritating these guys. Um, now, I learned earlier that the psychiatrists at the state prison were uh, being attacked at a rate several times higher than any of the other staff except the attendant staff that were with psych patients 24 hours a day. Uh, and that was really odd. So they had reason to fear upsetting these guys. Uh, I, I think they were somewhat afraid of them because there's one of them getting popped you know, periodically and on a regular basis. Um, so I couldn't ask too many questions. You know, I, I got hauled up twice. I got reprimanded twice and, and I was really pushing it. So I, I had to really lay low in the state hospital. But when I got to the state prison, uh, after I left the PhD program, that was perfect. Because any any prisoner, psychotic prisoner who goes to the board and he goes, hey, the psych is uh, asking me questions about my voices. He's gonna get the hell out of here. Get out of my <laughs> so, I had virtually unparalleled freedom to work with you know, what they call the criminally insane or psychotic prisoners. Matter of fact, they were closing down the state hospitals and the prisons were being filled with psychotics, with schizophrenics, because they couldn't get they couldn't survive any other way in a lot of cases than to rob and steal and, and you know they couldn't hold down a job. They they weren't productive citizens. So they ended up in the state prison and then they torture them there for however many years, you know, they're subjected to gangs. And then, you know, when they're furious enough, they turn them loose on society. It's crazy. But when I got there, what I did is I collected up a group of you know, maybe 12 to 17 prisoners who were willing to tell me when their voices were active when I was working with them. Uh, and not all of them would be willing to do that. I mean, just that was a fairly high proportion. A lot of the schizophrenics didn't want to say anything about their voices. They didn't want to talk about them. But uh, we had we had the steal between, huh? So uh, that got a little hairy at times because they had to trust me and I had to trust them. So if if one of them came in one day and he goes, uh, hey, one of these guards disrespected me and the voices are telling me to, to assault him, to hit him, stab him, whatever, you know, to, right. to get him back. Um, that, that got to be like walking on uh, Razor's Edge. And it was a good thing I was a, an adrenaline junkie. I mean, I thrived on this kind of stuff. But uh, what, where that put me was like, uh, you know, if, if this guy did, attack that guard and stab the guard and they found out I knew about it and didn't turn him in to security, there's no doubt I'd be fired. Uh, on the other hand, if 
if I did turn him in, then the word would spread to the other 17 guys I had, but don't tell him anything, you know, he just, he'll turn me into security. And there's my source gone. You know, if they don't trust you enough to talk to you about this stuff. Hmm. So that, that would make it pretty boring in there. So I just I called that guy in every day for a week or so and, until uh, I was confident that he was bubbled down enough. But that, that would occur every once in a while. But other than that, you know, here's these conversations between the guy and the voices. And the voices coming out and telling him, hey, he's a jerk, he's crazy, he's stupid, don't listen to him, he's going to turn you into the warden, you know, experiment. But it was always through the patient. And it was always the voices that were driving them to do these crazy, stupid things. Uh, it was the voices that got him into prison in the first place. Um, it was the voices that got him in trouble with other prisoners on the yard. It was the voices that got him in trouble for stealing stuff. I mean, it, whatever these things were, they were driving their behavior and they were driving their behavior well before they got to prison. Um, and, and then when I, I, I looked at the the stuff they were telling them, it, it was all negative stuff. So they would tell me what the voices were, were saying um, when the voices appeared. And uh, they ran patterns. They ran very specific patterns. I had a list over here in this pile somewhere. Um, but there, 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 were, uh, there were probably, by the time I got them looking at, they're probably uh, 25, 30 patterns that they ran over and over again, predictable, stable patterns. Now, hallucinations don't run patterns. It got to the point where I could almost predict, and, and I did predict what they were going to say under certain circumstances. But back at the state hospital, years, years earlier, I noticed that um, they didn't like the the uh, patients going to see the chaplain or go to any of the ice cream socials stuff. And then I had uh, patients tell me that when they read the Bible, the, the voices started screaming and howling at them. They didn't like it. Um, they didn't go to church because uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't trust the preacher. But there were, I found that a number of them did try to go to church and that, that broke up into three categories. Um, if the voices were were weak, they could they could go to the voices would scream until they got the church and then they'd shut up. If the voices were moderate, the voices would try to convince them not to go to church all the way to the, the church. And then when they got in the church, they'd they'd start mocking the preacher and saying bad stuff and interfering with him, them the patient listening to to, to the preacher. And the last one where the voices were so they just out of the church. They just got up and ran. So, why would a hallucination be any religious? Well, why would a hallucination not consistently react like that to a preacher or to the Bible? And they get, they, the, the patients told me that when they tried to read the Bible, the voices got louder, interfered with their reading, their, their concentration. Um, so I was suspecting, even while I was back in the, in the state hospital, that these things were not hallucinations, but I didn't know what they were. I thought they were some fragment of the, the patient's uh, subconscious. Um, I didn't want to think they were entities. I didn't want to think they were 
demons. I didn't want to think that they were separate. It, it took me some 20 years to break down my denial system. Uh, even though it well past the point of where I had more than adequate evidence that these things weren't part of these people's subconscious minds. Uh, what it took was uh, some of the uh, patient uh, prisoners I was working with, the ones who would tell me what their voices were saying, all of a sudden, virtually all of them started reporting in and saying, um, you're pissing off the voices. You know, they're really getting mad with you. They're really getting angry at you. And I'm thinking like, a hallucination's getting angry at me. And, and these guys didn't even know each other. They were coming in at different times. You know, it was a big prison unit. Uh, and, and they were all saying the same thing. The voices were really getting pissed at you. Now, what I was doing prior to that was that when I saw that they ran these repeatable patterns, I went, uh, well, how do I affect these things? Uh, how, how do you get at something that you can't see, you can't hear, you can't measure? All you can see is the results and the and the reflection of the behavior that whatever it is is causing in these patients. So the only thing I had to work with, it was like, uh, you know, working with these uh, mechanical things that go into, you know, atomic radiation places or something. You, 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 you're putting input into some kind of system you don't understand. You know, you see it, it has certain patterns and, and, now I'm looking to disrupt those patterns because whatever those patterns are, they're destroying these guys. So the more ways I figured out to tell them and to how to disrupt these things. So I, I just experiment with a bunch of different stuff. You know, I, I wonder if this would work. I knew they were anti-religious. So I'd start uh, giving these guys, you know, not, not particularly religious, but spiritual books or spiritual readings. Uh, uh, I, I would, I would give them the opposite of what the voices were telling them to do. Right, right. So uh, that's when the voices started getting pissed off. When when the, the patterns were being interrupted by the, the things we were experimenting with. Uh, and it had gotten to the point where it was such a serious threat to them that they started you know, really acting up with those guys those, those inmates trying to stop them from coming to their appointments or to their groups. But I was the only one that really understood them out of all the psych staff that ever read, uh, ran into in their life. And I didn't really understood them. I understood them better than most of the others. But uh, now I was trying to understand the voices. And they were very similar among all these different inmates, hundreds of different inmates. The voices are very similar. They ran the same patterns. So uh, after several warnings, like, oh, the, the voices are getting pissed off with you. Uh, you know, they don't like what you're doing. They don't want us to come. And uh, you know, I basically don't want to tell the voices to stick their heads in the toilet. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, that I never heard them. I, you know, to me, they, they're kind of, metal construct, but they're running patterns. So, so I'm like, what is this? And what is this construct that all these guys are interacting with that runs these same patterns? You know, and, and so uh, the next thing was one of the guys that I've been working with for a long time is he's leaving the office 
with the person. He turns around, he looks at me, and he goes, uh, you know what you're doing is dangerous, don't you? And I just looked at him like, it never crossed my mind. You know, I'm like, and, and then he turns around and he leaves. And I'm like, well, what's with that? And I didn't think what I was doing was dangerous. I'm going, well, the voices are in their heads, not mine. I mean, they can't get out of their heads and, and get to me. I mean, they're stuck with it. You know, like, why, why is what I'm doing is dangerous? You know? And I, I didn't even think to ask him. You know, I just like dismissed it. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm good at measuring when these guys are going to go off and I haven't felt that. You know, I'm real good about measuring when somebody's going to go off. And that that experience, I hadn't had it with any of these guys that I've been working with. So, right. like, you know, my alarm system hasn't gone off and it's been pretty reliable. Uh, so I'm like, you know, what's what's he talking about? You know, and, and then I just kind of brushed it aside. The next, uh, next warning I got was several weeks down the line, the same guy shows up in the uh, psychology office uh, without an appointment, asked if he could see me. So I brought him in and he said, hey, what's up? He goes, the voices want to talk to you. I'm like, what? That never happened before. Yeah, wow. You know, it's like, it was always through the, it was always through the patient, you know. Hey, the voices are saying this, you know, and I'm like, well, tell them to go stick their heads in up the butts or something. <laughs> so uh, it, it was always through the patient. They never spoke directly to me, ever. And this is like 25 years. And here comes this, this inmate, and uh, he goes, the voices want to speak to you. And so they want to speak to me personally? He goes, yeah, they, they want to speak to you. So I said, oh, okay, come on in, <laughs> close the door. I'm looking at him and I said, uh, I'm weirded out you know, because this is this is a new thing. This is a new development in the whole right. process. I mean, it's like, this is an interesting wrinkle. And uh, I said, okay, what, what do they have to say? And these words came out of his mouth. You have no right to interfere with our way of life. Wow. Period. <laughs> I'm like, you know, just blew away. That wasn't him, you know. And and I'm looking at him like, you know, you messing with me, you know. And he goes, no, you know, he could feel it. He goes, no, no, that that wasn't me. That was them, you know. And I said, uh, well, tell them. And and he said, they can hear you. They can hear everything you say. They can see you. And I'm like. They're looking at me through his eyes and they're listening to me through his ears. See, that was another revelation. I wasn't sure whether they were heard our conversations outside of the patient or whether they were actually using the patient's uh, physical mechanism to hear. Well, that was an affirmation that they were using his body, his senses. They They were in there with him. So that was like a one-two punch. It was like, bam, bam. And I'm, I'm just sitting there like, oh, dude. You know, so like, oh. That's when my denial system collapsed totally. I mean, it just fell. It was ragged. It was, it was shot to hell. It was, it was in pieces. It was, but it was still struggling to stay up. And, and that, when he left, 
can't. It just, it just completely collapsed. And it's like, okay, if it's not their subconscious, then what the hell is this thing? What are they? What is going on? And what am I doing? And where am I going? And what are the rules? <laughs> it's like, you know, so I, I just canceled all my appointments for the rest of that day and just stared out the window like, like, what is it, that uh, Twilight Zone? You know, like, doo -doo 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 -doo. yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet. Yeah. It, it, it was at that point that I knew they were real, that they weren't hallucinations. And, and that they were no good. I mean, they, they, they're rotten, they're evil, they're rotten things. They're, they're very nasty, they're very ugly things. Um, Jerry, did you ever get any of the names? Did the voices ever associate to a name? Sometime, uh, a lot of times they, they wouldn't say the name. I remember one time I asked them, it was, it was just like in the Bible, it blew me away. I said, uh, who are you? And they said, we are legion. Wow. That was like, that's like blue. Because that's the same thing the Bible said, you know, and I'm like, whoa, you know. And and then there were other things like, uh, oh, the engineer or, or whatever they were trying to play, whatever the voice was trying to play. Uh, but a lot of times they didn't have a uh, name or they didn't want to give a name. They certainly didn't want to give a name. Now, so my wife works, uh, has worked at a level one psych unit and there are schizophrenics who are not, do not have bad uh, voices. They have good voices, correct? Well, there, there's, there's a continuum, but there are some who hear good voices, but you gotta watch out because they're the bad ones usually start off by playing the good ones. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in, there, are, there are some, and I know, I know some, they're rare, that hear good voices all the time. Now, Christians do, you know, the real uh, solid Christians, they will hear, you know, the voice of, they know that it is God. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's no doubt in their mind that it is. Uh, that they'll give them, but it, it, at the everyday level, the, the good spirit speaking feeling and intuition you know they'll give you a feeling like this is wrong or something's wrong or this you know i got to get out of here that that's them speaking they they won't interfere with your free will like these dark ones will. you know the voices will they will take over and they will they will completely take the patient over if they're allowed to do that and i've seen some uh I, there was one guy i worked with it took it took me an hour to talk to the original person who used to be there that the voices had totally overwhelmed, and I knew he'd never be coming out of that. You know, there's some that are so far gone, there's nothing you could do with them except juice them up with uh, these uh, phenothiazines and, and turn them into zombies. But there's others that, you know, you break up these voices and you tell them, teach them how to do that, they will recover, and, and that's happened over and over again. And I got into serious trouble at the prison for that. When I learned enough how to break up these patterns, here's these inmates telling the prison psychiatrist, I don't need those drugs anymore. And they were acting completely normal. And, and they, that wasn't supposed to happen. The schizophrenia was supposed to be a lifelong uh, uh, mental Right, they, they call it incurable, exactly. Incurable, yeah. but that's not true, that's a lie. Right, not true. They, they just don't know how to cure it. Uh, and, and um, 
there, there, there was one. Then they noticed another one and then another one. So they started getting suspicious. So the, uh, they kind of put me under investigation out there. And the chief psychologist was thinking that I was experimenting with prisoners, which I was. I mean, I was experimenting with these methods to help them. And uh, he sent uh, a stooge down there to investigate. And uh, they, he, he started talking to all these, uh, my group of 17, you know, that, that I was working with. And they didn't tell him them squat. They didn't tell him anything. Uh, one of them said, uh, when, when he pulled him in and started questioning him, he said, uh, he's helping us, not like you, asshole. And uh, that really wow. pissed him off. Yeah. So that was, uh, that psychiatrist. That psychologist saw in this patient's record that he had a valid MNPI showing that when he entered prison, he was psychotic. He was a schizophrenic. It was a valid profile. Uh, it was as solid as you can get as far as psychology is concerned. So this this uh, psychologist, he asked him, are you willing to take another MNPI? And the, the prisoner said, yeah, sure, I'll take another one. So he took it, scored it up. It was a valid profile, and it showed he was no longer psychotic. He was no longer schizophrenic. Awesome. Yeah. And they knew I'd been working with him. And awesome. you think they'd be happy about that? No. They were panting up and down like they were demons, you know? It was like, uh, uh, like, it was like they were afraid. So then they charged me with uh, – uh, experimenting with inmates and they were pulling me up into this inquisition before the medical director. But none of the, none of the inmates I worked with had told them anything. They were frustrated because they came back with nothing after their investigation, uh, which was one of the greatest compliments I ever had was a, a bunch of psychotics protecting me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's incredible. Uh, so, uh, I wonder if yeah, the, the I was, I was staff... I was more honored by that than I was the state of Arizona's meritorious service. Award. That, that yeah, meant more to me than that. Sure. Um, so here I was in the Inquisition, and it was really interesting because, you know, I was scared. Uh, they were after my job. Um, and then all these Christians came out of nowhere, and, and some of them were supervisors, and they said, well, when you go in there, don't tell them anything. Don't tell them anything you don't have to. Just answer their questions, yes or no. Don't offer any information at all. You just don't, don't give them anything whatsoever. So that's what I did. I went in there. What are you, what are you doing with your clients? And well, I'm talking to them like everybody else. What are you talking about? Like the stuff, you know, that happened, what their background, the stuff you're talking about. So they didn't have anything. And, and the chief psychologist looked like a fool in front of the medical board. So uh, the chief psychologist is telling them, well, there's, there's, prisoners going off their meds over over on his unit and, and you know that something something he's doing something you know he's doing something he's not supposed to do basically that he didn't have anything but the medical director at that time he's a good guy he said well if what he's doing is saving us money on medicines let him do it you know and, and then he turned to me and he said on the other hand if you, he's your boss you better do what he tells you or you're going to get fired so it's like it was like i just i've been shot at and just barely missed you know but the chief psychologist was furious. He was absolutely furious. He was going to get me. Mm. Right, so, made an uh, enemy at that point. Oh yeah, I knew my time was my time was short. After mm -hmm. that, 
and and even when they continued to recover, uh, they they weren't happy about that. They they were they were upset. They they were actually upset. And I'm like, what's going on with these people? What you know? These guys have got their lives back. They don't have to give them those toxic medications anymore. They're feeling better than they ever had. What? Why are these people acting like this? You know, it's like, uh, well, the prison was the devil's palace. I, I eventually learned that's that's his stomping grounds, man. He he runs that place and he wants no interference. There's no good deed went unpunished there. Uh, but uh, you know, learned a lot there. Learned a learned a lot. You you can't interfere with these patterns. You can teach the, the your patients how to interfere with the patterns on their own, and then they know what to do. You know, I can remove them temporarily. Shamans can remove them for longer periods of time, but to teach the patient how to get rid of them himself and how to maintain that and, and to keep on a positive spiritual path after that with the warning that if you don't, they'll be back and they'll be back with reinforcements. That's the way it works. That's the reality of the situation, irrespective of what these bozos in psychiatry are saying about, uh, oh, it can't be cured, uh, the voices are hallucinations. And notice how they got it tied up. You got to go through, uh, before you can even have access to this population, you got to go through six years of college, you know, at least four years of, of psych or social work, and then another two of counseling or psychology, just to get access. So it's like, Okay, we're going to make sure you you're very well brainwashed before we ever let you in with these people. You know, so you go in there and you, you believe. I believed when I went in there that the voices were hallucinations. That they, you know, that's what I've been told, and I've also been taught that the only way to treat them was with these medicines, and there was nothing else to do. You know, but what was also curious was when I was at the state hospital, nobody was curious about what the voices were telling these people. Nobody. It was like I was in this land of brainwashed zombies that weren't even curious about what these guys were going through. You know, it's like nobody was asking them questions about what the voices are saying. You know, and and uh, I asked all the staff, what do you think they were? You know, oh, they're hallucinations. That, that almost all of them said that. You know, uh, that, that's what they believed. So they they thought they had the answer, and that's. They proceeded along those lines. They didn't, I wanted to know what the voices were telling them, you know, and, and it took, it probably took a year before I learned enough to be able to talk to them. Because if they sense that you believe their hallucinations, you're done. You know, they're not going to tell you anything, you know, because right. like, they know this guy's whacked out. They don't trust psycholog psychologists and psychiatrists as far as they can throw them for the most part. Because well, they, they, they feel the perception of being uh, thought to be insane or to be lesser than. And of course, if someone, if you know someone doesn't think you're a man like they're a man, you don't want to talk to them. And, and that's it. You, you hit it right on the head because they don't, they don't even treat them as human. They know that these medicines they're giving them are toxic. At least the ones that are, you know, halfway aware. They know right. that these medicines are toxic. They know they don't cure anything. They know that all they do is treat symptoms. It's like putting a bandage on a festering sore. You know, they know that uh, their suicide rate is equal with that of schizophrenics, which is very wow. interesting. Yeah, there's a very little difference, uh, three to five times that of the general population. And psychiatrist suicide rate is right up there with their psychotic patients. It's like two ends of the the 
<laughs> it's, it's like they're tied together somehow, you know, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Well, it makes sense. How so? Well, I'd say it makes sense because uh, the people who aren't taking the path that you're talking about taking are either willfully uh, in denial or ignorance, or they're even worse, they're intentionally practicing what's against truthfulness and goodness. And so then they have a miserable, pressed down life, you know, they're not, they're not on the path. If you don't keep your feet on the path, all kinds of evidence comes your way to wake up, you know. And I'll tell you, they're, they're, they're not very spiritual people. I mean, right. they Mm -hmm. all, the, all the school in the eight years of college I had was just as spiritually dry as the Sahara Desert. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had to read Carlos Castaneda and some of those guys just, just to feed my soul enough to keep going. And that, I mean, it was like, and then yeah. after two years of that, it's like I couldn't take it anymore. It was like, it's what, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They're, they say, well, this is uh, psychopathology. And then they're, I felt like they were taking my mind and warping it into something that wasn't me and didn't fit reality and i'm like oh, no i can't wow. do this you know it's like, ultimately it's almost like they were projecting you know like they didn't their denial of the reality of it on some level they had to know that they were uh leading people in uh, to a dead end well i think psychiatrists more than psychologists because a lot of times psychologists They'll talk and take time to learn, listen to the guy, you know, and they, they, they can, it, it's talk therapy. They, so they, they can help out that, but not psychiatrists. So you walk into a psychiatrist's right. office, you know, probably a great percentage, I'd say 85 to 90%, you're going to come out on some kind of drug. They're going to have spent at the most half hour talking to you. And in that half hour, they're going to give you a diagnosis, which will damn you yep. for the rest of their life. But every single one of those diagnoses are made up. There's not right. one that has any kind of lab work that they can prove. No lab work, no blood work, no no saliva test, no EEG. No, there's no scientific test to validate any of the what is it? Two ninety seven, I think it was at last count. Almost three hundred diagnoses that, that they made up. They they make them up and they vote on them with these conventions they have. And from what I heard, it's like a tobacco auction. Here's all these psychiatrists in there. And they go, okay, we're going to have Joe Blow present the evidence for a new disorder. This is, uh, da, 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 these are the symptoms. And, and how many of you have seen this? And they go, I have. We all booked another psychiatric symptom in, into existence. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. Can we charge it on the insurance forms? Well, I, I think we might be able to. So, so that DSM-4 is just to charge insurance companies to make it look like they're treating some kind of valid diagnosis. All, all these things exist on a spectrum. All of right. us have the same symptoms as schizophrenics from time to time. Yeah. You're here. Great I, I, that reminds me, Jerry, I, uh, I forgot to tell these guys until just now that you sent me that documentary. I just dropped the link into the, the YouTube chat. Um, it was about an hour and a half long, and it really just does an excellent job of breaking down exactly what Jerry was just describing. It talks about the origin of uh, the pharmaceutical industry combined with the changeover in doctoring and how it uh, came from the Rockefellers and talks about how they established the DSM books, which is the diagnostic manual that they use and all that stuff. And so it's well worth watching. I recommend people watch it and it'll really give you insight. I knew a lot of that stuff because I read uh, Murder by Injection by Ustis Mullins many years ago. 
but it's still very worth watching, you know. Hey, Jerry, um, some folks in the chat were wanting to know more about the uh, patterns and similarities that some of the uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're running. I mean, they're 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 exact. They're, 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 it's a one to one correlation between what the schizophrenic voices are telling psychotic patients and what the mainstream media is broadcasting all over the world right now. I got to find that list. It's here somewhere. Hold on. Wow. Awesome. That sounds priceless. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I just made the first crazy joke. Well, you see, you see if this isn't a uh, matter of fact, I have some, um, I have some transcripts of uh, uh, some of the, some of the prisoners I work with. And I can read through those later, maybe. And uh, interesting stuff. That would be great. Yeah. We're here for the duration. As long as you're willing to stay and you feel like you want to move forward, we're glad to keep the, the line open. Cause this is a, uh, to me, this is like uh, some of the most important work that we can get out mm -hmm. into the world is people to learn about the difference between everything they've ever been told versus what you've lived your life demonstrating to be true. And also, if you, if you feel the need to use the restroom or anything, Wait, you know what just I let guess? us know. If, if you need a break, just say, just say so. I mean, we'll all step away time to time. It's a long show. So. You know what I need to do is I just ran all the way here. <laughs> so uh, let me go get, get let me let me get a glass sure. of water, and uh, I'll be back in just a minute. Awesome, Absolutely. thank you. You want to want to watch a little bit of the documentary? We can you can share screen it if you want. Um, I I dropped the link in here. Let me see if I open it up. What happens here? That might be uh flag if we run that one we might get a red flag oh yeah that's true man we might not want to do that that's uh i'm glad you said that alan because it is on it's on it's on the website odyssey it's on odyssey yeah and um you know i assume the people that are publishing it probably really want to get it out there but just the same it's not worth the risk for you to get a strike on your channel i think jim but like i said i mean it's broken down in a really kind of uh pop science, typical modern production way. And um, it's really pretty good that they did it. You know, it's like a man and a woman dialoguing, asking questions and giving answers um, and really just undermining all of the years of propaganda of the, the medical and psychiatric industry and just dropping truth bomb after truth bomb about um, the origin of drugs. You know, really it's just that the Rockefellers figured out that you could make uh, pharmaceuticals out of um, petroleum you know, and so they 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 shook everyone out of regular, you know, what probably would have been house to house doctoring with herbal remedies and other uh, typical old fashioned remedies. And like Jerry said, they just made it so that they absolutely had to be um, diagnosing and prescribing drugs. Otherwise, they weren't supported. You know, they just monopolized the game. They, they created orthodoxy. And exactly. Dogma. Exactly. In the worst possible way. In the very worst possible way, exactly. Well, and me personally, and I mean, this is just me talking, but I believe that they're following the ancient uh, pattern, a redundant pattern of, um, of the pharmacia. You know, they know mm -hmm. that if they, if they reduce things down far enough, they get this level of control. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's about control. I, I, like Jerry was just saying, that's why they medicate them, to control them. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, 
Now, you know, I, I have seen, now this is rare, where they medicate these guys and they come down from crawling off the walls to virtually looking almost normal with the voices gone. But that's very, very rare. If they stopped taking the meds, the voices would come back. In most cases, the voices don't go away, even on the meds, they're just not as strong. And the patient is, is turned into a zombie, you know, so they're like, they're just like emotionally numb. Um, these are very strong drugs. These are very, some of the most dangerous drugs used in medicine today. You know? And, and the, the, the neurological damage is permanent. It's, it's permanent. And they're giving this to kids. They're giving it to kids. You know, they're pushing it on, on younger and younger people. This is, mm -hmm. it's a thing. Makes me uh, that was the most shocking thing about the documentary is them talking about um, the strategies they were developing to medicate children at a younger, younger age, and even talking about medicating infants, talking yes. about being able to diagnose an infant uh, as bipolar or other things and giving these drugs to, to uh, children that were under the age of three. It was just insane. I couldn't believe that. I didn't know that part. I didn't know they were well, moving. Well, it doesn't it, surprise it, me. But You should see what they were doing with the Nazis in World War II. They were in charge of deciding who, who was an inferior human beings and who weren't, who was going to go to the concentration camps and who wasn't. Right. I mean, these, these people, you know, they, they, most of them know how much damage these drugs cause. Now, you know, when you're being diagnosed schizophrenic, they, you, they're telling you your brain is broken permanently, you know, Oh, you 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 got this uh, mental disorder that that is due to a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's that that's been disproven. It's never been proven. It was it was brought into existence by uh, I think it was uh, Eli Lilly back in the '60s when they came out with Prozac. They didn't know what uh, what this stuff was doing, so they made up this. Oh, you, you, our medicines work because you've got a chemical imbalance. So they jumped on that with the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah everybody's got a chemical imbalance and we got the pills that'll bring them back in the balance. So they sold that to the population that the schizophrenics had a chemical imbalance in their brain and it was genetic and that there was nothing that could be done about it except give them their, these toxic medications. They convinced the entire planet of this, you know, knowing that these medications were toxic. Now, the ones in the public sector, you know, they, it didn't matter to them. What they would do is they just give, the, give these meds to these uh, people in the mental, uh, mental hospitals, uh, in the, in the uh, mental health centers, in the state hospitals. They just keep feeding them to them just to keep them suppressed. And then when they started showing neurological symptoms of, of neuro, neurological damage, they would then whip out cogentin or some other medication to mask those symptoms. And then that would allow this neurological disease to progress where the patient isn't feeling it and, and not bothering anybody. And that's fine with them. You know, you know that word Prozac, uh, Zachariah in the Bible was cursed with silence before John was born. He was cursed with the inability to speak. And so when I hear Prozac, I think of a curse shutting down somebody's ability to speak. Well, I don't know. And, and, and the effect of this, a lot of times, isn't that much above a, a placebo. Matter of fact, one of the warnings on the label is suicidal ideation. Right. 
Right. So they're telling you right away before you even take it. Yeah. What it's going to do to you. But, you know, they never tell the schizophrenics what these drugs do to them. The, the most they will do is say, oh, it'll make you groggy and you'll get used to it. And in a week or two, it won't be as bad. And, you know, that they, you know, they just prescribe these things to them. And usually they pick them up at the mental health center with, you know, they're in the bottle. They don't give them all the side effects. And even if they gave them the side effects, most of them wouldn't read them. And the ones that would read them wouldn't know what all these words mean, you know, adahenia or um, neuroleptic uh, syndrome. They wouldn't know what that stuff meant. Now, those are serious neurological diseases caused by these drugs. And they're just, they're just dishing them out to people it's damaging their brains. And now when they're giving them the kids, they're, they're damaging the kids. You know, it's, it's, Absolutely. it's unconscionable. Well, anyway, you were, you were asking about the uh, correlation between what the yeah, voices the are telling schizophrenics and what the, the mainstream media and deep state are broadcasting all over the world right now. The number one trait is negativity. You know, the most common trait of the schizophrenic voices is that they are consistently negative, derogatory, insulting, abusive, and destructive. While they may, they may seem to be positive helpers for short periods of time, they invariably turn on their victims once they gain their trust and begin attacking and telling them awful things about themselves and others. So negativity. And, and look at what the mainstream media is saying. Oh, you're all going to die, man. You know, look at 50 million people have died of coronavirus, and, and we have to restrict your, your movement, and, and uh, you've got to suffocate yourself with these masks. And, and if you don't do what we say, you're going to lose your jobs. And, and uh, you've got to take uh, you know, dose after dose of this toxic garbage that they're, they're feeding into people that is experimental drug that the, the, the drug companies are making trillions of dollars off of this crap. Mm -hmm. As if they weren't rich enough already. So negativity. The voices are, are negative. They're always telling the person, you're no good, you're stupid, you're rotten, you're never going to amount to nothing. Uh, they, uh, these people are only faking like they like you. Or, uh, you know, this guy's after you. They're, the cops are after you. Da, 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 you know, listen to what we have to say or we're going to do this to you. So they're, they're threatening too. Um, anti-religious. You know, the voices are consistently anti-religious. They resist their victim attending church, reading the Bible, or following other positive spiritual paths. They become volatile if the patient repeats the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, or other positive spiritual verses. Um, one patient told me that uh, repeating the 23rd Psalm uh, was like throwing for the voices was like throwing worms on a hot frying pan. So huh. I, I found that interesting. Why would a hallucination be consistently negative? I mean, hallucinations are all over the place. You know, they're good, bad, neutral. They're just, they're, there's no pattern running to them. Why would they be consistently negative and why would they be anti-religious? You know, these are two big patterns. Um, they foster and create negative emotions. The voices consistently work toward the creation of a prolonged negative emotional state in their victims, including anger, anxiety, paranoia, guilt, and shame. They do this through the insertion of negative thoughts about the self and others into the thought stream of the victims. 
or telling them to do things that will get them in trouble with others. Um, they tell them to do irrational things. Um, but, but everything they tell them is to generate negative emotional energy. And then when the voices come and attack them, that energy vanishes, which was really strange when I saw that happen. It was like, it was like, uh, you know, I kept getting these complaints. Well, you know, the voices attacked me bad last night and I almost couldn't get out of bed or I missed the appointment because the voices attacked real hard last night and I couldn't move. And it was clear that whatever these things were, that they were, they were draining their energy. All right, they're feeding. I didn't know that at first. I know it was dumb. It, I saw it was disappearing, but I, would, I, I, I did... Yeah, I made it this logical explanation. Oh, uh, the voices are so horrible because I knew they were horrible. But if, if somebody was facing, listening to these things 24 hours a day, seven days a, a week, year after year after year, I mean, they, and sometimes I'm getting very intense, extremely intense. I was thinking that that's where their energy went is, is just kind of like fighting that or having to put up with that. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Uh, one day I got called in to, uh, I was always put over the worst, <laughs> worst and most violent units, which was okay with me. Um, so they put me over the jail for the prison. So here's this, they called it the uh, maximum security unit in the middle of the prison. They probably held uh, uh, maybe 200 patients. So the worst of the worst in the entire complex. And uh, I was I was uh, psyched for that unit, um, and in the same morning, here comes a inmate letter from a inmate in that unit saying my roommate is psychotic as a bed bug, and he's he's standing over me at three in the morning, just staring down at me, pacing the floor, and and talking to himself all night, and, and they're confined in this little. You know, 15 by 15 room. I mean, they're, they're squashed in there. So uh, that guy was, uh, his roommate was, I found out, was floridly psychotic. I mean, he, was, he wasn't on meds and he was crazy as a, a bed bug. Um, then the captain of that unit called me and he said, so you got to come down here and do something with these, these two guys because uh, you know, he's complaining about the schizophrenic guy upsetting the other cellmate. So uh, I look up what the other cellmate was in for and what he had, why he was in the jail. And what he'd done is he snitched off uh, one of the Aryan Brotherhood gangs, which were one of the big gangs in the prison. And he had destroyed a uh, drug deal that they were putting on and they were furious. They wanted that guy dead so bad that they got in trouble on purpose to get thrown into the same cell block hoping to get mm -hmm. a chance at him. Yep. What they were doing is they were writing notes and throwing them under his door saying, uh, we're here, we're waiting for you. First chance we get, you're a dead man. So here they are housed in the same unit with him, you know, like maybe 150 feet apart uh, between the cell blocks. And they're out there roaming around. Now they never let them all out at once, but you know, they had these, I don't know. I, I saw it, but I, I, I could hardly believe it. What they would do is they they tie some uh, piece of paper onto a piece of string, and, mm -hmm. and they'd squash it down, and, and it was they called it a fish something or other. 
and then they'd throw it under their door and it would go all the way across the prison floor. And then when they pulled it out, it would kind of like get stuck on the door, break and leave the message in there. And then they'd pull the string back in. And all this happened within a period of about two seconds. Yeah. You know, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I, I was standing in the in the control room for the cell block and I see this. I'm like, whoa. You know, and I said, what was that? And uh, they said, oh, that's that, that their fish line I, or whatever they call it. I used to go visit a known murderer who was married to my aunt, and he described a very similar system at the Walla Walla Penitentiary. So I know exactly what you're talking. He told me went we went and sat in the visiting room with him. You know, he was the same thing. You know, white supremacist biker gang type guy, and he described almost identical system. They called it fishing, even the same word. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> oh, well. and Jerry. Yeah. You've made that metaphor before. You've said that it says sometimes as though the spirits are fishing. Yeah, yeah, they do. You know, they do. They, they do with all of us. And, and uh, if one thing doesn't work, they'll bait the hook and throw something else at you. But uh, what, what they do have is access to your entire mind. Yeah. You know, they can go in there and they can pull up memories that uh, the guy had forgotten you know, 15, 20 years ago. And rub it in his face. And you know, hey, remember when you did this, buddy? Wasn't that disgusting? Yeah, yeah. You know, humans are the only ones that beat themselves over the head. You know, or it appears that they beat themselves over the head. It's not them beating themselves over the head. It's these things beating them over the head. You know, what, what's so tricky about them is, and I found this out by, you know, there was one day I prayed. I said, I want to experience what these things sound like. I don't know if wow. you guys heard oh. that story. Have you heard that story? No, no please go ahead. Wow. You, you, so you prayed to, to, to understand what they were going through. Well, I, I, I prayed to understand what the voices were like, what they sounded like, you know, what, what it was like to hear them, because I, I'd never heard voices. Not, not like they were not, not like the psychotics were telling me they were hearing. Right. So, uh, you know, I was working at the state hospital and I'd come home. I lived on a lake. Uh, back then, Milledgeville was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was just absolutely in the middle of nowhere. So it was the biggest psychiatric hospital in the world, but it was in the middle of central Georgia. And the nearest city was 30 miles away. The nearest big town was 30 miles away. So it was in the middle of nowhere. But uh, living on a lake was consolation. So uh, I'd come home from work at, at night, and you know, working with schizophrenic was very frustrating. Because here's all these pieces of the puzzle, and 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 I didn't have a big picture. You know, it's like, okay, here's another piece. Where's it go? So I have all these loose pieces, you know, laying around, and and I need more pieces, and I I couldn't get them, and I didn't know how to get them. Uh, but I, it would help if I knew what these voices sounded like uh, in my own head. Now by that time, I was a certified scuba diver. I, I uh, I took both skin diving and, and scuba diving in, at Temple University. And that was a semester of each. And they weren't easy on us. You know, the, the final exam for the, the skin diving courses, you had to throw your mask and your snorkel uh, and fins and, and into this 30-foot deep diving well. And then you had to go down there with one breath of air, put all that stuff on, and, and come up to the window and show that you had all that stuff on. You know, and your mask was clear. Um, I'd pick one of wow. the bigger masks because I'd like the view, but I wasn't thinking about that I needed lung power to fill it. 
So mm-hmm. I only can empty it halfway and still have enough air to reach the surface. So I got a B instead of an A. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like a fish in the water. So I would get home from work and I'd, I'd wait until, you know, it was just about dark when all the motorboats were off the lake and I could go swim and the water was warm and, and smooth. And, um, you know, I hit, I hit a stride. I, I was, uh, I, I swam long distances at that time. And it hit a stride where I'd balance, you know, the amount of air that I was using with how much physical strength I was putting out. And it was like just balancing that. It was like a meditation kind of thing. And I just fell into that and it just kept going, going, going. And then I, I started feeling tired and I go, well, I wonder where I am. So I come up and it's, it's getting dark and I'm way out in the middle of the lake and I'm tired. And, uh, you know, I didn't have enough energy to get back, but it, it didn't bother me at all because they taught us in scuba class that, you know, the dead man's uh, emergency float, you, you put your hands behind your back and then you just take a breath and you, you kind of fall over like a dead man. You just float like a dead man. So your face is underwater, your back's up, your legs are dangling down, your arms are behind your back. And then when you run out of air, you bring your head up real fast, blow out all the air you got in your lungs and you start sinking right away. And before you go below the surface, it suck them, uh, another big breath in. So you can do that forever. It takes very little energy. So you're basically moving your head back and forth like that. So when you let the air out, you begin to sink. And, and then you bob back up again, and then you float on your back and you with your face in the water until you need air again, you repeat the process. Uh, and then one, on one of these where uh, I began sinking, here comes this, uh, I, I hit what they call the, um, the crush depth. So, uh, well, first it told me I was going to drown. You know, so I'm, I'm sinking, and here comes this voice in my head said, you're heading for the bottom, you're going to drown. And I'm like, where'd that come from? You know, that wasn't me. It wasn't mm-hmm. anything I'd say to myself. I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't the least worried about it. But I was sinking, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd pop back up again, take another breath, and uh, here comes this thing again. It, it goes, uh, um well, you're, 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 too far, uh, you're too far from the shore to make it back. You're too tired. That, that was true. Mm-hmm. And it goes, uh, and it's getting late and the lights are going off on the shore. And that was true. And then it goes, uh, and you can't see the shore. You might get disoriented. And it might take you all night to get back. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't take me all night to get back. I mean, but, you know, I, I, I'd lose my bearings, I mean, if you can't see the shore, it's like, uh, that makes things a little difficult. Um, and then it goes, uh, then you're going to drown. And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Mm-hmm. So I went back into dead man's float because I had to get, get the energy back to rest up to get to swim back to shore. So I, you know, I did have to rest up. So as I'm sinking, here's this thing comes again and it goes, so uh, you're sinking, you're going to drown. So what I did is I let air out on purpose, you know, so I'm sinking and then instead of bobbling back up, I went, screw this thing. And I just started sinking faster. So I had to clear my ears because the pressure was, and then you hit what they call the crush depth. So your lungs get squashed by the water pressure and you're no longer buoyant. So you, you, you sink slowly for a while, for a while, and then, then you hit that crush depth and you sink real fast because you're no longer buoyant. You're now got negative buoyancy. 
Wow. Total negative buoyancy. But I've experienced that a million times before. But because this thing was talking to me, it freaked me out when all of a sudden I started sinking real fast. So I headed back to the surface. Mm. And when I got to the surface, it goes, well, you're far from the surface. Run into this yes set again. And it's a psychological yes set that salesmen use. You know, and, and what it is, it's like, you know, you give them four questions. Yes, 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 yes. And then, you know, do you want to buy this thing? Right. You know? So instead of wanting to buy this thing, this thing was sticking it and you're going to drown. And I'm like, you know, that's so far into me. I mean, it was picking on the very worst person it could pick on. It was trying to convince them that they were going to drown. I mean, that was the worst subject. So uh, here it comes. It runs through the list again. And uh, it says, and you're panicking. You know, you came up from, you came up real fast, you're panicking. I'm like, panicking hell. You know, I knew what it was before I even broke the surface. So I had to go, I needed more air again. So I did it again, come up, I'm sinking again. I let the air out and I go past the crush depth and I keep sinking, you know, balancing the pressure in my ears. And then I feel this cold, something coming up my legs real fast. I mean, you could just feel it. It was like just coldness blah, 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 coming all the way up my legs. And I'm like, boom, shot to the surface because this was getting real weird at this point. Oh, yeah. And even before, even before I got to the surface, I knew what it was. That was a thermal farm. It's a, a layer of cold water that sinks from the surface and usually sits on the bottom and rests there because it's heavier than the warmer water above. So even before I got to, to the surface, I knew what it was. It came up for air anyway. And here the thing again and yapping in my head, oh, you're panicking. Yeah, look, you came up from the surface real fast. Now and you're far from the shore and, and, and you're panicking and, and, and you're tired and you're done and you're going to drown. And I'm like, what the hell is this thing? You know, and it didn't even, it didn't even, I, I didn't even associate what I prayed for a week or two ahead with this, you know. Right, but right. I, but, but I knew it wasn't me. And I, I'm like, what is this? You know, what the hell is this? So, I was going to spite it. I mean, I wasn't going to, whatever it was, I was going to throw back in its face whatever was thrown at me. So here I go down again, let the air out and sink real fast, go through the thermocline. But what was weird is this thermocline wasn't all the way on the bottom. It was still floating about maybe 10 feet above the bottom. So I went through it, you know, and that was weird because every other thermocline I ever went through sat on the bottom. I've never encountered one that was floating above the bottom, uh, but I knew what it was. I went through it. And then all of a sudden I've started feeling something crawling up my, my foot and ankle. And, you know, I, I don't even know how deep I was down 25 feet, maybe 30 feet. I don't know. Uh, but I felt that you know, thing, some ookies crawling up my leg and I'm like shot for the surface again. You know, by the time I got there, I re even before I got there, I realized what it was. It was the muck at the bottom of the lake. But I didn't yeah. think the, le the, the lake had muck because as far out as I could get from where I lived, it was rock. So I thought the whole bottom was rock. I didn't know there was muck out there. But, you know, I, I realized what it was, got to the top. This thing started in again. Oh, look, you're panicking. You're going to, you know, you're going to drown. And, you know, and then it goes, and you're going to get hit by this motorboat. You know, what motorboat? I didn't hear any motorboat. And I look off in the distance, and there's this motorboat coming. In, and it's coming right at you, it says. And I'm looking, and I'll be damned if there isn't a motorboat coming right in my direction. I could see the green and white light on it. And, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, 
Oh, okay. Well, I dealt with that before. I mean, I've had to dive under boats that were getting too close and hug the bottom. So it's nothing I hadn't done before. I wasn't worried about it, but uh, I, I stayed up to keep an eye on it. And here's this thing going, they can't see you. They can't see you. They're going to hit you and they're going to grind you to pieces. You're just going to be a piece of hamburger meat out here. And I'm like, what the hell is this thing? You know, because it wasn't me. You know, and I'm watching this motorboat go by and it came by 15, 20 feet away. And sure enough, they didn't see me. And, and I'm watching as it, as it passed and I'm you know, breathing in. I'm going, oh, wow, that was close. And I wasn't paying attention to the wake. So I go to turn around. I have my mouth open. I'm taking in air and this weight just goes over my entire head while I'm taking every mouthful of yeah. air. And I started coughing and spitting up water and like, <laughs> here it comes. You're drowning. You're on your way down. You're going to die. You're going to drown. And I'm like, what the hell is this thing? You know, so it's like, you're going to drown. You're going to drown. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, headed back down to the bottom again after I rested up, head back down to the bottom again. My foot, feet stuck in the mud. It was fast boiler warm, you know, so I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't hear anything. I mean, it was pitch black down there. It was like you couldn't, there was no light getting in down there. I mean, it was pitch black. My feet were stuck in this warm, ooky mud, and I was floating above the bottom like I was dead, you know. And uh, it, it was one of the peak experiences of my life because I was scared, so I wasn't thinking anything. I wasn't hearing anything. I wasn't feeling anything. All, all, all input was off. You know, the sight, the sound, the smell, the, the movement, everything was off. It was turned off. And all there was, was I am what I am. I am, I am, I am. That's it. I am. Mm -hmm. you know, that's it. That's all that's there. I am. The, the consciousness, you know. And, and that's like, wow, that's what's below. That's what's inside, behind all of these senses and all this sensory input and all this garbage that you, it's, it's this silent I am. And it only lasted for as long as I could hold my breath, which was maybe another 15 or 20 seconds, but I'll never forget it because that's what's there. That's what's underneath all this crap that we're being bombarded with. That's what's underneath all the, all the sight and the sound and the, and the, and the constant bombardment. It's a silent I am, that just an awareness that is aware that it's aware. You know, it was a really interesting experience. Um, and that's what the drugs are keeping us from doing is, is yeah. connecting with our I am. It's, it's keeping that distance that we can't get control of ourselves enough to even of our souls. Cause we don't even like, people don't even think they have them. They, they don't think they're spiritual beings. They don't think yeah. they're souls. Well, well so, that's, that's the beef I have with psychology and psychiatry. Exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. This yes. is, this is what you are. Exactly. You're denying what you are. And that's yes. what the medications are, are getting you to deny, to get that separation to keep you weak so that something else can control. That's my, that's, this is what I keep coming back to over and over again with these meds. Cause I was on 22 when I got off of them and not all psych meds, but. What were you on? Oh, um, I was diagnosed with a pituitary adenoma, but I had, I was on benzos and, and uh, a whole myriad of things for, mm. for uh, migraines and, 
opiates and all, all sorts of things. I, I honestly, I, I have to go back and check of which kinds they were. They, they just dumb you down, but, especially yeah. with dentists. They just dumb you down. You're, you're, you're not, you're not fully alive. Yeah, I wasn't on those for very long, but that's that's exactly what it did. It made you zombified, so you couldn't react. You couldn't um, defend. You know, yeah, you couldn't defend, and 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 also you're not relying on your own coping skills. You're relying on the medications to to just cover up what's brewing underneath, and it just makes things worse. That, that is exactly those meds. They don't cure anything. You know, they're just treating symptoms and. and they got people believing that that's the only way to do stuff. Yeah. Right. So when I got off of everything, I, my wife, brilliant, genius woman that she is, um, you know, I'm trying to rebuild my brain because I, I am, you know, I knew I was a smart guy when I was younger, but I felt stupid for years. I'm like, I couldn't get out of my own. I couldn't grab a coherent thought for years. Like it just, you know, it'd be there and then it'd be gone and they'd be there and they'd be gone. And that's how I was. I just felt numbed here. Like my brain just was, it just wasn't working. So I had heard this um, Canadian doctor talking about how your brain is made of fats and cholesterols. So she goes in and digs into um, the ketogenic high fat, clean, diet. And I did that for maybe two months and it was amazing. It was just like the lights went back on hmm. after only, only a few months of that. And then low, low carbs and high fat. Yes. Low carbs and high fats. Now I'm, I've, I've more balanced it out now, but to get that, that brain capacity back it, and it still hasn't come. I still have like weird ticks and shit, I think that are still there, you know, but, um, but it's made a huge, huge, and I couldn't recommend it more for anybody to get off of your medications, do whatever you have to do to do that. I mean, I, obviously I'm no, I'm no doctor. I'm not telling somebody to go off their psych meds because, because I'm going to be suit or something no, no, but you don't you don't want to go off of those so it's like no. all at once that's the last thing you want to do is go off them all at once no no, no. it's it was it's very dangerous what i'm saying is that, is that a process this was a, a process of a long time and some of those was the hardest one was clonopin yep they had me yeah. on on that for for a long time because i was having seizures at night go figure i have a thing in my brain that's giving me seizures. So well, that's one of the things that cover up the effects of the other drugs. But that's the one that they use that all the time yep. with the psych drugs. Yep. Benzo. Yeah. Benzodiazepines are, are one of the worst drugs on the, on the face of the planet. I want to really encourage you two guys to get together in person since you're right there. Because Gordy's got yeah, stories that we can't, we can't dive deep into Gordy's stories and continue to let you. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. I don't mean on. that. No, no, I don't mean you that. I just really, because you're both there, to me, that's a that's like a little point of light on the map because you guys can really have a lot of insight for each other. You know, there, there's, there's a lot you guys could talk about. <laughs> yeah. I will say the conversations, not like a, not like a live broadcast. No, yeah. you know, do, do you guys want to get back onto the patterns? 
Yes, oh, yeah, I mean, I I'm wanna, sorry. I, I want to thank you for, for telling us that story of praying for an experience of the voices and then giving us this mystical account of your experience in the middle of a dark lake where you actually found the essence of I am. I can't thank you enough, man. I'll, yeah. I'll, that'll never leave me. I'm gonna, I might go clip that out of this uh, recording and, and just play it back to myself sometimes. Well, yeah, you know what the result was when I told one of the psychologists in the PhD program that story? I was labeled uh, schizoaffective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was uh-huh. furious. Of I was absolutely furious. I was like, these people don't know their butts from a hole in the ground. What the <laughs> hell am I doing here? Yeah. Alan, Alan, drop that quote on Jerry. Yeah, the, the quote from Joseph Campbell in the book Psychology of the Future, he says, the psychotic drowns in the same waters in which the mystic swims with delight. And as you're telling us the story, swimming down to the mucky muck and the voices you heard down there just fit perfectly with that quote. Have you heard that quote before? And No, no, but I can relate to it. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> I can relate to it. It's a spectrum. You know, and this so is Mr. Marzinski, yeah. are you a mystic? Uh, mystic. I guess I, I, you could label me a mystic or a shaman because uh, I'm not working in the same areas that, with the patients I'm working with. I'm, I'm not working in the same areas as psychologists and psychiatrists are. This is a totally different reality that these, and you know, it's it's really interesting to to work with schizophrenics who have, you know, they, they contact me through the, the website and uh, uh, arrange the, to work with them. And, uh, they, you know, some of them are recovering so quickly. You know, they work in so hard and they're, re- they're recovering so quickly. Uh, and, and it's so rewarding to, to, to be able to talk to them. And they know, I know more than they do about their voices and, and explain these things. Okay, this is what you have to do when the, when they do this and when they do this, you have, this is how you counter it. And, and, and they're, they're learning how to do it themselves and they're freeing themselves because nobody else can do it for them. Even if they get a shaman or, or an exorcist to throw these things out, if they don't, if they don't learn how to do this themselves and, and change their own frequency to a higher frequency and get on a positive spiritual path and stay there, they're shot, they're gone. You know, and that's what happens with the, the, the exorcist they a lot of times they'll get rid of these things and the person doesn't change you know that now the room is empty and and they come back you know if if they don't increase their frequency and begin to start moving on a positive spiritual path which is like a you know it's like tear gas to these these voices um they're going to come back once you teach them it's like you teach a fisher uh, a guy to fish he can he can take care of himself. You teach a guy how to get rid of these voices on their own. And this is free. You don't have to pay psychiatry millions and millions of dollars. You, you know what they're making between psychiatry and big pharma a year? Uh, 200 and I think $35 billion. So here, here's uh, psychiatry invents all these fake, you know, diagnoses. And here's the, the, Demons and, and big pharma come up behind them. And, oh, we got a drug for this. If you have these symptoms and everybody's got these symptoms, you know, you can go through that DSM and you'll have symptoms of every single one of those things because we're all part of the human race and we're all on the same normal curve. You got, you know, the, the, the two in 10 percenters there 
but most people are in the middle to one degree or another. Right. And they've they've turned virtually everything into a mental illness. It, it's ridiculous yeah. what they've mm-hmm. turned everything, right. virtually everything, into a mental illness. And now they're selling drugs to dumb the whole top top planet down. It's nuts. It's crazy. Yeah, Jerry, are you are you familiar with um, Dr. Andrew Kaufman? Yeah, I know him personally. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we that's talked a, to, we've talked a few times. That's awesome. Uh, have can you maybe have you ever communicated with him on his success with um, medicinal turpentine? Yeah, yeah. He says he's getting good good success with it. You know, it's got to be the the real pure stuff on the on the. You know, there's a whole list of uh, things. What what he said was interesting was that if there's physical parasites, there's also mental parasites. Yeah, now, buddy. I yeah. don't know how to prove that, but I found it a very interesting concept. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that uh, that's awesome that you guys are in communication. That makes me incredibly happy. Uh, yeah, have you uh, I have you ever heard of using absinthe? Acid? Uh, absinthe. It's oh, absinthe. Absinthe. It, it, yeah, that's a real strong form of alcohol. Yeah. yeah why, why would you want to use that shit? I've heard that it has the. <laughs> I've heard that it has the same effect with uh, parasites. No, oh, I don't know. I know it is strong. I had it once. I've uh-huh. heard of it for a long mm-hmm. time. But you know, it's it was rendered illegal for a hundred years. Really? And only recently uh, they they've brought it back under certain regulations. But I'm quite sure that there's a lot to be discovered. Uh, excuse me if I'm yelling. I'm sure there's a lot to be discovered uh, between turpentine, medicinal turpentine, and proliferating that because that was an old, that was actually the only cure that slaves were allowed to have. Wow. That was wow. all they were allowed to have. Wow. And then um, around 100 years ago, absinthe, there was a big debacle in Europe. Somebody was drunk and uh, killed their family, and they made it all about the absinthe. Uh, and then they it became illegal for a hundred years. So uh, that's well, something. The same, the same thing with Tesla's violet ray. Yeah, know? please tell us more about that. The violet ray, violet, right. not violent, violet. violet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got I've got two of them here. You can get them from the Edgar Casey Foundation. Oh, okay. Uh, where you can mm-hmm. they were they were outlawed at the same time that uh, they outlawed uh, naturopathy and everything else though, back in the thirties. You know, doctors were using them all the time. Um, and you can feel them charge you up. I mean, you, you can feel it. Um, so they, they cured a lot, of, a lot of different things, but uh, they made them illegal. The, the FDA made them illegal. The FDA is in a, in a fortress with shoot-to-kill orders all around it. It's weird. Why would they need to be in a fort with shoot-to-kill orders around it? You know, Wow. They're, all, they're, they're all in cahoots. They're all in friggin' cahoots. The friggin' drug companies run them all. The, you know, yeah. Pfizer runs the FDA. They, mm-hmm. they, they run the CDC. They, they run all of those. You know, they paid off two-thirds of Congress and, and two-thirds of the Senate. They've taken significant amounts of money from the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. industry. That's why mm-hmm. we have the highest-priced drugs virtually in the world, you know, thanks to our good friends in Big Pharma and, and the corrupt uh, politicians. Yeah, if you say that out loud, nobody you're the 
you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. This is, it's out in the open. Oh, it's plain as day. It's just plain as day. Yeah, what's but, it going to take for people to wake up? I don't know. I don't get it. I just don't know. Uh, right now, I'm seeing people wake up uh, and fall asleep at, at a higher rate, both. I see people going deeper under the, the subconscious delusion and people coming out of it at the same time ever since all this. Uh, well, we all know what's going on. We don't say it out loud, uh, the, the specific uh, pandemic that we're in, because YouTube's algorithms kind of pick on shows that uh, take a focus on it. But um, yeah, I already I'm, I'm got seeing... thrown off of Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, they threw me off. Well, I mean, that's, these are their platforms. That's what we're, a lot of us are developing our own platforms so that we have some place to be when these places become too restrictive, you know. The, the times that roadways get uh, uh, kicked off is when they, they're doing healing stuff. Uh-huh. Health and wellness stuff, like, gets axed immediately. Wow, yep. wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because I want to, I wanted to say, Jerry. I thought from other interviews I'd heard that uh, I remembered that you'd had success uh, to help people with their voices with the violet ray, and also with using a rubber band to slap on the wrist. And also, I remember oh, your um, the no system, or no, not that's not true. The woman you were true. working with, I've used that myself because sometimes I, you know, I get uh, what they call intrusive thoughts. And that's not true really works. You know, you're just yeah. kind of pedal, pedaling your bicycle or you're riding on the bus and you get this completely intrusive, uh, unbelievably graphic and horrible thought. And sometimes I would just kind of have to, to deal with it or just kind of wait or mm-hmm. try to rationalize my way out of it. But if you just say, especially I'll say it out loud if there's no one around, that's not true. And it really gives this, this <laughs> moment of peace. It's, it's a pattern interrupt. It really works. Yeah. 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 See, that was developed by Sherry. Uh, it, it was weird how, how we met. Um, both of us were into prison reform uh, for different reasons. And uh, I developed this computer-assisted program for the state of Arizona that I got the Meritorious Service Award for. But they, you know, they threw the thing down the trash. It took me years to develop it. My wife's a computer programmer, so it was a computer-assisted program where we had all these different programs on drug abuse, alcohol, codependency, uh, parenting, all these things that we'd print out our own booklets. We'd hand them out to the inmate. They'd bring them back the next week for a test and the computer, they'd sit down on an old old IBM computer and it would administer a test to them. It would then score it and it would data bank. So it took no staff time to administer the test, score it and data bank. It. So right. we, were, we, we were teaching hundreds of inmates about substance abuse and alcoholism and codependency and, and how to control their tempers and da, da, da. And, and they'd come in and they just, you know, took them 10 or 15 minutes to take the test. They couldn't cheat on it because they cheated on everything else we tried to measure on them. But uh, we had two encrypted passwords. And, and when we got it bulletproof and, and it, it, we proved it could work, it, it started spreading all over the, all over the state and all the prisons all over the state. Next thing I found out, the lazy counselors were turning over the encrypted passwords and the running of the programs to the prisoners. And of course, they were stealing the answers and they were selling them to other prisoners for store. You know, oh, right. I can get cooks and da, 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 da. So they turned it into one of the biggest corruption uh, systems there was. And the prison didn't care because they're so freaking corrupt that 
as long as they were getting these numbers and it appeared like they were actually doing something, that's all they cared about. They didn't care whether it was valid or not. So since I developed it, I went up to the head in Phoenix, the head of substance abuse up there. And I said, listen, this is happening in a whole number of units. It's got to be stopped. You've turned one of the best programs you've ever had into one of the, the, the biggest uh, reinforcers of, of psychopathic behavior that you could have in a prison system. And you're rewarding these people for it on top of it. You know, and, and it's like, uh, you, you got to stop it. And, and this woman who was the head of that division said, no, you don't tell us what to do. We tell you what to do. You know, I said, no, not in this case. This software is patented in my wife's name. You don't own it. You didn't create it. I didn't create it. I'm not a programmer. You either run these programs the way they're supposed to run or you shut them down. You know what she did? She shut them down. Thousands and thousands of inmates could have been helped. She threw it all out the window. And then I stopped supporting the rest. Yeah. Wow. That's, That's what I got the Meritorious thing. Service Award for. <laughs> wow. No, wow. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's sad but true. People, uh, they, uh, they're, they're, they really struggle with being genuinely responsible for things. Like you said, the counselors just get lazy and they yeah. leave, the, leave the gate wide open. When yeah. really you do, uh, do you still have the code? Does your wife still have the code? Oh, it, it's it was on old IBMs. Yeah, it, it, it's still around somewhere, but I don't even think it run on modern day computers. You know, right. this was this was uh, back when the old IBMs were out, and they weren't even color monitors. You know, right. But uh, yeah, it worked. It worked fine. I mean, I come home and I go, well, they're beating it this way. We need to put in some code that'll stop this thing. You know. So we had it bulletproof. They could not cheat on it because they were good at cheating on stuff. I'll tell you, you know, yeah. you should see before that when we had the paper and pencil test. Oh, man, they had answers written on their hands. They had answers written inside of their clear ballpoint pens. They had, you know, signals that they'd give each other. I mean, it was incredible. They cheated yeah. on everything. <laughs> but they couldn't beat this thing. And when you made them learn it, they actually got something out of it and they appreciated it. They started stealing the booklets to take home to their wives and go, hey, look what I learned. That's good. I thought it was good they were stealing the booklets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that means they were worth something to them. So what are the, what are the other things on the list that you've got that well, they were the, talking uh, about? The energetic draining of the victims. You know, every time the voices come, their energy level drops. And it drops significantly after the voices attacked me. Um, and, and there was one point where I actually did, I got graphs around here somewhere where it was a one to 10 scale. Of how, how much energy did you have in the scale of one to 10 before the voices came? And how much did you have when, after the voices came? And consistently, it was a major drop after the voices came. So at some point, schizophrenics are going to feel drained. Their energy is going to be gone. Another pattern. You know, mm. It's just like the mm -hmm. deep state. You know, they keep hitting us. It gets hitting us. Keep hitting us, and you know, it's it's like after a while, you're just saying your energy is just drained. Oh, you got to wear a mask now. Now you can't go to restaurants, and now you got to stay in your house, and now you got to get a passport. Da, 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 da. You know, you're just drained after that. You know? uh, another thing that's interesting is they get louder after sunset. Consistent. Yeah. I've heard that too. And full moons, correct? Yeah, full moons. You know, I worked in the emergency room the last 10 years that I worked uh, doing psych crisis. And 
yeah, when there was a full moon, we knew we were in for it. And sure enough, you know, the full moon does have something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, I first encountered this when I was uh, doing psych work at an uh, old folks home. We were dealing with old, older people, which, they, you know, those drugs really, really do damage to them. It really does damage to those older people. You know, they, they're already demented and, and, and these psych drugs finish them off, but it keeps them calm and con under control. And they had something they called the sundowner syndrome, where mm -hmm. when the sun would go down, all these old folks in these old, old folks homes would start acting out. So they douse them down with antipsychotic drugs and give them a chemical lobotomy, which even destroyed their nervous system worse. Um, number six is they get louder when they're ignored. So uh, <laughs> just like the deep state. Mm. You know, the psychiatrist, I heard them over and over again. They tell these patients, oh, just ignore the voices. They're hallucinations. Just ignore them. No, they won't be ignored. And they get louder if they're ignored, consistently get louder. They refuse to be ignored. Uh, they foster self-destructive behavior in, in all different kinds of ways. You know, uh, you, you name it. They're, they're telling the person to do something that's destructive to his own, own end. Um, they foster isolation. You know, they tell them, uh, uh, don't tell anybody about us. They'll think you're crazy. Uh, they'll lock you up, which is, which is unfortunately true. Um, don't trust anybody. They're after you. They're, they're mm -hmm. out to get you. Uh, people are talking behind your back. So uh, they don't want the schizophrenic to have any positive relationship at all with anybody, not their parents, yeah. not their wife, not their girlfriend, not their friends. They want to completely isolate them and, and to themselves. And, and that's exactly what the deep state is doing to us right now. You know, oh, you can't meet you got to have masks. You, 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 you can't talk. You, you, you know, uh, don't dare uh, stand up to them. Uh, you know, you can't go to church. Or you, you can't. You know, they're, they're trying. They're they're turning us against one of against one another. Mm -hmm. They're fostering isolation money, yeah. and that's exactly what the voices do to schizophrenics. Uh, they demand the attention of their victims. You know, you, you, you can't ignore them. They demand your attention. Um, and, and that's what the mainstream media is doing too. I mean, you turn on the, the television, you turn on the radio. Hey, COVID, you're going to die from COVID. You're going to die from COVID. You're going to die from COVID too. And you got to put that mask on and you better hide yourself and don't be back from the public and don't get it. Oh. Oh, it's, a good, it's a very good parallel. It's true. Yeah, it's one to that one. We're and being we're, treated like we're all schizophrenics hearing voices. Yeah, like uh, less than human beings, you know, we got to, we got to control you, we got to bring you under control, take these drugs, take these drugs, we'll control you with these drugs. It's global gaslighting. Yeah, yep. it's worse than that. They, they say these things are really toxic, you know, this graphene yeah. oxide stuff they're putting in there. Yeah. Uh, they maneuver for increased control over the victims. That's the voices are constantly doing that. And what's the deep mm -hmm. state doing over with us in the mainstream media? Control. The same exact thing, maneuvering for increased control. Let, let's see if they'll tolerate this. If they tolerate that, let's see what else we can right. do. You know, the gaslighting, you know, the constant gaslighting. The voices do that all the time. The deep state is doing that all the time. You know, they manipulate perception. You know, they, they tell you what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. Or, yeah. or what you think is not what you think. Or 
well, up is down or down is up or, you know, right is wrong and wrong is right. I mean, they're constantly manipulating perception. And that's what the voices are doing. That's what the mainstream media is doing. They, you know, they have complete access to the schizophrenic's memory. You know, and uh, what the deep state's doing is they have complete access to history. So they, they rewrite history. You know, mm-hmm. Look what they're doing. They're tearing down yeah. Robert E. Lee's statue. They're, 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 they're changing the meaning of, of, of the history. They banned the Confederate flags. They're tearing down statues in the national parks. They're, and they, know, have, they know all our searches on our phones. Yeah, yeah. They know what we're saying right now if they wanted to. Absolutely. Bunch of buzzards. <laughs> they demand the victim not tell others about their presence. It reminds me of friggin' Hillary Clinton. They don't tell anybody. We murdered 37 people this thing, you know, so far. Don't tell <laughs> so they demand the victim not tell uh, tell people about their, their voices. Then they go, you tell you tell people that you hear voices talking to you, they're gonna lock you up and they're gonna take you to the psychiatrist and they're gonna drug you and you're gonna be locked up and stop be damned if that doesn't happen. Yeah, yep, sure does. Now, you know, this. The, what was interesting, and, and a lot of them would react to uh, being stung on the wrist by a rubber band would shut up the voices with a lot of these guys. But I, I ran into one or two where the voices just mocked them. You know, when they snapped the rubber band, the voices started laughing at them and going, Oh, you think that's going to stop us? Well, how about it? You know? So it's weird that it affects some of the voices. It doesn't affect, it doesn't affect others. Uh, number 16, they're consummate liars. You can't trust them to tell you the truth about anything. You can't, keep, they, you can't trust that they're going to keep any bargain. You know, I've had uh, one patient where the voices told them if he poked out his eye, they would leave forever. So he gouged out his eye and they, they came back for worse than ever saying, you stupid jerk, you listen to us. You know, that's, you, that's what you get for listening to us. See how stupid you are? Now you're deformed for the rest of your life because you listen to us. Ha ha ha. Wow. That's, that's wow. the kind of entities these things are. And they tried that with another one who didn't do it. I heard, I heard that one. You know, so wow. they're liars, just like the mainstream media. You can't yep. believe anything those buzzards are telling. Mm-hmm. Everything is colored to, to, to what they think your perception should be. The voices get louder when ignored. Same thing with the mainstream media. You ignore them, they start screaming louder. The voices consistently steer their victim away from anything that might generate joy or peace. Look at what the mainstream media are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the voices do the same thing. Um, the, the short-circuiting of reason. You know, the voices short-circuits, short-circuits the patient's reason. You know, like he believes everybody's out to kill him. There's people chasing him. The government's shining satellite beams down on him, reading his mind, all that kind of stuff. You know, their reason is, is pretty well shot. And, and look at these fools on, on mainstream media. You know, what they're broadcasting. I mean, just totally, totally friggin' unreasonable, uh, demanding that the entire population take an experimental medication that the drug companies are not uh, responsible for. You know, no matter how many people die from it, the drug companies aren't responsible. That's you know, right. It's in, it's in the That's way. Right. You know? That's right. And then they're forcing it on people. I mean, what's with the push? There's no other medication. There's no other vaccine that ever has been pushed this hard. And there's never been as many people who have died from it. You know, back in the, you know, the uh, chicken pox or, or 
any of those other vaccines, if, if 10 or 15 people died, they'd take it off the market. Look at you. Now you've got thousands dying and they're still pushing it. They yeah, remember when 47,000 people have died from that stuff worldwide so far. Remember when coercion was illegal? Like, co- coercion. Oh, coercion. You know, mm. like it used to be a bad thing. Now, now it's almost like a virtue. It's the rule number one of the Nuremberg Code. Yeah. It's in there. Like Same thing, rule, number five, rule number five is that um, if there's a potential for death, that the caretakers have to take it first. Well, yeah. that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's good that a lot of uh, a lot of these hospital staff are resigning. You know, yes. they're, they're bringing in, you know, people from other countries to work there, too. I mean, it, it's incredible what they're doing, forcing these people and the army and the, and the armed forces. You know, mm. who's, who's to tell whether these people are going to live another three years with that stuff in them? Yeah. You know, uh, just a quick side note, not to bring the vibe down or anything, but uh, somebody in that we know uh, she, she woke up last week and her husband was dead in the bed. And that's horrible. Uh, it's horrible, horrible as it is standing alone. But the worst part just to, I mean, twist the knife is due to their religious affiliations. They don't really do any autopsy. And they, you know, they put him in the ground right away. It's a priority to get him in the ground. Mm-hmm. So there's no looking back. And well, that's they should, you know, just blame it on, on coronavirus or whatever and pass it off. They, they were pretty good about watching out for one another. And yeah, but true. It's true. It, well, they really it. watch each other's back and all of these hierarchical bureaucracies. Everyone I've ever seen, there's a... Uh, tacit agreement of dishonesty, coercion, and uh, deflection, and ganging up together and making up stories and all that stuff. You know. Yeah. 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 That's that's uh that's really true. Unfortunately, I've seen them. I've seen them protect each other. Really, really, they do a good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Jerry, I have a question because I remember you described some of the um, successful cases as uh. Like having now, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I listened to a lot of your interviews. Um, but it was like you had uh, communicated with the vo- voices and convinced them to go back into the light, and then they would go away. Is that right? No, that was interesting. No, that was really interesting. Really. Um, let me see, I found I found other people saying the same thing, and it made me think of you because I heard you say it first. Yeah, I was. And then I've heard other. Yeah. Yeah, I was experimenting with that. But uh, one last thought on the, on the what these guys are doing with these vaccines. If if the, your boss threatens you, anybody who's listening, if they threaten you, you make them fire you. Mm-hmm. You make them fire you. Make them give you a letter as to why you're being fired. And you take that with you. Don't just quit. Make them fire you. Yep. There's one, one nurse. She showed up and the, they said, what are you doing here? And she said, well, you didn't fire me and I didn't quit, so I'm still here. You know, make them fire you and That's get right. a written letter as to why they're firing you. Because sooner or later, this is going to come back and bite them. And if you have that written document, somebody's going to pay for that eventually. 
You know, it is. There's a lot of people working behind the scenes to preserve the integrity of what we do have on the affirmative side of our society. It's not not everybody's just rolling over and playing dead here. And there's a lot of people that are working to to just try to be honest, upright, and true. A lot. I know a lot of people that are uh, they're just dumb. That's why I said a lot of people are waking up at the same time. A lot of people are going deeper to sleep. There's a lot of people I know that would have never considered any of these uh, angles or approaches. But now they're they kind of they're on fire, you know. They're like, hey, this isn't right. They're they're waking up, you know, to the yeah. fact that the, there's a push. They're trying to bribe people with uh, with free donuts and booze and uh, lottery oh, yeah. systems and lottery tickets and everything. Juice. I mean, yeah, there, there it's was just crazy. One that, that was offering a hundred dollars for every shot they took. That's I mean, crazy. That's coercion. Yeah, bribes yeah. aren't coercion. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're flying in the face of the Nuremberg Code. That's for sure. It doesn't seem to phase them. But you you asked a question about. Uh, uh, the well, I was thing. just curious about yeah, because I mean the idea to the the main thing I guess uh, from anybody listening, if you know if you suffer with any of these problems or know people that are, um, this gentleman here, Jerry Marzinski, and the people he's working with are having success in permanently changing the condition. Okay, so that's to me that's that's the most important takeaway from your work mm-hmm. is that you're having success, um, allowing people to gain freedom. The one gentleman I'm friends with him on Facebook, he had uh, I don't remember his name, but uh, he had induced uh, schizophrenia by methamphetamine abuse. He was a homosexual man, and he's still having some voices. He said, but he he's having su- he's having a successful life again. And I, I came from North Sacramento where there was lots of people on methamphetamines. And I know lots and lots of people who drove themselves crazy the same way with that drug. So the idea that there's hope, not just for people who are diagnosed, but also people who have maybe run themselves off a cliff with chemical abuse, that there's hope is a really big deal. It's a big deal. I mean, that's, and there's, I've not found anyone else, Jerry. You're the only one I've found saying, hey, we have success. And so to me, that's important, you know. Absolutely. That's God's work, man. Yeah, there is a cure. Um, what, I, what I did start doing was working with patients again, but prior to, to maybe six months ago, I was more invested with getting this information out. You know, and, and then people started contacting me and saying, hey, you know, you still take patients. And I hadn't thought about it, so you know, I did. And what was interesting is, uh, you know, back to your question, uh, is working with the, the light and, and the voices. What, what's interesting is what you can imagine vividly in the voices of the world actually appears in their world. You know, um, I was reading some stuff about somebody who, who was doing something like that. So in the ER, what I had to do was get rid of those voices and shut them up because otherwise I couldn't get any information out of the the patient because they were coming in raw they were coming in on drugs they were coming in drugged up they were coming in with alcohol they were coming in psychotic i mean they were they were as dangerous as they could be you know they're mm-hmm. coming into the er fully drugged up and hearing voices you know so in order to find out exactly what was going on and, and whether they needed to be hospitalized or not i had to shut up the voices temporarily and I saw it that if I imagined that uh, duct tape was being wrapped around the, the, the voices' heads and uh, their lips were sealed shut, if I imagined that vividly enough, 
the voice has shut up and I can now reach the patient and, and get some information from him. But it was funny, then one time I did that and uh, I asked the, the patient, okay, uh, are, are the voices shut up? And he goes, and I didn't tell him what I was doing in my head. You know, I just, I just kind of closed my eyes, imagined this. And then when I was done imagining, I said, okay, they shut up. And in, a, in almost all cases, they say, yeah, yeah, they shut up. But in one case, the guy went, no, they didn't shut up. They're, they're going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm well. like, ain't that interesting? You know, because he didn't know what I was doing. Right. You know, and they stopped talking at that point. Uh, but yeah, what you imagine. And, and I was working with a patient last week where I told him that's one of the exercises he could do uh, to kind of shut them up. And what he did was he, he told me he imagined a big cotton ball in their mouth. And uh, he said that they couldn't talk with the big cotton ball in their mouth. So nice. th it's interesting that what we think and what we experience, we can project into that world and it becomes real in that world. Wow. So, so what, what I was doing uh, back then was, uh, again, experimenting with prisoners and we'd get the voice and, and talk them and, and, and the, you know, the voice, the voice is basically, I, I, I would speak to them for a short a, a period of time. There was uh, maybe six months or so where I was speaking to them and, and carrying on conversations with them in, in the patient's head. And then I got this strong feeling that I shouldn't be doing that anymore. And I, I don't know where that came from, but it was like, okay, you, you know what they are. You've spoken to them. It, it's like, don't be doing that anymore. And, and there was just this strong feeling that I shouldn't do it. And then, then I stopped it. But while the time I was doing that, uh, I, I would ask the voice, I said, the, the voices told me they were assigned to destroy the patient. They were, and if they didn't destroy the patient, then they would go down to some place called the pit. And whatever that was, it must have been horrible because they all knew about the pit. Uh, so if they didn't succeed in destroying the patient or if they got caught uh, as voices and not the person's thoughts, then they were punished. So they were actually punished if one of us found that they were not the patient's thoughts, but a separate entity. The voice that got caught would be punished and thrown into the pit. So once I knew that, it would be like, uh, I, I had some form of coercion over them. Uh, I would tell them, well, you know, you've been told you don't have any light. So, so whoever their bosses are, tell, tell them they have no light inside, that they're completely dark inside. And they believe that. And uh, I would meet with the voices and say, okay, well, let's go. Let's, uh, let's go inside you and look. And then I imagined that we were going down into this darkness. And I would ask the voice, I said, do you see any light yet? And they go, no. Okay, and let's go further. Do you see any light yet? No. Okay, let's go further. See any light? And they go, yeah, yeah, I see this dim, dim orange light. I said, okay, let's go down to the dim orange light. This is all happening mentally. And uh, I go down to the dim orange light. And I said, I thought your uh, boss told you you didn't have any light. And what was interesting is he got furious. They all got furious when they found out that they had that dim light inside and that they were lied to about having light inside. They got furious at whoever their boss was. And I found that very strange. I, it's like... Uh, why would they do that? They, I mean, these things were scumbags. You know, why would they be serious about being lied to uh, when they were liars themselves? I mean, they were all in there together. Uh, 
So what I would do is encourage the boys, like say, uh, uh, stick your hand in there. And they go, no, no, it'll burn me. I'd say, no, it won't burn you. Stick your hand in there. So they'd stick their hand in there and it didn't burn them. Um, and then they, they, I said, okay, go in the light. And they'd go into the light. And uh, I said, well, okay, now do you have any deceased relatives or anybody on the other side that can come and get you? And they go, yeah, I, I have like Aunt Joey or something. I said, okay, call Aunt Joey. Do you trust Aunt Joey? And they go, yeah, I trust Aunt Joey. Okay, call Aunt Joey. And she'll, she'll be coming to pick you up. And lo and behold, the guy calls Aunt Joey and Aunt Joey shows up. And I said, go with Aunt Joey. And he, they're like, well, well I, I don't know. And I said, you know what's going to happen? You go back there. I caught you. You told me you broke their rules. They're going to kick your butt if you go back there. You better go with your Aunt Joey because I discovered you. You, I know what you are, and that's against their rules, and they're going to punish you for that. Do you want to do that, or you want to go to Aunt, with Aunt Joey? And they'd go with Aunt Joey, and that voice would be gone. Amazing. And permanently, that particular voice would be gone. Now, now, I remember there was one we were working through the weaker voices to start with, and then we hit a stronger one. And that one, that one wouldn't have anything to do with anything. I mean, it, it, we got rid of all the weak ones, and, and I thought this guy was done. I thought he was cured. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> here comes this other voice that wasn't there before coming in and, and uh, you know, furious. And I asked the patient, I said, where'd that one come from? He said, well, that's their boss. I said, their boss? And, and the, it, whatever it was, it was it was furious. I mean, it was furious. It didn't want anything to do with light. It didn't want anything with going anywhere. You know, it, it, it was pissed off that these other ones were gone. So I found that interesting. Um, what else? There was, there was something else interesting in that. Yeah, got, you got to the manager. Well, uh, the manager would have nothing to do with me. Right. Uh, no, he wouldn't talk to you either. Only, uh, he, only took, he, he was in control now. And since the other ones were gone, now it's the manager who was left there. I don't ever remember what happened with that case, where that one ended up. But I do remember one where we cleared the guy and he was so lonely, he went and he looked for him back. Wow. Oh, and, wow. You know, we, we, we cleared him. And I remember the day we cleared him, uh, they screamed when they left. And then it was just total silence. And I was looking at him sitting in the chair and he was looking woozy. And I remember his words. He said, the silence is deafening because he'd been hearing those things for decades. Wow. That, that says so much about the human condition that, uh, that if we're suffering for an extended period of time, removing the suffering is torture. You know, and it, well, so it's true about they, people with voices, but that's true with people in general. You know, like if you take somebody out of a really abusive situation, it, it takes a lot of support to get them to recover, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what these things feed off of. They feed off of that negative emotional energy. So they're doing to us what we do to, to cows. You know, the, the farmer puts the cow out in the field and they eat the grass and then they get them and they isolate them like they're trying to isolate us. And then they milk them like they've been milking us. And then they turn them loose again. And so that's what they're doing. It's this perpetual cycle. Only the schizophrenics are deeper into that cycle. We're all hit by it. I mean, there's not a single one of us that hadn't been walking around one day. And then all of a sudden, this horrible thought just comes to your head out of nowhere. And you're like, it's so horrible. You just go, 
you know, where did that come from? That's not my thought. You know, you're even embarrassed that you had it. You know, it's yeah. Like, and, and it shakes you up. It actually shakes you up and you're upset because of this thought that barged into your head. That didn't come from you. Well, that's why they call it intrusive thinking. Right. That comes from them. They're throwing those thoughts in your head. You know, so uh, Sherry is the one that came up with this. Every negative thought that comes into your head about somebody else or yourself is coming from them. She's the one that came up with the uh, That's a Lie program. So. Uh, <clears throat> I was working, like, like I started off before, I was working in the prison and uh, Sherry had the biggest prison reform website in the country. So I, I wrote to her, I said, uh, Sherry, I, I got this program we put up. I'd like, uh, like you to put it out there and let other prisons know about it. So other states found out about it, started going uh, in other states too, but the same thing happened. They turned over the, the operation of the system to the inmates. In every other prison system, it was like, oh, my God, they're shot. They're, they're, there's nothing can be done for these people. Um, so here I was, we, we, we became good friends, and we were talking as we were fighting the prison system, and I was helping her fight the Alabama system because I couldn't fight the Arizona system because I worked for them. So uh, I, was, I was saying, well, if you do this, you use this terminology, that's going to drive them crazy. This is how they think. You know, this is how they operate. So I was giving her that information from the inside to fight in Alabama. And we became, became pretty good friends. Um, then she flew me down for a conference one time. And I went, wow, she actually flew me to Alabama for this conference she was putting on. So uh, we, we talked we talked and talked. And then uh, some 10 years after I met her, maybe longer, I was telling her about a, a patient I was working with at the prison who was hearing voices. And I was going, I can't figure this out. This is, you know, weird thing is going on. And da, da, da. And she goes, oh, I know all about that. I said, well, what do you mean you know all about that? She's one of the most spiritual people I've ever known. And she's very smart. And she's an engineer. So she's on the other okay. end of the spectrum for me in a lot of ways. But she's also an engineer. So she's got, she's balanced off in, in both areas. You know, she's got the rational stuff and she's got the spiritual stuff. And I, I don't know very many people who do that combination. So for me, it was fascinating. And um, what she told me, she said, I know all about that stuff. I said, well, how could you know about that? Said, oh, I heard voices when I was a younger girl. And I was like, what? I knew you for 10 years and this is the first time you told me that? <laughs> she goes, yeah, I know all about the voices. And I'm like, <laughs> I was blown away. It's just blown away. So every time I found something new about the voices, I'd call her up or write her and say, well, what about this? What do you think about this? And she goes, oh, da, da, da. so, you know, she taught me a lot. The, the prisoners were teaching me an awful lot. So Sherry had her particular set of voices, but she figured it out on her own. You know, she figured out that they were liars and, and uh, that they ran a lot of these patterns. And she came up with the That's a Lie program. So she knew that virtually everything they were telling her was a lie. You know, just like I knew when I heard the voice that everything it was telling me was a lie. I mean, she knew it. She felt it. Um, but still, they were tormenting her. And they, they had her so far because she was abused badly as a kid. They had her so far where they, they were telling her, all you got to do is just give in and just, just, just come to the other side of the fence and, and you'll be taken care of. People will put, they'll put you in the mental hospital and they'll take care of you and you won't have to worry about anything again. So here they were trying to convince her to give up and just live her life in the mental hospital. That's how close it came. 
and she basically went, screw you, you know, I'm not living in no mental hospital, I ain't going to no psychiatrist. So she came up with the That's a Lie program. So when they started feeding her all this crap that they were putting in her head, she'd go, that's a lie, get out of here, that's a lie, that's a lie. Here, here. So since she, as soon as she told me that, I knew it was true because I knew that the voices were lying to these patients and it didn't matter what they told them as long as it created some upset, as long as it created anger or fear or resentment, you know, they were happy with it. And whether it was the truth or a lie, it didn't matter. Uh, so instantly I knew that Sherry was on to something with that. So I took her program, tried it in the prison and it worked and it's on our website and it's free. And it's, it's the single most important program of all of them that we have. Uh, matter of fact, some people have freed themselves just using that single program. Uh, awesome. others, need, yeah, others needed some help. Um, is that yeah, on, I've been, I'm sorry, I've been putting on? the links in the chat so that people have yeah. access directly to it so they can just click and get right to it, you know. Yeah, so there is a blog? cure for schizophrenia. They don't want you to have it because they're making $235 billion a year poisoning people with their toxic medications and convincing people there is no cure. That's right. Yeah, the, another thing that I wanted to bring up uh, just because it popped into my head was you, I remember you also describing um, the voices um, giving people divinatory information about where to commit a robbery, where to get drugs for free, and these kinds of things. And I thought that was fascinating um, evidence of uh, what you said earlier stuck in my head, you know, you don't have any right to interfere with our way of life. So this, this gives the implication of a, of a society, you know, yeah. and then we start talking about managers and lower people, and then they have access to information so they can tell you where to commit a robbery or where to score drugs. Uh, I mean, if you have any memories about that, I'd love to hear it, Jerry. Oh, it's just yeah. shocking. Yeah. Um, that makes me think of Dante and how he needed a guide. Virgil. Yeah, that, Virgil. that reminded me, you know, that's what they should put on the uh, doors to all psychiatrist offices. You know, you know, all who enter here, you know, give up all hope. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Take our drugs, numb your brains. So we every... got a chemical lobotomy for you. Give up any hope of recovering. There is no hope. <laughs> all you can do is take our, our toxic, expensive drugs, you know, that, well, uh, it's it's uh, it's just amazing what they're doing. It's just amazing what they're doing. Mm. They they were real active in in Nazi Germany, you know, picking out which prisoners were defective and should be executed. Mm. And then in the yeah. in the UN, here they are, you know, trying to cut a, a chunk of the pie out in the UN. Oh yeah, we everybody needs to be psychologically tested, and we need to be in charge of that. I mean, it's like. Mm, yeah, the eugenics programs never went away. They just modified them so that they were more subtle. You know? Yeah. So, what were you you were asking about? Um, well, just the divinatory the, practice. Oh, the, the, that, the, these things, knowing things that they, yeah. they shouldn't know. Right, because the hallucination wouldn't know anything either, and, and neither would a chemical imbalance. Right, only only a, a entity that has it might not have a body, but it has selfhood. You know, that's the most fascinating thing to me about the whole story is it confirms this invisible realm and yeah. that there's, you know. See, and that's everything that they're not denying. Look how they have it sewed up. They brainwash you in graduate school, you know, and then you get onto the front lines and they demand that you think the way they think. And if you fit in, you're in with the medical model where they drug everybody, you know, and if you, yep. don't, you don't believe that, you don't fit in. Um, 
it, it's 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 nuts. So uh, yeah, the the voices knew stuff that the patient didn't. You know, they especially with methamphetamine is one of the most dangerous drugs out there. That just opens up the spiritual protection you have, and these things just rush in. I mean, I've seen more more prisoners go psychotic on meth than they have any other drug by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start seeing the shadow people and then the voices come on. And the way the voices come on when they're using drugs is, you know, all of a sudden they'll start hearing voices after using meth and then they come down and the voices aren't there. So they go, oh yeah, that was just a hallucination. It was a harmless hallucination. So they keep using the meth. The voices come back. You know, and they go, oh, that's just a hallucination. They'll, they'll go away when I come down. Because you know, they feel like Superman or meth. They, they really get off on that. They just go for days and then they crash for days. And, and then one day they, uh, they, they take the meth, they start hearing the voices and they're thinking that the voices are going to go away and then they come down and they don't. And they're just as psychotic as anybody in the state hospital. And they stay that way. Yeah. So meth will do that. So these guys, when they ran out of meth, the voices would tell them where and when to be to get more meth. And they would show up at that spot. And this isn't just one that I talked to that this happened to. This is several. When they ran out of meth, the voice said, oh, oh, don't worry about it. Go to this corner at uh, 5.30 and just wait around. Somebody will show up with some meth. And they said they did. Yeah. Jim, That's do you have a story about that? Yeah, I've got this. Uh, there's a, a homeless mm-hmm. camp just down the uh, like a block and a half away from my my shop where I work. And I've got I've got some pet goats that I keep out there. And uh, one night I was working a couple of weeks ago and I was getting ready to leave. And I went outside the door and there was a guy. Looked like he like he just shot up meth or something. He was he was speed walking down the street, swinging a stick and just having this argument like loud argument in the air. And I watched him like go up and down the street back and forth he had his shirt off he was just just fighting and fighting yeah, he was he was arguing with the voices i would see that all the time in the, in the state hospital where they would fight with the voices because the voices were telling them something they didn't want to do or calling them rotten names or running them down and they were they were yelling and screaming at the voices it looks Absolutely. crazy i mean you it looks like they're insane but they're actually fighting with those voices and, and if then, you listen so, to them, it's like a uh, it's like listening to a, con- a telephone conversation. You know, you only can hear part of the conversation. Yeah, I he went he went around the he went like a block away and he was walking up this alley and I I could hear both sides of the of the conversation at, of the fight. I thought there were two people. Like I saw two people over there at one point, but he came back out and he was by himself. And uh, I eventually called the police because I didn't want him to mess with my goats and <laughs> he disappeared like like the the cops were there in like five minutes and he disappeared like a minute before the cops came he was just gone yeah he, he, he must have gotten some uh some good advice yeah yeah, yeah he got a heads up probably got a heads up well I've, I've heard several stories where the voices gave him heads up there's one guy that uh, uh i was working with uh, where he, he was he was doing pretty good at robbing houses. The voices would tell him which houses to rob, when to go in, and, and not exactly where the loot was, but in the general area. 
and he was doing that and he would they would tell him when uh when the, the people in the house were up um when to get out when the cops were coming that kind of stuff uh, he was doing real well and then I, I said well you know you're doing that well how come you're in prison and he said well i went and robbed the house they told me not to and i was, I was getting a little bit too too uppity and they they caught me but uh, he was saying on the on the other ones he 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 talked about one robbery where the voices told him how to get in, generally where the loot was, and then they told him that the the people who were living there, the guy was up and he was looking for him to get out. So he jumped out the window and he started running down this alley to the left. And they told him, no, don't come down that alley. The cops are coming up that alley. Run up this other alley up there and then get into this big trash bin and hide in the trash bin. So he did that. He went and he hid in the trash bin. And the cops came around. They, and the guy could come out with a gun and he's got a flashlight and he walks by the trash bin. And as soon as he passes by the trash bin, the voices said, okay, now get up, let the lid down quiet and get out of it. And he goes, no, he's right there. I can't get out right yet. And they said, no, go now. So he did. And he, you know, the cop kept walking and he got away, but he left all the loot in the trash bin. So when he got back to the apartment, uh, you know, the voices are going, good job, good job. And he's going, not so good a job. I left all the, all the loot in the trash bin. And they said, don't worry about it. You know, you can go out and get it get it out of there later. And so that's what he did. He got it out of the trash bin. But yeah, they would tell him where he is, when to be there. Um, they'd tell him stuff that they shouldn't have known. And they can do that. That reminds me of uh, Morpheus giving Neo instructions when the agents are about to come in. Yeah, interesting. And he tells them to duck now. And then he tells them to go in the other cubicle. And he just happens to go in all the right places to not be seen. Yeah. Because he can read the code in advance. He can see all the angles nobody can nobody else can see. That's profound. Yeah. Well, wow. they only they only do it for the dark, though. They only do it for the you know, the, the prisoners thought it was great. You know, they got all this money. They got all these drugs. They're living the life of Riley. Um, and, and here they have this dark force helping them out, robbing people. You know, and it's like they, they're they in hog heaven. They all the drugs they want, all the women they want. You know, that's for them, that's like uh, the cremo. And, and that eventually it'll destroy them. You know, and that's what these things do. They, they, uh, I don't know why this case popped into my head. There was, there was one, one guy told me you know, there's this bar in Tucson. It's like a strip bar that you know, everybody knows about because it's in the shape of a big old boat, you know, like a big old sailboat. <laughs> I was just going to ask if it's the boat. Yeah, it's the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, he was going in there and, and here's the voices. You know, he's, he's looking for a woman. Uh, to take home with him, and, and here's the voices wanted him to take this one woman, you know. So they go, her, her. Go, no, I don't know about her. Yeah, get her, get her. So it turns out that she liked being strangled while she was having sex, and he almost killed her. I mean, she actually he strangled her to the point where she was unconscious, and it scared him. It scared him to death that he thought he'd killed her, and uh, he, he was telling me this story. And uh, the voices chose that one. So I'm like, how weird. How weird. They, they, they pick out the, the women. They're like spreading the pain around. I guess. Or, or, I mean, he almost killed her. 
she she was unconscious. They, he, he was scared to death after that. He said he never listened to the voice's choices again. Wow. Wow. Well, it sounds like the voice would want the man to kill the woman to go to the prison and become literally imprisoned. You know, I, I think that's a big part of it because if they can get them in prison, then that's an extremely negative, fearful, hostile oh. environment. And, and that just generates, it's like a hog's trough for them. And, and that's why they're isolation. Yeah, there's no yeah. good deed goes unpunished in the prison by, by almost anybody. I mean, look at the programs I developed for them. They just threw them in my face and then and trashed them. You yeah. Know, they, they bring these uh, psychotics in there. They stir them up. They, they subject them to abuse and terror and, and stabbings and beatings and, and, and ramp them up. And then when their sentence runs out, they throw them out the front door with 50 bucks and said, okay, you're free. You're on your own. Leave. Yeah. And the trauma, the lifetime trauma that, of being in prison. I don't know of anybody that's actually done time that hasn't come out a very, very different person. Yeah. Yeah. Some come out better. Most come out worse. Yeah. You know, it hardens you. It, it hardens you. you have to, even, even after I got out and, and retired from the prison, I wouldn't go into a restaurant without my back being to a wall. That, uh -huh. that lasted for mm -hmm. years before I broke that. Finally, I could sit somewhere without my back being to a wall. Yeah, that PTSD thing, speaking of diagnoses, but that's, those are the, there are symptoms, and that's one of them. You it could was. see it. Yeah, it, it was. I, I did. I went through a, a form of PTSD when I got out. Of, I didn't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like. Been a, there. It, it took a while, and then there was one incident where some lady I didn't know, I mean, she had an advanced position in the line, and somehow she, we, we were in the line getting tickets, and uh, she said, oh, I'll, I'll go get you those tickets, and I'll get them for myself on my head of you or something like that, and I didn't trust her, you know, and it, it turned out that she went and she got the tickets paid for them anyway by, of, of her own funds and brought them back to me, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, I didn't know people did that. You know, it's like, uh, then it, it just kind of popped my bubble. It's like, okay, man, you're warped. You know, that, that place did you some damage. You, you don't trust anybody anymore you know, to a certain extent anyway. So that took a while to wear off. Yeah. Has anybody else ever seen the, uh, there's a condition, I don't remember the name of it, but where, um, People who were having seizures, they did an experiment and they uh, divided their left and their right brain uh, yeah. surgically. Yeah. And, and then there was a phenomenon where they would be told to pick something up with their right hand and their left hand would try to steal it from their right hand. Yeah, yeah they were operating independently. Yes. You know, like, like all of a sudden the hand would do something on its own without the guy telling him to do it. You know? Right. It would or even knock it out of his hand and then the left hand would try to pick it up. Yeah. What they were doing to schizophrenics for a long time back in the 30s, they even had a, a lobotomy mobile. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. I, I, what, what a lobotomy is, is they take it like an ice pick and they take it and they jam it through your eye right here and they scramble your brain and, and it turns you into an instant zombie. 
Kind of like the nasal swab they're doing today. Yeah, I had yeah, I had to take those, those friggin' things. But yeah, wow. they pushed it all the way up into the prefrontal cortex and then scrambled your brain. And then you turned into a zombie. You know, you were just I met one of those guys at, at the state hospital, and my impression immediately was like, this guy just isn't quite human. You know, he just mm-hmm. wasn't quite human. Um it was strange. It was it was kind of like a zombie kind of guy. And they they did thirty five thousand of them. Uh, this guy went around. The psychiatrist went around with a uh, he called it the lobotomy mobile. Drove mm-hmm. all around the country performing lobotomies on on patients that they were having trouble with. Um, like behavior yeah. problems. Yeah. yeah. Well, they schizophrenia, schizophrenics with behavior problems. Yeah. Even Rose Kennedy was had that done. By yeah. that doctor, um, I can't remember his name, but he was the guy with the the lobotomy mobile, and he was yeah. he thought he was doing God's work. He was going around and, or he would he was acting like it, and they were they were essentially giving him that power, mm-hmm. encouraging him. All the whole system was encouraging him that for thousands of people. Well, it, it was like uh, probably before the time the drugs were. Uh, you know, before they came on, they, they needed some way to control these guys. I mean, right. Yeah, because was... you can't hold them down. If anyone's ever been oh. had the experience of being with a, a person who's truly uh, out of their mind, you can They're pile 20, 20 people on top of them and you're just going to mm-hmm. be in a fight for hours and hours. It's, right. it's, uh... they, they are supernaturally strong. Matter of fact, there's uh, one tale I, I tell them some of my other things. This, this happened in a maximum security prison in Florence, Arizona. Mm. Uh, that's the major prison in the state. There was a, a big three-tiered seer, tier block, uh, prison block. And, uh, you know, the guards are kind of like Nazis. And a lot of them, it takes a certain mentality uh, to work there. And a lot of these guys are like bullies and they, they throw around their power and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the inmates know which ones to respect, which ones don't. But you're there in the maximum security Block and they go up to this one schizophrenic who's uh, big. I mean, he's big and he's strong. Uh, and he's he's crazy as bed bug. And they uh, they uh, knock on his door and they say, "Hey, uh, hey, Jake, cuff up. We're moving you to another cell." He goes, "I ain't going nowhere. You know, take your take your movements and screw yourselves." And they go, hey, stick your hands out, cuff up. We're going to go get the the pepper spray." He goes, no, go get your pe- pepper spray and a bunch of weenies. And he started you know, cussing them and calling them all kinds of names. And uh, so they went and get the pepper spray and they had the, like these quart cans of these things. I mean, it's like a whole quart. And uh, they open up the hatch and he, he gets his, his blanket and he puts it over his head and they just drenched the whole, the whole cell with that stuff. I don't know if any of you had an experience with that, but. You know, it's worse than getting jalapeno pepper in your eyes by a million times. I mean, you're like your skin burns, your eyes burn. You're just you're just burning up with that stuff. I mean, it's just like the hottest pepper you've ever had. It's sprayed all over you, and uh, it was all over the cells. And they the, the guards got it on themselves, and it was all over the the prisoner. And uh, they they just filled the cell with it. It was so full of it that they they were suffering from it themselves. So they said, okay, ready, you ready to cuff up yet? And he goes, no, screw you. 
you know, I'm cussing up a bunch of weenies and they started cussing them again. They said, well, we're going to go get the stun guns. You know, yeah, go get your goddamn stun guns and stick them up your butt. You know, you want me to come out of here, you come in and get me. <laughs> None of them were going to go do that at that point. So uh, they went and got the stun guns. They got two of them. And, and what was it? It had like a little arrow on there. And then there was a little thin wire to, to transfer 50,000 volts through that wire. And that was enough to knock down the biggest inmates, man. It would just, bam, they'd be down. Not this guy. They shot him with one and he just stood there and shivered, you know, and, he, and when he stopped shivering and the gun was discharged, he started cussing him. He was pissed. Wow. So they went and got another one and they shot him with that one and they were taking turns. You know, one was discharging and the other was charging. And this guy was just standing there quivering. And then when they stopped, he would start cussing and, and ranting at him. Uh, and then finally, the, the more guards came. There was a whole, you know, like a circus of guards there. And then the warden came down. And after, uh, I think it was 13 times they did that to him, the warden said, hey, stop. I'm gonna, they're going to get me for cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> wow. So he stopped, wow. he stopped that. But now they, here's these three tiers of prisoners looking at this show down there. And, and the guards couldn't lose it. You know, they couldn't right. lose it. Now, all the prisoners were cheering for the inmate, and, <laughs> and, and they, were, they were being beat so far, you know, so here their pepper spray failed, here their stun guns failed, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure they were all fascinated by then, like, how did this guy put up with two stun guns when they knew that any one of them would be taken down by one shot with it? So here's this real interesting show going down there, so they said, uh, you don't come out of there and cuff up, we're going to go get the dog. So he said, yeah, go get your dogs. And I'm like, take them, screw your dogs. And another, come in and get me. You want me out of here? Come in and get me. So uh, they were, the prisoners were terrified of the dog. You know, the dogs would just tear them to pieces. I mean, the stun gun, you'd come out of there just stunned. But you, the dog, you'd come out of there mauled. You know, you'd have pieces hanging off you. They had these uh, specially trained attack dogs. So they went and got the dog. And the dog's barking in front of his uh, cell. He said, uh, now come on out of there. We're going to stick the dog on you. And he goes, you want, to, you want me to come out? You come in and get me, you bunch of motherfuckers. And uh, <laughs> so they, they cracked the door in the do on the cell, sent the dog in, and he's sitting on his bed. And the dog jumps up at him, and he throws his arm up in front of his face like this. And the dog chops onto his arm. And, and he drags the dog to right to his face and the dog's teeth are already all to the bone and he's gushing blood and he dogs, drags the dog to his face and he goes sit and the dog sits but it doesn't look wow. like his arm and, wow. and the dog's clamped on his arm and it's sitting and he's gushing blood the dog's got a vice grip on his arm not letting go and he starts petting the dog and going good puppy good puppy and the dog carries out there going what the hell is going on in there so they the dog carrier and a couple of guards grabbed the dog. They had him on a leash and they dragged the dog out of the cell. And the dog's clamped onto the guy's arm and they drag him out to the cell block. And then they beat the crap out of him in front of the cell block to kind of show who, who's in charge. But uh, yeah, they get supernaturally strong when they get angry. I've seen that over and over again. I've seen a, like a hundred pound inmate uh, uh, bounce two big guards around the inside of the cell like popcorn. And there was one on another prison unit who was stark naked and they were trying to catch him. 
he was running all over the prison yard. He was just so quick and agile that he could not catch him. It was, it was like the Keystone Cops. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. Yeah, I've seen some shit. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> you have, man. And those, uh, those, uh, oh, uh, electro, the electroshock therapy things. Huh. Some of the most horrible stuff I ever saw. Here's, here's the psychiatrist, what they did at the state hospital. Uh, I don't know how many bolts they put through those guys' heads, but they come out of there and they would just be dazed for a week or so. You know, and, and there were 3,000 of those going on every year at Central State Hospital for a while. So uh, there was one day uh, a friend of mine called me up who worked on another psych unit. He goes, hey, uh, they're demonstrating a... a ECT over here in uh, about a half an hour. Come on over and you can see it. So I ran over there. And here's this group of students uh, around this, this gurney and this psychiatrist, he was a Cuban psychiatrist, I guess, with this little square box with dials on it and, and knobs and, and plugged into an outlet and there's all these wires running from it. And he's, he's talking to all these medical students about this shock machine and ECT. So we just pulled up there and joined him. And uh, they were asking him questions and he was he was like showboating. He, he loved all the attention. Uh, so then he finally says, okay, bring in the patient. So here's two nurses come drag in this little old lady in the hospital again. I mean, just thin little old lady. She's just pripsy, just, you know, just shuffling in with these two big nurses on either side. And uh, she cal you know, calmly sits down and she sits on the gurney and they put her legs up there and they strap her down with these big nylon straps. They, they four pointer and, and put a, uh, a strap across her chest and a strap on her upper arms and a strap on her wrist and a strap on her knees and a strap on her, on her ankles. And I asked the psychiatrist, well, why are they doing that? And uh, he said, well, you know, when we give her the shot, if, if we didn't have her strapped down, she, she'd rip a, a socket out or, or, or she'd go just flying all over the place. She might hurt somebody. And I'm like, well, okay. And then, uh, and then he gets out this big horse needle about, you know, this big and about this long. And it, it looked like it held like uh, four or five points of this milky liquid. And he sticks it in her arm. And not only did he just stick it in her arm, he stuck it in her arm and he sucked in, pushed some in, and then he sucked out blood. And then he pushed some in and he sucked out blood. He's mixing the medicine with the blood. And I'm asking him, uh, you know, I'm like weirded out by that because I've never seen anybody do that. I mean, they usually just do the injection. They didn't mix it with the blood. And I'm like, well, what's he doing that for? You know, but I asked him, well, what is it you're injecting into it? And uh, it was a giant needle. And uh, he said, that's muscle relaxer. And I said, well, what are, you, what are you giving her muscle relaxer? Well, if we didn't give her muscle relaxer, when we, when we shocked her, she would break her bones. So we have, to, we have to strap her down. So when she gets hit with the electricity, she doesn't break bones. And I'm like, a treatment that breaks bones? I mean, what, what, are, what are they doing? What's, the, what's going on here? So then he gets out these paddles and they're about, you know, maybe an inch and a half square with wire leads leading to him. And he starts putting this jelly on, on, the, pad, on, the, on the paddles, uh, the electrodes. And I said, well, what, what are you doing that for? And he goes, well, we got to do that because if, if we just put them on the side of her head without 
this jelly, the electricity would burn her skin. And I'm like, what? Yeah, he goes, yeah, that's why you have to use this jelly. So it smears the paddles with this jelly and it made a better contact. And then they, they wrapped them around her head. And so she's got these two big paddles on the side of her head with these wires running down. But she's strapped down and her head's strapped down too. Everything's strapped down. She virtually can't move. And then uh, he goes, okay, you ready? Everybody stand away from the gurney. So everybody gets away from the gurney because it, it's going to, they don't want to get shot. And he turns this thing on and turns up the voltage. And then he, he hits a switch and man, she just, boom. I mean, she's just, I thought she was going to break through those, those um, restraints. And she's just shaking and quivering and putting her head around. And she, she's just, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the straps are just holding her down. And, and she's just fighting the straps. And then finally, it's, I'm like, how long is he going to do this for? You know, and I'm like shocked. I'm just absolutely shocked. I mean, it's like, I couldn't believe it. And then he switches it off and she's dead still. And then he's, he's rattling, running his mouth like, da, 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 and then this happened. And I'm staring at her and she's turning cyanotic. She's turning blue. She's turning purple. And I'm going, hey, doctor, she's dying. She's dying. She's turning cyanotic. She's dying. And he it like looks at her like an after and goes, oh, oh. And he goes and he gets these paddle things, you know, that you put on your chest. And he gives her another shot with the paddle, another two shots. And then she's like, boom, boom. And then, then her color starts coming back. And then this guy starts prattling on like nothing ever happened. And I'm like, oh, it was, I got a pretty strong stomach. <laughs> you know, but boy, that, that got me. And when that was over, I turned around and I almost fainted. I, I had to hold on to a pillow. You know, I was so shocked that wow. I just walked out of there just like, and they were doing 3,000 of these a year. And the way they were chosen was by the attendants. It was like if, if a certain patient gave them a lot of trouble during the week, they'd go, hey, we need, uh, we, we need Sammy to, uh, he, they, they need treatment. So they, they'd run them through that and they'd shock them. They'd be, they'd be you know, zombies for two weeks. They, they didn't remember who they were. They didn't remember anything. You know, and then uh, if they started acting out again, they needed another treatment. So for the most part, it was the attendants who were choosing which ones needed the shock treatment. Wow. That's I didn't they, know that. Wow. Well, yeah, that, that's how they kept them under control. Oh, you're going to give us crap? Well, you got this little hair shock machine kind of slow you down for a week or two. Makes me think of uh, Kanye West when he had the yeah. little meltdown and then he came back and he couldn't remember he had memory loss and he blonde hair too and blonde hair too yeah 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 it's it's all you know i want to make a case that uh that it's actually you that's doing god's work jerry because uh the, what what you're doing is the same thing that, that jesus was doing in the bible is going around and finding a way to send these demons out of people so that they regain right. themselves yeah. Well, I, I don't do it. I teach them to do what they are and how to do it themselves. Well, I think that's what Jesus was trying to do. That's what he was trying to tell us to to that we have the power within ourselves. To that's do right. Not well, not to lean on him. That's right. I think you're right. Well, it, just, it makes me a little uncomfortable that you guys are even comparing me with Jesus because I, I certainly knew Jesus. <laughs> well, no, I didn't mean it that way. I or we all. It. Are we Can all we are? compare you to the Beatles instead? 
That's hey, Jerry Marzinski is bigger than John Lennon. I, yeah, I said it right here. That's funny. So, I Jerry, I always... I, I've got a question. Uh, are, how, do you often see uh, patients or have you seen patients with uh, toxoplasmosis? No, no, but you know, I've had people ask me whether people can get schizophrenic from cats, and, and right. I think they carry it. But as far as I know, I, I haven't seen that. The, the biggest correlation that I have seen it's not genetic, there is no chemical imbalance in the brain. Of the, see, here's these guys putting up these lies oh, it's a chemical imbalance, they don't even know what the chemical imbalance of the brain should be, they don't even know what it is, but yet they're saying, Oh, yeah, it's a chemical imbalance. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's one of the first things I spotted at the state hospital. Oh, it's a chemical imbalance. We got to give you these shots. We got to give you these medicines because your brain is unbalanced and it's broken. Yeah. So, but before they did that, before they prescribed any medicine, I never saw them give any lab work. I never saw them do any tests. I never saw them, you know, take any blood. I, they just would go, oh yeah, you got a chemical imbalance. And they'd go to their formulary and go, well, we, I think we'll start with this one. And I'm like, well, how do you know they got a chemical imbalance? Oh, well, the drug companies tell us. The drug companies tell us? Yeah, it's like putting the fox loose in the hen house. You know, yeah. the drug companies tell us. Oh, yeah, the drug companies give us presentations all the time, and they got all these graphs, and they show how they, they, these neurotransmitters. You know, what? It, here's the drug companies telling them what to do, what, what's happening. There and is no chemical imbalance. It's been disproven. But when that started coming out, they tried to hide it. The drug mm -hmm. companies tried to hide it, just like they tried to hide the shrinking of the brain. They said, oh, it's due to the schizophrenia. It's not due to our drugs. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's amazing. They're not sued more often by people that, oh that are God. suffering the damage from these drugs. And they're not yeah. sued because people don't mm -hmm. know what, the, what these drugs do and what they're doing to them. And yeah. psychiatrists aren't explaining it. You know, they'll say, oh, it'll make you groggy and it'll last a few weeks and, and, and you might feel a little nervous and da, 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 and that's it. You know, three, the rest of the nine-tenths of the nasty toxic symptoms, they don't even mention them to the patient. And then when the patient mentions it to them, oh, yeah, we'll give you some cogentin and you won't feel them anymore while the neurotic deterioration continues. It's uh -huh. sick with it. sick. They don't know anything else, though. They don't know how to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, what about um, uh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, CTE? They'll go after those people. I, I've seen them go after people with traumatic brain injuries because they're easy to control, you know, especially if they're abused. So the number one mm -hmm. correlation, well, there's two, two, number, two, two major correlations, meth. Meth will make you psychotic faster than any other, any other way you can do it. You can take enough meth, you will go psychotic and you will stay there. The second thing is, is horrific mental, psychological, or sexual abuse, physical abuse. That's a, those two are the, the, the highest correlation. You know, it's, it's almost like these entities are in the environment. And when they find somebody who's generating negative emotional energy, they just jump in there and they go, oh, feeding time. You know? So those people who are, who are set to a negative frequency and are generating negative emotional energy, these things go after them. Like chum in the water. Chum in the water, like, like blood for sharks. You know, throw blood in the water and the sharks appear. 
but they don't like uh, they don't like churchgoers. They don't like uh, uh, positive people. They don't like uh, you know, spiritual people. Um, but they still get you. You know, they'll, they'll still get you. They get us all. You know, we're we're not the top of the food chain on this planet by a long shot. Oh yeah, for sure. Hey, and Jerry, look at this. Look at the state of the world. Look at look at the state of the world. It's sad but true. The the state of the world. That's why so many people are waking up, and so many people are sticking their head in the sand more than ever, because it's becoming preeminent and obvious that uh, there's there's something that would really prefer things be a lot worse than they already are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like these patterns I was telling you, you know, they 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 run these same patterns. They're exactly the same entity. And it's on a macroscopic scale worldwide right now. And, and there's a huge spiritual battle raging right now. It's massive. You know, it's, it's uh, it, this is World War III, what's going on right now. And we're fighting this same, this same enemy that has taken over the government, has taken over the, the medical establishment. The pharmacology has taken over virtually the world, the pharmacies and the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but it's all coming to light. It's all it coming to light. Jerry, I read a, an article uh, not that long ago, maybe six or six months or a year ago, that only thirty percent of of doctors coming out, like physicians coming out of medical school, were taking the Hippocratic oath. Do do the psychiatrist uh, like how does how does that work in in psychiatry? Like, do they take a Hippocratic oath? Well, if they do, they're violating it big time. You know, they're doing a lot of damage with those drugs, and, I, and I'm not even sure they know how much damage they're doing. But the thing is, the, the public doesn't understand it either, so they get away with it. You know, I don't know if you ever tried to get into a psychiatrist's office. There's people waiting in line for these drugs that they're 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 pushing out, you know. And you're not going to solve your own problems with with masking them with these drugs. These uh, and, and a lot of them are addictive, you know, especially these antidepressants like Welbutrin. I mean, people will start on Welbutrin, and and they can't get off it because the withdrawal effects are so horrible, and mm-hmm. so they're stuck on it for the rest of their lives. And and you look at the cost of these medicines in the United States, they're in the U.S., they're, they're higher than in any other industrialized nation. You go across the border, in, in the United States, it takes $800 to $1,000 worth of antipsychotic drugs to keep one of these guys sane for a month. You go across the border to Mexico, you can get a, a month supply of Risperidol for 75 bucks in, in their pharmacies. And you don't even need a prescription. Even if you're supposed to have a prescription, you can go slip them in. An extra 10 bucks or something and they'll sell it to you, you know. <clears throat> so it's the same companies that are making these things. You know, it's just written in Spanish on them. But look look at how they got it sewed up over here. In order to, to gain access to these antipsychotic drugs in Mexico, you go to a psychiatrist once, they diagnosed you, they, they prescribed the medicine for you, you take it, if it works, you don't have to go back to the psychiatrist again to get a prescription, you just go to the pharmacy and, and get it over the counter. Here, 
no, you can't. You, 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 you run out of your month's supply of medicine. You've got to go back to the psychiatrist, get another prescription. He charges another $150. It's another $1,000 for the medicine. And it just goes on and on and on and on. You know, and you have to go back to the doctor to get a new prescription now because yeah, they're yeah. control. Yep. Over and over. They got control of those meds and they're mm-hmm. not letting go of them. That's all they got, really. That's all yeah. they got is those medicines. And, and if it proves that those medicines don't cure anything, they don't. And that there is no chemical imbalance, which they proved there isn't. But they, mm-hmm. you look at their advertisements, even today. You know, what was it? Uh, one of the big hospitals in Phoenix, the real big fancy one there. Um, real famous one. The, oh, um, yeah, the uh, Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic. Yeah. I, I, I saw they, one of those their advertisements uh, just the other day. Oh, well, uh, nobody knows what causes schizophrenics for sure. Or schizophrenia for sure. But research indicates that it, it, it may be a chemical imbalance in their brain. That, that, that. So they're still pushing this. Even though they know it's a lie, they're still yeah. Pushing. They're they're hedging. Yeah, they're insinuating. I I never watch television, but when I go to other people's houses and it's on, especially more elderly people, every popular show is interspersed with nothing but drug ads, and all of the drug yeah. ads yeah. are chock full of legal language that's hedging, and it's not It's none of it's straightforward language, and it's all. It's really like the advertisements are they're the beginning of the legal case for the drug company. What they say in the ad is actually like, if you, if you read it and listen to it carefully, and if you have a thinking brain, it's obvious that they're already, they're warning you at the end of the ads with all that fast talk at the end. Mm -hmm. It might cause certain deaths and, uh, you know, have you poop oil or whatever, you know, the the person that is on the screen smiling and dancing in a field with little kids. Oh, they're flying a kite on the beach with a dog running and, you know, (laughs) so they they brainwashed us. I mean, they, they, they're in charge of this mass, massive machine that have brainwashed all of society that the way to handle your problems is by taking drugs. Yep. Yep. And, and then it starts with our were... food. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Especially oh. fluoride. Boy, don't use, don't use yeah. toothpaste with fluoride, man. It really messes up your, your, uh, pituitary gland. And if you, you have city water in it, if you're in any urban area that has city water, that stuff's got shit in it, man. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. You need to have you need to have the filter that takes uh, chlorine and fluoride yep. out of it. Yeah, I have three, three big giant jugs that I fill every couple every. Well, I don't use as much water as I used to, but I won't. I'll, I barely even bathe in tap water. You know, mm-hmm. I hate it's disgusting. Well, you pro, you have Arizona water. You're, I mean, the stuff out of our tap smells like sulfur. Or chlorine. Well, we're pretty good out here. Uh, I'm at the base of the mountain, away from all that uh, industrial stuff downtown. So our wells here are pretty clean. Oh, uh, and yet, yet I, uh, they put fluoride in the water, so I have, you know, a big reverse osmosis system that pulls good. it back out of me. But uh, yeah, they, they do. They're putting fluoride in the water. Do not use fluoride toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Zinc. Zinc toothpaste. I found this stuff that has that's zinc that uh, is really good. I'll I'll post something on it later, but um, it's zinc and baking soda essentially, and it's fantastic. Tastes like chai tea too. Fun. <laughs> Interesting. 
But yeah, that stuff's poison. And it's, I mean, every single piece of, of pre, pre-made food it has so many chemicals in it that you don't even know what that's doing to you. Yeah, you got to grow your own and try to. Yeah, to that's true. Stuff. That's really true. To, to get right. into gardening is really important because people don't realize that all these foods aren't really foods anymore. They're so well refined and they're full of sugar. Every item you look at, if you look in the ingredients, it's all sugar. Yeah. And sugar is just as addictive as cocaine. You know, I, I ought to know because I uh, keep going back and forth between doing a good job and not eating any and then binging out on a whole box of cookies. Well, so, I, mean, well, let me, I, I have know. the same struggle, you know, yeah. with, with yeah. that stuff. It is addictive. I mean, sugar is for sure. carbo- carbohydrates. Yeah, the carbs, the, car- yeah. And the carbs turn to sugars. That's why. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my that's my only real formula now is is get rid of all your sugars, wheat and um, soy. If like, because people want to know, like, if after you've lost ninety pounds, everybody asks you, you know, oh, what they want a formula. They're like, oh, is it? Is it? I heard you do keto, so give me your formula. I'm like, just stop eating sugar. That's stop right. eating wheat. That's also poisoned from all the chemicals that they put in it. That's all that. Every single piece of commercial bread is poisoning you. Yeah, it's messing got, up your GI food. system. You got and Monsanto out there putting their poisons on everything and then having enough money to weasel out of the, a lot of lawsuits. They've hammered them a, a few times. The, the, the content, what I heard is the contents of their Roundup is the same stuff as Agent Orange minus one chemical. Right. I believe it. That's true. And we saw what Agent Orange did a lot to a lot of veterans. And that's in our food. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a silent war going on right now, and it's yep. against us. It is. Yeah, it, somebody had posted a a meme that said, "It's not you against me; it's us versus them." That's right. Jerry, I've got a, everything. I've got a line of reason, and I wanted to bounce off of you. Um, I've got a list of um, historical people who uh, have claimed openly that they're in touch with their higher genius and that they are in communication with a, a higher self, a daemon. Have you heard the term a daemon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the list just keeps growing. The more, the more I uh, tune into this, the more, fascinating it is to me that there's like this potentially beneficial relationship for iconic historical figures to be in touch with their daemon what do you think about that in terms well, of like think, yeah tesla tesla was in touch with these these things uh, they 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 were the ones who sent him a lot of the information to do what he was doing uh, yes. then you then you've got the law of one people with uh Ra. That's that's fascinating. If you haven't read the Law of One, and yeah. now you've got uh, oh, yeah. Cryon coming on YouTube, uh, on, on the YouTube channels, this other entity, uh, and these are spiritual entities. Um, you know, they're they're speaking kind of the same stuff the Bible is, minus the the uh, fear God. You know, you, you trespass against God, you're going to get fried up. You're going to burn in hell. Yeah. 
all that, all that stuff is missing. That, that seems to have been added by earlier deep state people that were in charge of the body. You know, they, they always had that fearful stuff, that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that guilt stuff. Or, um, so, you know, they, they've kind of colored it. <clears throat> so the law of one with Ra is, is very interesting stuff. Um, and that this prion stuff is, so the, the vibration of the planet is speeding up and it's changing. I mean, you can feel the energy. I mean, there's a, there's a, a different energy now and it's much more intense than it ever has been before. I, I mean, I can just feel it. I can just sit here and feel it. Mm-hmm. And then you look at what's going on around and all the stuff that's happening on the planet, the earthquakes, the, the flooding, the, the fires. The, the, I mean, there's big changes happening right now. Huge changes. The, the, the vibration of the planet is speeding up. And these things don't like it. They know their time is limited. So they're doing as much damage as they could right now. Just like Biden, he's doing as much damage as he could, as he possibly can, before uh, they take him down. Yeah, he seems like he's more under the influence of voices than he is a person to me. And it has been to this whole thing. It's been one of the most shocking and horrible things I've ever experienced politically in my life is to see them uh, go from from Trump, who I don't consider to be any terrific savior, but he at least seemed cogent, at least most of the time he seemed cogent. And then they bring in what looks to me, I used to work in the Alzheimer's ward, and I don't really see a lot of difference between Biden and a lot of my former patients. And then they plop him down in the captain's seat and say that he's running the show. And it just is the, it's a mind blowing trip. I don't know how else to say it. I've never seen anything like it. Well, I hear you. And then they cut him off if he tries to go off script. All of a sudden, uh-huh. it, it real just fast. disappears real fast, you know. Uh, yeah, he's he's just a puppet. He's he's just a puppet. You got you got people way above him and Obama that are controlling this. Story. You know, you got the the whole banking system, and then you got the Rothschilds above them, and and the Oh yeah, we know that's where we're we're all from the the full blown world of conspiracy yeah. and study and esotericism, and that's uh usually if uh, we don't have a guest, we all sit here and just kind of have a round table of uh, mm-hmm. thought correlation and uh, just trading secrets and things that we found. You know, that's the well, then you got the reptilians above them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of warring going on right now. I find it interesting, you know, that their names are almost prophetic. You know, Biden, we all know he's just, he's Biden time and everybody knows he's going to get pulled out of the, you know, pulled out eventually. Out of his body, yeah. Right. And then, you know, (laughs) Harris, her name is, she's the heiress. She's going to inherit the throne. And you can even flip her that phonetically, the name Harris. You can flip it and you get Sarah, which is princess in Hebrew. You know, so, I mean, we all joke about it, but it is whispered in their, in their title. That, that, that dynamic shift is on the horizon. Oh, man, because she's, she's another one. And then behind her is Pelosi waiting in line. Now, she, you talk about a nightmare. You know, she would be a nightmare. That's a vampire. 
<laughs> like, yeah. Well, now wasn't I've heard rumors that Pelosi's directly affiliated with the mafiosos in the state of Arizona. I went down that rabbit hole one day that, that she's directly tied to those people. Well, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Look at what that board of directors did up there in Phoenix. I mean, they have just shut down everything they could shut down. And, and then that, uh, who is it, the, that corrupt secretary of state that just did everything they could to block the election? You know, that board of supervisors should be thrown in prison, every single one of them. They ignored the subpoena. They did everything they could to block that audit. And, and that you know, secretary of state is still doing it. Yeah, I, I haven't followed it real close because it's not easy to keep track of information because the censorship is so through the roof. Oh, like yeah, you have to don't. really chase the threads. You have to, and, and there's so many groups claiming to have the correct answers and the right leads. And you find so many gatekeepers and weirdness with all of it that it's almost not worth it to try to, you know, I got better things to do with my life than to find out that the people are corrupt through and through, but it's, they certainly are, you know. Yeah, and this has been going on for a long time. So I heard that somebody put in a lawsuit saying that the, the current politicians are in there illegally because they cheated on everything. Just mm -hmm. like they did on the, the recall election with uh, Newsom in California. Yeah. You, could, you could actually see on CNN where you, you got these two streams of numbers running together. And then all of a sudden, 44,000 votes disappear from the, the, the people who want Newsom out of them. They just vanish right off the screen of the TV. Just like that. Boom. Gone. Yep. Where'd they go? Interesting. That's an interesting number, too. 44,000. <laughs> <laughs> SOS, Secretary of State, son of Sam, 44 yeah. killer. Oh, is that so? <laughs> that's, that's weird. <laughs> the word killer is gematrologically 44. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. This this is our, this is what we do here, Jerry. Is, yeah, is, yeah, usually that's what we're doing. <laughs> word association to the to a level that most people couldn't wrap their head around at all. I mean, so, if, you know, if you're ever bored, just click on one of the old episodes and check it out. You know? <laughs> yeah, you'll, I've you'll got a weird little, little and, and synchronization. Who, 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 who listens to this stuff? How big is your audience? Not big. <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen I've seen the audience jump up to at least. Uh, you guys have had almost 100 people on here live, haven't you? Yeah, last week we had probably 140 or something like that watched. Did we really? Popped in while we were live. Yeah. Oh. What so you got, the, what you the, got the, Alan? Yeah, this is um, this goes back a few weeks when we were first talking about Jerry and trying to like. Can we get him? Can we get Jerry's? Can we, is he going to have time for us? <laughs> and I was looking at the cover of the book, An Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind, Breaking the Spell of the Irie Tower. Now, who's the author of that book? It's Jerry Marzinski. And uh, well, here's the book. Jerry Marzinski and Sherry Sweeney. Sweeney? Sweeney. Sweeney, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah that book that book wouldn't have done, been done without her. I mean, she she was. Uh, I I basically wrote most of it, but she's she's the one who did the latter part with the scientific stuff. You know, uh -huh. the, the, she did that, uh, and boy, she was invaluable with the editing and correcting me and and uh, uh, trying to figure out how to say things. And I mean, she she just that 
it wouldn't have appeared in the shape it's in for sure with, without her help. I mean, it might not have appeared at all. Yeah, these these names are important to this to the story, which is kind of like a, a recovered memory almost. And I I was looking at the cover of the book, and I was trying to imagine if I were the artist, or if I had a conceptual idea for the um, to create a book cover. And then I was remembering that when I was in like fourth grade in elementary school, I had drawn a book cover for a class assignment. It was like we'd we'd read a book and then the assignment was to draw a book cover for it and um, just immerse ourselves in the arts. And I remember that my book cover was selected to be permanently put on the book that I read. I got the book from the school library, the media center, and they wanted to select some of the artwork to create like a paperback cover and then wrap it and then like permanently install it on that book into the library. And I was trying to remember the name of the book and I was looking at your book cover and the name Jerry, Jerry, and I was finally got, okay, yeah. The author of the book I read was called Jerry Spinelli. The title of his book was called Maniac McGee. So I was putting Maniac together with Psychotic. And then the Jerry Sherry connection is, well, the author of the book that I made the cover for is Jerry. And the librarian of the school library, her name, Sherry. <laughs> so then it's like, that's incredible. Wow. Like I was, all the, all the memory just brushed back together and I was like, it's the Jerry Sherry connection, my childhood with Maniac Psychotic. And it's just, that's incredible. Yeah. Jerry was the first one I could really talk to about this, this crazy stuff. You know, because you couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go to my boss and go, hey, man, uh, the, the voices in Joe Blow's head just threatened me. Or, or the, my office crackled with, with electrical sounds when this inmate got upset, this psychotic inmate got upset. Yeah, I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. The only mm -hmm. people who understood were the, were the psychotics themselves. I could talk to them, you know, I could. And, and what's strange is the voices were saying the same things here in Arizona as, as they were saying in Georgia, you know, 2,500 miles away. They, the same pattern. It's like they all went to the same school. Right. You know, it's weird. It's weird that way. It's the same thing across the entire country. They're all saying the mm -hmm. same stuff. It's the same patterns. It's weird. It's, a, it's, a, it's another, it's a weird reality. It's very dark weird reality and they're working off the same demonic sales script yeah it's, yeah it's almost like they're all made from the same cookie cutter mm -hmm. now, there's, some, there, makes, there's some individual twists but the basic stuff is all the same makes me think about the moon the fact that that's the, see? Yep, that the they're all under the same lunar schedule lunar cycle and you know i've been thinking about this too jerry before uh, before having you on today, I was just pondering how the moon is always there. And the only thing that is really changing is the light that is on it. And at the angles, its angles and its approach and how it comes and goes, that changes. And that's a whole nother thing. But the its mass doesn't change. It's just the light on it that is different. And the angle that it it's oriented to us. And uh, but I'm 
I can't help but always kind of fall back on there. It's got something to do with the mystery of the moon, you know? Well, I can guarantee it yeah. that uh, when I was working in the ERs, we knew we were in for it on a full moon. I mean, it was regular. When that moon was full, that ER was full. Well, it was the same in uh, the Alzheimer's unit. We knew, and it usually it would start two days before. And uh, by the time you got to the absolute full moon, people who were usually well-behaved would be up in the middle of the night. They'd be having uh, bladder accidents. They'd be trying to enter each other's rooms and all kinds of craziness within the Alzheimer's ward. And we all knew it. We, we, we lived every month of our work life on the night shift, anticipating the next full moon, because if you didn't, you weren't going to be ready. And they were just going to run you over with chaos. And so you had to be ready. You were thinking about the full moon coming because otherwise, I mean, they'd wet their beds. They'd come out and like wet their pants and walk with their walkers at three o'clock in the morning when usually they would sleep soundly. And my whole family's from the, you know, in the, in these type of caregiver roles and nurses and stuff. And we all talk about it. It's everywhere. Everywhere you go, the, the full moon has a terrific effect on people. Yeah, Jerry, I was going to ask you about uh, like, what kind of, what kind of, how does the rest of the establishment see you and Sherry? Like how do, how do they, do you get well, many? I'm, I'm sure they see us as wackos. You know, one thing interesting, I haven't been threatened by any of them yet. <clears throat> I know if I was working and I was doing this, they'd fire me, no doubt. Yeah, for but sure. They're not get, they're not getting any results. You know, they're not curing anybody. They're right. making but... they're making a lot of money. They're raising uh, the medical costs for the entire country astronomically. They're not curing anybody. They don't even know what causes this. They don't know what to do about it. They, they have no cure for it, but they're making a lot of money selling those drugs. You know, and those drugs do work. If you, you turn these people into zombies, they're not going to cause you a lot of trouble. You know, but it's rotting out their brains. And those drugs, they, they are useful because you know, the voices have to be calmed down so you can reach these people. You know? If, if you can't reach them, then then everything that Sherry and I have seen won't work. They have to be calm enough to where you can you can reach them. And uh, there's there's a number of patients I worked with that when they first came in, I would send them to a psychiatrist because they were too upset, they were too too unstable. Uh, but they should they need to be off those drugs as soon as possible. Um, it may take these drugs to, to reach them or to calm them down enough to where they can concentrate enough to listen to what you're saying. But as soon as they have control of themselves um, to, to any decent degree, those drugs should be stopped because they are, they are very toxic drugs. Very, they're, they're some of the worst drugs used in medicine. So did you, did you ever work with shaman to do these kind of like freeing of these people? Have you ever done that? Uh, no, I haven't done that, but I know one. I, I, I would speak to one uh, who has, and she's taken on worse cases than I have. I met, her on, I met her on an interview. She's in England. Oh, okay. Interesting. We're going to get her in on an interview soon. Matter of fact, we did one with her. Uh, who was that with? It was either, it was either uh, Brian Borg or Sheep Farm. One of those two. I think it was Brian Boyd. It was Brian Boyd. 
So my interview, if you go if you go to my website and get the interview, the last interview by Brian Borg, the shaman is on there. Great. Okay. Cool. What about shadow people, Jerry? Well, I've seen, I, I, I saw one out of the corner of my eye before they, uh, they're there. Um, meth addicts see them all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, usually they're three-dimensional human-shaped shadows. They don't talk. Uh, they walk through doors. They, they stand at the base of the room. They, they just seem to scare people. Um, I hadn't heard of them doing any physical harm to anybody. They just appear and they scare people. They, they stand at the base of their beds. They walk around in the bedroom. Uh, but what I found out is the ones who, the patients who can see their eyes are in worse shape than the ones who just see a, a black blob for a head, you know, or, um, without any facial features. And if, if they do see the eyes, the eyes are either lime green or red. And those are the only two two kinds of eyes, and, and I wouldn't want to see any kind of creature with either one of those eyes. Um, but it, it, those who see those eyes are in worse shape than the ones who don't. You mean they've they're they're deteriorated more, or yeah, yeah, they're 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 in much worse shape. And I would use that as a clinical indi- indicator that the meth guys are coming. You know, I'd ask them, do you see the shadow people? Yeah, do you see their eyes? And if they saw their eyes, I knew they were astronomically worse than just somebody who didn't. Interesting. So it's like they get more tuned into a frequency where they can observe these loose-sucking entities. The more their, the more their brain has been See, I, I, don't, I, I don't think the shadow people and the voices are the same entities. They're, uh, they're, mm. they're different entities. Yeah, I've oh. never heard of shadow people talking, and I've talked to a lot of dope fiends. And they, they, they've talk. described lots and lots of shadow people experiences, but I don't remember ever hearing them say that they were talking. No, and, and they didn't talk to me for years until one day, I, I this was Christmas Eve, and it was at the county hospital, and I was working the night shift. Um, then it was quiet, so it was generally quiet. And in comes this meth addict who's shaking like a leaf. I mean, he just can't stop shaking. So they brought him back to the psych annex, and I picked up on him. And uh, you know, I asked him, uh, he, he said he'd been injecting meth for 10 years, and I'm like, Damn, you should have been dead seven years ago. And, mm. and, and all of a sudden, I'm fascinated. Like, why is this guy still alive? And uh, started asking him questions. Do you see the shadow people? And he goes, Yeah, yeah I see the shadow people. You, you ever see their eyes? And he goes, Yeah, I see their eyes. And, and I'd ask him, What color are their eyes? He'd go, well, Lime green. So I wouldn't tell him the color. I would just ask him what color, just to see if they'd come up with the right answer because I'd. I'd never gotten any other answer besides red or lime green. So, you know, he comes up with one of those. And, uh, just out of curiosity, I asked him, because he's injecting for 10 years, he's probably the meth addict I've ever seen in the, in the worst shape he's ever. I mean, nobody lasts 10 years injecting meth. <laughs> I've never seen anybody last 10 years injecting meth. And uh, so he was interesting. And uh, I asked him, well, did you ever hear the voices talk? And he goes, yeah. 
that was the first guy in, in decades that I'd ever heard say he heard the voices talk. And I asked him, well, what did they sound like? And he, he came up with this, you know, it was, it was like this, he imitated like this something like you know, the nails screeching on the blackboard, that kind of tone, you know, it was mm. like they sound like that. And I'm like, just listening to his imitation was like, yeah, you know. And uh, I said, well, what did they say to you? And he said, uh, well, they told me to go jump out in front of the car and, and I'd be okay. And, uh, you know, right then, his shaking stopped. He, he went calm still and his eyes got black and, and, and he was just this hatred. Was, it was like you could feel this deep, dark hatred just coming out of him. It was like uh, the feel I got was, uh, you know, like I'd rather cut your guts out and sp spread them all over this room than talk, say another word to you. And he was just silent. And, and I knew I couldn't run from it. You, you can't run from these guys. You, you have to sit there and you have to face whatever they're, they're throwing at you. And it seemed to last forever, you know, just as dark pupils and, and I'm staring at him he's staring at me and I'm like you could it was like that darkness just went forever it was this this cold hatred that I've never experienced in my life before and and bam then it went out as fast as it came and he started shaking again and he was back I don't know what that thing was that came through him but boy it was evil and he's wow. back he's back shaking and, and being normal again and, and I'm shook up I'm like uh Wow. Oh, geez, you know, like, uh, what just happened? And uh, but I wanted to find out what they said and what happened. So I started asking, what happened when you jumped in front of the truck? And I said, well, I jumped in front of it and it hit me. It threw me off the side of the road. And then shadow people were all around me when I landed on the side of the road. And they said, get up. You're not hurt. And he said he, he got up and he wasn't hurt. And uh, he said that they told him to jump in front of another one. And he jumped in front of another one. He was hit. And they were there again. They said, get up. You're not hurt. And he wasn't hurt. And then that thing came back again. You know, it's like right if he stopped shaking again. And those eyes got dark again. And that thing's just staring at me again. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it seemed like it lasted forever. You know, just staring at this thing. And then finally, boom, it went off as, as fast as it came. And I was, I was shook up. I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. You know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. So I sent him back out and arranged for him to be hospitalized. And then the psych nurse comes in and she goes, uh, I can't stand that guy. I can't get near him. I, he, he freaks me out. Uh, what did you get from him? And I, I gave her my notes and said, uh, he, needs, he needs to go in. He's, in, he's not in good shape. But boy, I'll never forget that. Yeah, wow, that's terrifying. Wow. You know, what's amazing is what you're just describing. There's a music video of a, a, a group. I think it's called uncle and it's of a schizophrenic man walking into a walking in a tunnel. That's like a very traffic heavy, like urban tunnel. And he's uh, clearly like, disheveled and maybe looks homeless, but he's arguing with something kind of black eyes. And he, he's walking into traffic and he gets hit several times and just get, keeps getting back up and walking again and arguing wow. with the thing and gets hit, hit again and gets back up, like destroys other cars. 
the cars are being destroyed, but he's fine and he just gets back up and. Yeah, they had a, a film clip of a, a twins in England that 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 females that were oh, being yeah. hit, and and they just they didn't oh, right. face them at all. Yeah. You know, so yeah, they they have some uh, they have some strange powers. Um, do, so, do but, you think the the shadow folks uh, feed off of that fear? I suspect so, um, but I haven't had anybody say that. Uh, they do generate it. I don't know what they are. If you go to the internet, there's all kinds of stuff on the shadow people. You got pictures of them. You got drawings of them. But uh, psychotics see them. Schizophrenics see them. Meth addicts see them. Um, you know, people who use drugs see them. Uh, they're not always three-dimensional shapes like the humanoid shapes. Sometimes they're like animals or, or some kind of creature or just a black blob. You know, but they're there too. I mean, there's all this spiritual stuff going on around us. And and here we are, you know, where they're trying to tell us that we're not spiritual beings and that we're just physical bodies and that's all you are. And, uh, you know, take these meds and it'll fix everything. I mean, you know. uh, what you said about being able to manifest things into their world, if you're suffering under some kind of... Uh, experience where um voices are attacking you and intrusive thoughts are attacking you the idea that you can just focus your imagination and create some kind of uh, block or a bondage or a control over them and then it works that's a huge takeaway for anybody that finds this information because like you said if you're just imagining their mouths full of cotton or that they're being wrapped up with heavy duty black duct tape or whatever whatever your imagination comes up to you know that's just I invaluable well, it worked for one yeah. of my clients last week. He, he imagined the mouth of the voice full of cotton and it shut it up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of going back to my, my idea that we're all creators. Like, you know, we've, we were talking about the Philip experiment this week. Are you familiar with the Philip experiment, Jerry? Where sure. they, so it was a group in, I think it was England where they created a backstory for a ghost and they would have these seances and make up not seances, but like sessions where they would call up this spirit of, of Philip and they had this whole backstory and, and they developed this as if this person was a person and has a whole history and they created it and they had all these paranormal uh, um, reactions because of this, of the spirit that they called Philip and it would even follow people. And, and it was like this um, Tulpa, I guess, yes. kind of thing, experiment, but it, it worked and it was pretty they well created, documented. They, they created a, an entity of some kind. Yeah. 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 That's pretty weird. Yeah, and it's it just goes back to if if we're creators and we can create something like that, why can't we create create our own reality? Because essentially, we are and take well, control do. of our, our our own lives. Well, we all create our own reality to some extent. I mean, these these guys, we we got to get rid of these deep state guys, man. You know, they're just uh, they're interfering with our potential big time. The other idea I had is 
was if these things feed on fear, wouldn't they be full right now? No, it just makes them stronger. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah and they're, we're just feeding the... Yeah, and then more come. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, the prison is full of the, these things. I mean, you could feel it when you walked in the door. You could yeah. just feel it. As soon as you walked through the gate, it was like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so kinda, glad, so that's glad how, I'm out of there. That's how addiction works. They never get full. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it is an addiction, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Spirit I, possession, yeah. it's an addiction. Yeah. Well, Jerry, like I, it, go ahead. Yeah, like you said, they had that one guy that uh, he, he, we cleared him and he went back because he was lonely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I saw uh, in one of your recent videos, you mentioned somebody had, you mentioned that Sage was they, helpful. They don't, they, they don't like Sage. Really? Awesome. Uh, they, they don't like Sage. They don't like uh, saltwater baths. Um, they don't like comedy. You know, like watching America's <laughs> funniest videos. They don't anything that gives you joy. They don't like. They want to speed yeah. you up. I use I use sage and I and I take Epsom salt baths. So there's a mm-hmm. that's, that's good. Yeah. I just do it naturally. I mean, we if if uh, when we move into a new house, we always sage the place. If I'm just having a day of cleaning up the whole place, I'll sage the place. But even sometimes when it uh it just seems off. I'll just get the sage out and burn a little bit all through the house. And it really makes a difference. You know, it, where, where are you? Where are all you guys? Now I'm in Boise, Idaho currently. Ah, right at the beautiful state. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not over here. It's not like it is in a lot of other places. So I just say a lot of prayers for people that are stuck in Washington or Oregon or places that are in you know, New York city and California. Well, you got, uh, got all those Californians invading it like we do here. Yeah, it's true. I'm I'm an invading Californian myself. My mother moved me out of the Sacramento Valley in 1990, and I try to thank her every year for it because uh, yeah. she saved our lives getting us out of there. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's worse now. So it's gotten much. Worse. Oh, it's my, I wouldn't go back to my old neighborhood for any anything at all. I wouldn't be safe there because I don't know anyone. It's not yeah. safe. It's a dangerous, dangerous place. But what about the rest of you? Where are the rest of you guys? Yeah, go ahead. I I live in uh walla walla washington there's it's a prison a, there there uh-huh. is yeah my, my my shop is right across the street from it Kitty <laughs> corner for, from it it's a big federal prison yeah there's there was some famous murderers that went, went there in the past um yeah it's a it's probably the safest place to be in town in case anybody ever escaped they're going to be getting as, as far away from that penitentiary as they can. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to hang around mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. Yeah. It's funny. They, the, the city had an option of either getting the state university built here or the state penitentiary. Yeah, same thing here in Arizona. The <laughs> university took off and the prison turned into a pit. Yeah. How about the rest of you guys? I'm up in Indiana, just uh, not far from Notre Dame. Oh, okay. South Bend. Indiana wants me. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. The land of the grand mosquito. 
Yes, ten thousand plus. And deer legs. flies too, man. I tell you, I rode through there on a the motorcycle, and you couldn't stop because the mosquitoes weren't biting you. The deer flies were. Were you riding the Sturgis? No, no. Okay. I, I wanted to go there, but I, I think I saw enough of it on TV. I've been to Burning Man a couple of times. Though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, that place is a blast. If you could deal with it, I mean, the dust storms and the heat, but it, it's like. It's like nothing else on the planet, man. I think this well, year there are two to, burning men. Get a chance to, huh? I think this year there are two burning men. There's two different festivals. Really? Oh, I yeah. didn't know I that. The, one for There's the vaxxed, one for the unvaxxed. Yep. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, really? Is that what they're doing? Yeah. <laughs> I was just guessing. Are no, you that's, kidding that's me? That's true. Like they, so Burning Man itself um, started... Uh, the official Burning Man was requiring the Vax passport thing for people. And so the other, you know, the disaffected groups figured we'll just start our own. And they started one. I, I don't remember where it is, but they're doing another one, a separate one. Oh. I wish Chance was here. Chance was the one that turned me on and all this stuff. Well, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Hopefully they'd have it somewhere other than uh, Black Rock City there. I mean, that, that's a horrible place. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like the, the dust thick, it blows up and it's like this powder. It's like talcum powder that it gets in your eyes and your ears and your nose and your mouth. And there's no place to take a shower. I mean, it gets in everything. And the last time we were, were there, we we're waiting at the gate to get in. It's like uh, 95 degrees. And this dust is blown so thick you couldn't hardly see the car in front of you. And you couldn't keep your engine on because it'd clog up your engine. And you couldn't open the windows because you're breathing. It was miserable. Has everybody seen the fire tornadoes? Yeah. I've I've, I've seen pictures of them, movies of them. That was amazing. They had fire tornadoes marching out of the fire to the beat of the music. And they literally looked like they had legs marching. Where at Burning Man? Where is at, this? At Burning Man. You can wow. look up wow. Burning Man fire tornadoes. And it's, uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say. The well, crowd they, is like, you yeah, summoned yeah. fire elementals. You fire can elementals. do that. You can. No, you can do that. You can create a fire tornado with uh, fans. Like you, you create a circle with um, fans that are uh-huh. that are that are spinning the air in a in the right direction, and and just a small fire will be whipped up by that by that swirling wind, and you can create your own um, tornado. Make sure uh, you do it outside, far away from everything. <laughs> not in the garage. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as we're, we're broadcasting to at least twenty or thirty people right now, and who oh, yeah. knows how many people will catch the rerun? So we just got to, you know. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna li- if you're gonna create your own fire tornado, make sure that you know, like, you plug the fans in in the right place, and you give give yourself some room to create yes, your own if, fire tornado. You know? If we've learned any <laughs> anything from tonight, it's don't learn put a f- fire tornado in your garage, and don't go all. <laughs> off all your psych meds in one day. So right. I think we've done our. <laughs> you think we're, we're safe. Huh? We're safe. Yeah. Well, guys, it's closing on midnight here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Jerry, I appreciate this so much. You sticking with us because this is what we do. We're we're (laughs) marathoners, but I really, really appreciate this. And I would love to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, you guys are both in Arizona, not far from each other. I'm probably I'm probably just south on Houghton for you. (laughs) Yes, you are. So yeah, like we should. uh, I'm up where Mount Lemon goes into the highway. Oh, you're right, right, at the, right at the base of the mountain, right there. Yeah. Okay. I'm in Corona, Corona de Tucson. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm out the base of the Santa Rita. So I'm in the other end of the valley. Yeah, I nice. saw that big mark on the, on the mountain. Well, I'll make sure that uh, Gordy gets your email address there. Jay. Yes. And I yeah. dropped all those links over and over again in the chat, and um, I'll give them to Jim so he can add them to the show notes along with that uh, documentary that you sent me about the uh, pharmaceutical industry and the uh, absolute tomfoolery bullshit of the DSM. And um, well, I can't thank you enough for answering my email and for coming to, to talk to us. Uh, my mind is blown. I, I don't know what to say. Well, I'm sorry. So I was late. No, no, we don't no, care not that. at all. <laughs> no, I, we just appreciate you giving us your time and so much of it, man, that's great. You're a, you're a wealth of stories, man. I love this. Yeah, that's, that, that swimming story is going to be with me the rest of my life. Yeah. It'd be with me the rest of my life, too. I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet. Man. Yeah, Thank you so much, Jerry. But you, you have answers, Jerry. That's the thing. <laughs> is people, don't, people don't have hope. And you're, you're giving people hope that it's... This is, here. This is curable. That it is curable. There, we've we've done it. We've done yeah. it over and over and over. We've done it. Yeah. It, it depends on the, the person has to want to recover. Exactly. You know, and it's the same with addiction. They have to yeah. want it. They have to do they it themselves. To it. Yep. They have to do it themselves. And they, and it's not easy. Yeah. You know, it's not fast. It's not easy. But it does work. And 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 we have completely cured several several people. A bunch in the prison and and a bunch otherwise. That's fantastic, man. That's the good news. That is good news. We appreciate you, man. Okay, guys. Send me a link when you have one. I I don't know what Sherry's going to do with this. I I don't know how many hours did we run. We're probably almost four hours in right now. I'd be my guest. That's a record. That's a record for me. We'll we'll make sure that you get the link so that you've got access to the, um, you know, to the, to the recording on, on YouTube. Okay. All right. Thanks, you guys, for uh, sending the link. And thanks so good, much. Good talking I'll be in to touch. you. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, I'll, we'll, I'll follow up really for sure. Thanks so much. Thank All you right. for coming. You're welcome. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. Incredible wow. honor to be marathoned with uh, Jerry. That was wow. On the distance with us. Yeah, that was far yeah. Yeah. beyond what I expected. It. John, thank wow. you for bringing him into the yeah. That was for sure. No, my Sean. pleasure. My pleasure. I just, uh, I don't remember who brought it up that it would be a good idea, but I just uh, asked around and uh, my coach and mentor, Beth Martins, was kind enough to share uh, his email address and he got right thank back you, to it. Beth. So, yeah, thank you, Beth. Yes, thank you, thank you Beth, Beth Martins. Yes. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, Beth, Beth changed my life forever, man. She, she uh, helped me use techniques to start the process to really, uh, pulling apart in my own interpersonal problems and then train me how to do it for other people. So 
Well, know, we should probably have Beth on the show then. I'm sure she'd she'd probably be very willing to show up here. I don't know, you know if she'll stay for four hours, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she might though. She's a judge. She's welcome to if she wants. <laughs> sure, we could we could do five. <laughs> What's oh, yeah. yeah, we're roadworthy for sure. We're we're proven, I think. Especially Alan. What what's the hey, what is the uh record for spiders? Five and a half? Yeah, it actually runs over because we begin early and we go over after the live show ends, so yeah, about five and a half hours. You can see this guy can't. He can't handle five hours. See, look at him. <laughs> <laughs> he's laying underneath. He's laying underneath the desk the whole time. Like, man, are you going to go to bed tonight or what? Come on! <laughs> Shut up! We're trying to sleep around here. We've been trying to enforce intermissions, but you guys just talk over them, and you don't even. You don't stop. It's, a, it's a staggered personal intermission. That's what we call it. You know, yeah. and if you want to mute your uh, video, you can, but please remember to mute your audio so that we don't have to listen to you pee. Um, <laughs> Again. Uh, you guys are awesome. I appreciate you. I'm so excited to uh, to check this out a second time because it's like so much happened that I feel like I could watch it and yeah. like I wasn't here, you know. I want to watch it again. I want to watch, I want to watch this and I want to watch this documentary and books and everything just that yeah, i gotta read this book maybe i should take I'm this stoked. book with me when you guys book, play back mad. this file be sure to take notes and then we can use chapters by putting in the time signatures in the youtube comments so people can jump to hey that's a really chapters. good idea so when people want to hear this the deep dive uh scuba dive story put that chapter time code in a in the comments in youtube and then we can skip right to it there's this other show that used to be on YouTube that I always meant to do that for. It was called RX Only Picture Show. It was me and a guy named Jem, J-E-M. And uh, I always intended to go back through and take notes and put timestamps. Maybe we can still do that someday. Yeah, we've got a lot of listeners and viewers who go back and watch the old stuff. And when they're doing that, if there's something they really appreciate, hey, guys, help us out. Put a timestamp in the YouTube comments. Now that's true. If you want to crowdsource it with anything that we have access to that we can, you know, if we're producing it on any of the various things that we do, just tell us and we'll 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 trade the information around and plug it in there. Because you can pin the top comment and just keep editing it. So yep. yeah, you guys rock. You guys you are my rock, brother. Man. What's up? Fam. That's right. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I'm gonna definitely email you, Gordy, or text you with uh, with that info because I want uh, I want you guys to be able to have a private meeting and conversation because it's just meant to be, man. I think it's just fate. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna happen. I I didn't know he was here in town, and the fact that yeah, we need to make that happen. We'll have to invite him back, and he can tell us about uh, talking to you, and then we can ask him about things that he loves to do, like ride motorcycles or fly airplanes, instead of twisting his arm about uh, the overlap oh, yeah. between schizophrenia and demon possession. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, Sean, man. I appreciate oh, it. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Good. Good stuff. I, I would have jumped into your... Uh, 
your midnight movies thing, but I was already laying in bed and I thought, man, if I jump in, I'm going to have to quietly listen and then like type in the chat because my girl's lay, lay next to me asleep, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just not going to do it. And then I, you know, like, how am I going to watch the movie? Like, I would have had to, like, prop my phone up on my knees and type, yeah. or, you know, and it's just like, oh, I'll make it. When the time is right, I'll make it and hit a midnight movie. I think I'm, 40, was... I'm 45, man. I'm old. <laughs> like, 9 o'clock comes around, and I'm like, oh. You're a spring chicken, man. <laughs> I think there was more than one person that just kind of, like, fell asleep. You know, which is fine, which is fine. Like it was, I like, I love that it was, it's cool because it's different every time because there's a a little bit of a different mix. If anybody doesn't know, um, on Friday nights, we do the Mystic Nights of the Midnight Movie and um, me, Jim, uh, Gabe, Alan's there sometimes, whoever wants to make it. You know, it's casual, but it's a that's private hangout. It's a private hangout. Yeah, it's not a broadcast. So it's, it's not a broadcast. You can show up in your in your chonies. We just don't want to see your chonies. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you know, it's it's all cool. It's very casual, and and it's the thing is, it's not recorded. It's an experience. You have to be there. Whatever happens during that time, it's a special place. It's not going to happen any other time. And yeah, there's no rerun, no broadcast, no link. It's just, yeah. uh, there's a link for getting in that night. That night. And, but it's connecting with other humans and just hanging out. And that's special. Well, yeah, we should drop that link too, huh? I just for did. You. Okay, oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. For the Telegram, right? Because there's a Telegram channel just for Mystic Nights of the Midnight Movie. Is that right? right. Yep. Nights of the K. MKMM. <laughs> Finally, we've got our own MK program. It's MK. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told Jim Maiden that we would we would call it MK Ultra for the paid subscription <laughs> service. <laughs> or MK Plus Ultra. <laughs> oh, there is more oh. beyond. That might be hitting a little too too close to home. Mm-hmm. You know, the other day I was looking at that word Malkuth. And, uh-huh. uh, it's That's a, where we are. We're in Malkuth. Yeah. It's almost an anagram for MK Ultra. It's like one letter off. The H and the R. And R is 18 and H is 8. So it's close enough for me. I really loved that Jerry jumped in with the uh, word association and digression too, because I was wondering, like, how's he going to receive this stuff? You know, like, because mm-hmm. we were all, he's we all, we, we, and he was right with it, man. So that's a, that's women's story, man. Yeah, that's deep. Pray, pray so that you can have the experience. And it's funny to me that uh, the way I saw the experience, the way he described it was like, okay, so God gave him like the deepest and best possible opportunity to uh, understand what was going on. But he also first uh, chose out a situation and a thing where, like, it's like they're trying to tell Mike Tyson in the boxing ring he's going to get knocked out cold. It's like Jerry's trained as a, like, this is what I do, man. I let out all my breath and sink until the pressure of the water crushes my lungs flat and I sink farther, you know. And it's just, uh, oh, beautiful. Yeah, oh, just homework. Art. From our homework, you might recognize this. Let's see if I can go through some of these pictures. 
Wow. I don't know what order they're in, but yeah, the homework uh, that Alan assigned uh, last week inside of the Telegram was to take a, a beautiful diagram by a, a magician. Uh, um, his name's Bonewitz, mm-hmm. and um, and to reproduce it in your own style. And a bunch of people came up with some great stuff. This is Can't the Weaving Spiders welcome uh, Telegram. Right, right. The Weaving Spiders Telegram. Yeah, and Chance Chance redrew the original diagram beautifully, man, with the vector graphic, and it's just gorgeous. I'm trying to reinterpret it in our own way, and here's some some color I did. I did remix it with some of your art. I'll show you that in a moment. Yeah, Sean, do you have yours handy? Oh, I don't know. Let me me look and see if... uh, Let me see... Um, well, you guys want to see Jim right before each episode first? <laughs> Please. All right. Here's, here's Jim right before each episode. I'll show you here. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who is you know, that? There's, let's see. There should be more. Yeah. This is Jim getting ready for weaving spiders to go live. He's dropping links. He's answering messages. People are interrupting him. He's on the phone the whole time. The phone, yeah. Yeah. Is that a Masonic apron? <laughs> it's a good question. That's an excellent question. Now that's that's what it looks like when he's pushing the link to go live. See how it's kind of exploding. Hey. Yeah. Okay. And it rocks the whole world. See. That can be some of our merch for MKMM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Is an apron? What's that? The meme. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm afraid to go any farther. I don't know what will happen. We, we can't. We can't really. We can't really risk just messing around inside my Google Photos. It's not safe. Stop sharing my screen. Okay, so yeah, I was trying oh to see. God. Now, see, you get an idea how much art I really make. Yeah, I don't think this, this is not in here. It'd be on my phone. So I'm not going to have mine available. Sorry, oh, guys. That's great. I can go back to my screen and show you some more. I don't think, yeah, this stuff's too old. Wow, that was awesome. Genius. All right. Okay, I better stop sharing. Stop sharing. There we go. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> That meme, Jim, Jim makes a lot of really good memes. I'm sure most people don't get to see him, you know, because he just usually sends them just to me. And then if they're really good, he'll dump them out on Twitter or something. But, you know, there's a lot more than you get to see. Uh, on the, They're not published publicly usually. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to get that meme out. Yeah, I'm just angry. like writing down a dream. Oh, that's awesome. That looks great right there, there man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah that that I had some color to the chart. Uh, I think Chance put this together. And SB, did you add to this as well? Um, well, uh, I noticed that Chance missed the word power. So you'll notice the word power is in a different uh, font. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just a simple uh, mistake. But what I did, the very first thing I did to make this um, chart my own was I went and added the word power with my editing program and made it flash as a GIF and then dropped it back. So to me, that was like the, the very first uh, iteration 
was to just uh, add the word power back, words of power. And the, the this whole chart, I mean, I'd say there's there's room for improvement and change, sure, but it really uh, speaks to me uh, with all the studying I've done of how people um, manifest things into the world. And I would recommend anyone that's not practiced at that to take great caution and don't just rush into manifesting things into the world. That's not why we're giving you the chart so that you can immediately get to work on it. Um, get yeah, to work I, on yourself first is my advice. But yes. It backfires if unless you're but, super careful what you ask for. It, well, it's get like, what you ask for. It's like dealing with leprechauns or dealing with genies. That's the reason that those entities exist as a um, as a known reference you know if you everybody knows what happens if you tell the leprechaun what you want like you, you wish for a million dollars and you get it but you're not allowed to spend it or you get it in in funny money or who knows what right you get some kind of treacherous leprechaunish oh, result you know and you'll get sued for a million and one <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's exactly how it works exactly. <laughs> so i did a few different versions of it and then blended it differently Nice. Try to get some color in there. Uh -huh. Yeah, see, now I could take this one and do the same process I did to mine. My artistic process is pretty redundant, so we could see what we get if we take all of your coloring plus chances uh, redrawing of the names all clean and uh, run it through my process, and it would turn out way different than the ones that I, I did share. Yeah, it all started because there was a question about synchronicity here, and you can see synchronicity in yellow and then i think i also did synthesis in yellow mm -hmm. you see synthesis here next to polarity and then perversity is this sort of copper brown color kind of going into the onion layers of polarity yes mm. so some of this was just hey man i've only got these colors in my markers so i can only use certain colors limitations there but I was like, just get this thing done, do it fast. So some sometimes it was just um, fill in a color quick and, and see how it goes. So I'll share this in the Telegram group and we can continue to build upon this and, and maybe build a, yeah, I wouldn't say better, just a different chart, maybe a more personal chart. We should make t-shirts. Uh, we'd have and that's to, not a bad idea. We'd probably have to ask the ghost of Isaac Bonowitz and his wife, Phaedra. If oh, um, their blessings upon us. His wife is alive. Uh, he is not. Bonowitz yeah. is deceased. But we could make t-shirts of just the lines and people can write anything else they want in there. Well, I, I, my original idea was to do what I did, what I showed you guys in the Telegram group, and then to replace all of the words with symbols. And so I'll continue to work on that for sure. Nice. Like to replace all the unity uh, words was the first idea. Replace all the unity words with uh, infinity symbol is what I yeah. thought, you know. We'd want to consider what effect you'd have on your body if you were to wear that, you know, on your chest, walking around with it. It's true. It's true. And then looking into the mirror and seeing yourself wearing it and are the words mirrored and the colors mirrored, you know, just. Well, yeah, you got to you got to consider whether or not the guy that's in the mirror wants to be wearing it before you put it on. I think that it would it would fall under fair use because the considerable transformation has made it into art. Hey, here's probably, my, prob probably true. Here's my plug. So Vitamir can 
sponsor the show now. Um, <laughs> my zinc, zinc uh, toothpaste stuff. Oh wow! That I will. Where'd plug. you find that? So my wife finds all these amazing things because she's uh, I don't know Google, Google foo artist, <laughs> and she finds some of the kookiest stuff that I mean over the last couple of years we've tried a, I've tried a lot of different kinds of things if you need to know uh, what kind of sugars won't raise your or sweeteners won't raise your blood sugar I probably have a whole list of stuff that will and won't and what tastes good and what what is disgusting and tastes chemically and all that kind of stuff too I, I grew a, a stevia plant in my backyard you, and it, it's so much better than uh, than any any refined stevia I've found it's amazing man Oh, bet the fresh stuff. Yeah, How did yeah, you... it's, it's just amazing. My my girl just found it at the grocery store at the like the Fred Meyer's. They just had stevia for sale, so we bought one, and it's big now. It's it's better. I'll be. Is it like a sugar okay. cane? No, what it's is, just it, a plant? Looks like a, it looks kind of like a mint. It's not. I don't remember. I don't know. I never. I didn't look up the genus of the species of plant, but um, I mean, it just looks like a another herb, you know. And sweet. It's so sweet. It's eating, eating the leaves isn't like uh, powdered stevia either, because anyone that's used stevia knows that you have to use a very, very small portion of stevia. Otherwise, it makes it bitter. Because yeah. sugar, sweet, sweetness yeah. turns into bitterness on the taste bud. So, but if you just pick a couple of stevia leaves, like I have some really uh, tart apples growing in my yard too. And so I take a bite of the tart apple and, you know, chew some stevia with it. And it's like, oh, oh. You can like enhance the flavor of the apple with a couple of stevia leaves, you know. So interesting. But so you must know about the mung fruit too, then, huh, Gordy? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, mung so mung fruit even more powerful. Yeah. It, so yeah. Mung fruit. Mung fruit is a monk. yeah. Monk. Yeah, I said mung. That was a mistake. Monk. M O N K. Fruit. Oh yeah, you guys. I I shuffled enough. I better draw a card because we. Oh right. Sweet. And then we'll probably call it a night. So, uh, you think I should uh, draw from the top, draw from the bottom, draw from the middle? Just keep paint. shuffling it and see what happens. <laughs> In the meantime, I'll mention the book. It's called Real Magic. There's another book by that title by Dean Radin. This is Real Magic by Philip Eamons Isaac Bonowitz. The subtitle is An Introductory Treatise on the Basic Principles of Yellow magic so that's maybe why i included so much yellow in the diagram and uh, just a heads up for any true blue sleuths you will find some uh negative information about the author he is deceased um after he was dead he was accused by uh his own clan of uh magicians of possibly being involved in um inappropriate behavior with children and so uh it's just something to consider you know, not trying to discredit the guy, but the information is out there and it's just weird. I just say it because if you go and search for him, it's going to pop up. So hey, people you, still, people still watch Forrest Gump. So. Oh yeah. Hey. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think uh, probably this guy, even if he did something inappropriate uh, is not anywhere near as bad a person as Tom Hanks, as far as my personal opinion, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. he's just, and he even like, if you read uh some of the quotes and remarks he says in going back and reading this book that he found himself to be arrogant and overbearing and that he'd probably change it 10 ways to Tuesday if he wrote it again. So, I mean, these are just things you always have to consider no matter what, you know? 
there's there's songs I've written that I just assume you guys never ever find out about that people love and they'd love to hear them over and over again, but uh, I don't like them anymore. You know, it just happens. It's part of life. Yeah, yeah. We've we become a different person since that time. Yeah, and it changes. Everything changes too. Like all those all those songs really change. Like have different meaning to me now. Like looking back on stuff you wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 years ago, you're like, oh, God, I was really in a dark place, wasn't I? Yeah, <laughs> I know. And some of it is like more near and dear to me now than it ever was. So it's a very right. unique and strange thing. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you offer me money now, I might change my mind about whether or not I want to perform those old songs that I don't like, too. That's funny. Right. You know, yeah. Like, hey, for 150 bucks, I'll probably bust them out. No problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, ha- I have for a price. <laughs> It meant, that hey. makes me think I saw I saw the Eagles live one time and the last thing, uh, not the last thing, but the second to last thing they played. We were bootlegging the show at the Gorge, Gorge in, uh, in Washington. And, uh, and the second to last was uh, Desperado. And I could not believe how heartfelt and succinct and genuine Don Henley sang it. Like it made me made me have goosebumps. It almost made me want to cry. Uh. And I'm thinking, how could you do this? how can you not hate this? He, he must've played it 10,000 times minimum, you know? So it was just a trip to me to what showmanship, man. Wow. That's cool. Hey, what you, what's the, the banjo uke you have back there? That's exactly what it is. A banjo ukulele. Good eye. What, what year is it? I have you know? no idea. I haven't even, I haven't even uh, tuned it or learned to play it yet. I have a, I have one from the twenties that my great uncle gave me. Oh, cool. No, see, that's way better. This is just kind of a chintzy beginner's instrument that somebody was selling cheap on uh, Facebook. So I went and grabbed it. That's what I'm going to use when the uh, young lady who's going to help me, the Romanian girl that I know is going to help me with these. That's what I'm going to use to to teach myself and teach the ukulele at the same time. So, Oh, nice. Remember, you don't have to know something to teach it. You just have to be willing to teach it. You just don't (laughs) have to know a little bit more than the student. That's all. Uh-huh. Well, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right. Do you think it's enough yet, Alan? I think you're calling out TikTok witches right now that are teaching so much magic to their followers on TikTok. Are they, does it look like this? Buyer oh. beware. No, it looks more like the diagram with all the words in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's our card? Instead of unity, it says... Hate Trump, hate Trump, hate Trump. <laughs> Orange man, bad. Orange man. Bad. Right, here's the last shuffle. A chart of Discord shared on a Discord server for TikTok, yeah, which is. There. All right, we're going to give it one cut. Okay, now I cut the deck. Okay, yeah. Let's get united here. All right. Okay, yeah, you guys go ahead and do that, and then I'll just know what to do here. I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to fan the cards towards do the me. wave shuffle. Yeah. Oh, here goes. Good idea. Wave shuffle. Fan the cards towards me. Big breath. Buddha belly. Find that center. And I'm going to set it down right in front of me first to see what we get. It appears to be the three of swords upright. And now I'll display it to the camera. Here we go. Dude, I am so jealous of this deck. That is so rad. And I'll go ahead and read it to you guys if you want to hear it. Will you talk and hold it up for a minute again? Uh And then talk. And talk. Oh, yeah. Here we are. Here's the uh, 
three of swords. Um, there's a woman there I can see. There's three swords that appear to be stabbing into a heart. There's a serpent. Um, Dolly's name is emblazoned big at the bottom, of course. Uh, it's beautiful. It's the, I'm looking the at it in my... The, I'd have to it? turn it around to see it. So let's see here. I'm take my glasses off and see if I can describe it more effectively. So we've got, um, looks like there's a phoenix in the middle. There's a naked woman. There's a woman. It's like, it's like there's a, it's King George and the dragon. Yeah, phoenix I was going to say it. Phoenix in between. So yeah, and, uh, and uh, here I'll read it out of the book what it says. Let's see, here's the book. Five, four, three of swords. <clears throat> Conscious love. This is a very powerful card. An homage to love and to the liberating power of the mind. The card depicts a scene from the painting Roger Rescuing Angelica, 1819, by Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres. I have to take my glasses off or adjust them here. Let's see. Framed by a big red heart. As ever, the message is ambiguous. Perhaps a great abyss is opening up at the center of your heart. Or maybe swords are about to free you from affliction and distress. The picture is based on the classical motif of a battle with a dragon, a black serpent-like monster visible at the bottom of the big heart. The image warns against hurt feelings, old wounds reopened by the sword. The positive message is that whatever problem we may encounter, problems we may encounter, the weapon of the mind and the eye of love will enable us to find a solution and a happy alliance of heart and sword. Most problems arise out of a separation of abstract thoughts and your real feelings. Obsessive views and rigid ideas refuse to be checked against actual experience, paralyzing your mental and emotional faculties. Like a thorn in the side, they are a source of constant pain and irritation. Give a long chance, including a love of truth and honesty. Oh, pardon me. Give love a chance, including a love of truth and honesty. Shed light on your memories and expectations. Do not be afraid of painful truths. All wounds will heal if you tend to them. And then here it says, practical advice. Do not give up. Risk being more honest and authentic. Let go of your prejudice, pretense, and reserve. Feel the great relief that will be yours when your heart is set free again. And the very last thing uh, before it moves into other languages is pictorial sources. Roger rescuing Angelica, 1819. Musée de Louvre in Paris. Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres, born August 29, 1780 in Montauban, died January 14th, 1867 in Paris, France. Hmm. I'm that, shocked at how uh, relevant that is to our show. Yeah. Like, stunning. I was, I was thinking the same thing, but uh, always the, works. Uh, it always works. I mean, it's so, like just talking right about what we just did for almost five hours. So honesty, love and experience. That's what yeah. uh, that's what Jerry has gotten to 
where he is and actually helping people because he was honest. He was truthful. He did it without, without shaming those understanding that those people that are still in there stuck in those, those situations are humans and they're still worthy to be loved. And he didn't listen to anybody else. He relied on his own experience. Here, here. That's how he found the answer. That's how I yeah. found the answer. Because if I had to let, if I had to uh, listen to those, the doctors that were telling me what I needed to do, I'd probably have that lobotomy. Yep. And the heart is the water element. And there's the swimming story he told us. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Yeah, guys. I mean, that's why I wanted to compare him to Jesus, not as flattery and not as to make him uncomfortable, but because the example of Jesus isn't like a, a hero rushing in with a sword and stabbing the bad guy. There's some kind of strange example there that's hard for people to connect with of like just doing the right thing, even though you suffer. And still doing it with all love and compassion and kindness. That's the challenge. It's hard. man. Right. It's really hard. It, right. you know, it's hard to bring suffering on yourself on purpose to help yourself and others. But that's the example I've always seen in that guy. And that's why yeah. it was easy to get motivated to try and reach out to him. And somebody threw the idea at me. I don't remember who said it. It wasn't my idea. Somebody said it in the chat or somebody said it on the broadcast. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I should be able to do that. You know, and it, and it worked. And I, I feel like now we've gone through a door and you know, now we're somewhere else altogether. We Every single make, time we uh, do these things. We could make the WWJD t-shirts, the uh, What Would Jerry Do t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the back, it'll say, uh, that's a lie. Jerry right. wouldn't do that. Right. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Jerry wouldn't do that's that. Right. And it comes, with a li- it comes with a rubber band that you snap. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> And that's that great. works too, by the way. It really yeah, does. Both of those techniques. Both of really those things work. work. I've I've used them both on myself, I've but I still use that to lie a lot of the time. If I'm driving in my car and all of a sudden I'm getting this really cloudy, dark, aggressive, violent, like malicious thought, you know, I'm imagining someone that I hate and I'm, you know, gloriously murdering them in my mind. I say, that's a lie. I don't want to do that. I don't want that person to be dead. Who? What is this? What is this trying to convince me? Or you know, what? What? How am I offering this fantasy? Like that's a lie, or even just saying, "Is that true?" Yeah, is that true? Yeah, is yeah. that true? That's that's the one I do. Yeah. yeah. Wait, is that true? No, I don't are, know. That's are you really true. that mad at the little old lady in front of you in the store? Is that true? <laughs> or are you just in a hurry and you're kind of tired and hungry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's because of her ugly shoes. I mean, come on, who, who wears those shoes? What? <laughs> Scratch the new guy. I haven't seen him forever. What's up? Oh, is this? I haven't seen your cat. You might have to talk. Scratch Scratch the new guy. He's adorable. He's begrudgingly being displayed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he wants to bite and scratch me real bad. (laughs) Until I kiss his ass. So, so today I went to a uh, children's musical. Uh, my, I guess my second cousin was in a, uh, a performance of 
Aristocats. <laughs> oh, really? Did they do the did they do the Siamese? No, no. They oh, cut, that'd be the best part. They cut off all kinds of corners. It was only like maybe 40 minutes long, maybe 30. Uh, but I the signs and the symbols were just coming at me so hard, so fast. I had nobody to talk to. It was amazing. <laughs> but, you know, in the in the original, you know, it takes place. It, it has a Paris uh, component. And Paris is where those Knight te- Knights Templar were, you know, mm-hmm. getting strung up, putting, mm-hmm. getting put to the flame. Um, and I'm still... I'm still trying to uh, get the full meaning out of uh, what's his name, Giuseppe Casey, the uh, Thomas O'Malley, the alley cat. Oh right. Yeah, I want to see that in writing and start doing some uh, linguistical play there. Mm. But yeah, it was pretty profound. I mean, way more profound to me than it was to anybody else in the whole theater. But. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I that's, of you guys. <laughs> that's what I I thought of you guys when I was watching Shang Chi, like all yeah. the symbolism in that thing. We we all have to like watch it and do like a teardown of that thing. Oh, yeah. but um, I got Alan. Alan, if you're still there, um, we've been talking about the occultism of of David Bowie. Yes, I that, am. that is. And Brian Eno, and that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. There's a there's a museum in Florida um, that's all full of Bowie's art. Let's see what's if you type Bowie Museum Florida, it'll pop up. But I had a friend who uh, went there and posted some pictures. So if you guys are digging, doing deep dive on Bowie, you might find information that you won't find anywhere else by looking at pictures of that museum. I don't, it's Mount Dora. I think it's Mount Dora. Yeah, we might want to make a separate Telegram channel just for um, the Bowie deep dive. Yeah. You could probably probably blow up a Telegram with with Bowie. If if it's just Bowie, then Mm -hmm. you get 100,000 people in there in in less than a year. Yeah. And then we could market something to them. Buy this T-shirt. Slap this rubber band on your wrist. You'll feel better. <laughs> Is that true? We'll sell That's a lie. David Bowie quicksand hourglasses for keeping track of time because we lose track of time when we're live with weaving spiders. Welcome. It's because we live in your mind, and when we do, we're not really in touch with regular outside the mind time. That's right. We live in. In your mind, I'm going to put the, um, I found that video. Thank you, um, me on TV. Me on TV Tarot. Thank you for that uh, heads up for the video. It's called Rabbit and Tom York did the uh, vocals for it. So I'm going to put the video for that in the Telegram chat. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I'll send that off to Jerry so he can check it out too. Yeah, and it is, the band is called Uncle, featuring Tom York, and it's called Rabbit in Your Headlights. Nice. 
Awesome. Well, I'm going to have to get pretty close to rolling out of here, you guys. Yeah, guys. It's, uh, it's way past this old man's bedtime. Should we play the music? Yeah, go ahead and do that. That sounds good. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you again. Love you yeah, all. Yeah, thank you all. I love you guys. Appreciate you, brothers, man. This is good stuff. I'll share the placenta casserole artwork in the um, Weaving Spiders Welcome chat. Yes. It's called Chat Weaving Spiders Welcome <laughs> on Telegram. T.me forward slash WSW chat. You can join from your web browser. <laughs> bon appetit. <laughs> Nope. 